It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show To get your ears on right, buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way Thank you, Professor Mike Steinell. This is the mop-up for November 9th, 2020. I'm David Feldman in Manhattan, where to know Donald Trump is to wish he'd now commit suicide. The president of Ukraine has tested positive for the coronavirus. Back in June, he said that he thought about giving himself COVID in order to prove to Ukrainians that COVID is no big deal. I'm starting to think Trump was right for holding up weapon sales to this idiot. Meanwhile, Donald Trump has nothing scheduled this week, but Vice President Mike Pence will continue killing the American people. Today, his coronavirus task force met in the White House Situation Room. Thanks to his good work, Americans should expect to see one million new cases of coronavirus each week starting in December. One million new cases each week starting in December. I guess that's what they meant by Operation Warp Speed. Meanwhile, the CEO of Pfizer says Pfizer has a new vaccine that is 90% effective in preventing the virus. The way it works is you give the vaccine to Americans who refuse to wear a mask and then they die from the vaccine. Well, the election seems to be winding down. I sense a lot of optimism. I don't know why. I don't know why people think Trump is going to go gently into the night. But the uh, the election, it was mildly successful. A lot of things that they anticipated happening didn't materialize. I think we learned a lot that mail-in ballots work. It's the way to go. 
But for complete electoral transparency in the future, America should now have video cams focused on all the counting rooms. And the counting rooms should be run like a cocaine lab where all the workers are naked. That way we can make sure that we get to see people who are naked. Leaders from all over the world have called Joe Biden to congratulate him. Biden promised to hit a reset button and told foreign leaders that he looks forward to working with them as America finds third world countries to bomb the crap out of in order to replenish our war machine. So far, Chinese President Xi and Russian President He have not Putin, I'm sorry, Putin have not called Biden to congratulate him, either as the president of Mexico. Meanwhile, Donald Trump is playing a lot of golf, which seems to be his only form of exercise these days, other than kicking and screaming. And it looks like some of his closest advisors, Jared, Ivanka, they're trying to get him to acknowledge there's no path forward. It looks like It looks like he's going to see his way out of the White House. That's what they're saying. Today, Trump fired Defense Secretary Mark Esper, who during the summer upset Trump after saying U.S. troops should only be used to quell domestic protests as a last resort or if it helps Raytheon's bottom line. He's originally from Raytheon. I'm sure he'll go back there. I'm pretty sure Esper was fired today because he refused to order an airstrike on Philadelphia. And I'm not joking, right? I have a feeling he was fired because he did not obey one of Trump's orders. Something like take out Michigan. Trump is at his most dangerous. And I don't understand the complacency. I don't think he's going to go gently. I don't think it's going to be as easy to remove him, as everyone says. The transition can't begin until the General Services Administration says the president has lost. And then the GSA releases the funds necessary for Biden and his staff to start making plans to steam clean the bloodstains off the Oval Office rug. But... The head of the GSA is a Trump appointee, and she's in no rush to say Trump lost because she's afraid of getting killed. And I'm being serious. Uh, I think a lot of these people who work for Trump, he's a, a New York City mobster. You cannot pour cement in Manhattan unless you go through the Gambino family. Where's my Roy Cohn? Roy Cohn was the lawyer to the mob. I don't know why anyone thinks Trump is going to go gently. I, I don't know. I, I live in Manhattan. I Trump is a mobster. And why would you think the, the loyalists who flip aren't going to end up in a river? I don't, I don't know. Maybe I've lived in New York too long. I, I see a lot of confidence from my friends in a system, they have a lot of confidence in a system that doesn't deserve any confidence. And this is good for Biden because the harder Trump fights to stay in, and I think he's going to fight, it's going to get ugly. 
I think the harder he fights, the better it is for Biden. People like me who compromised when we voted for Biden, we're now emotionally invested in Biden for no other reason than we're terrified of Trump. I watched myself over the weekend. I saw how Trump refused to concede and my blood boiled. And I I thought how much I want to see this guy frog marched out of the White House. And I, I forgot how much I want to see Biden and Harris frog marched out of the White House. I think too many of us are getting emotionally invested in Biden and Harris because they represent stability. We all want stability. And that that's good for Biden because he's an old guard Democrat. They're all about stability. They're all about nothing fundamentally changing. So the scarier Trump is, the less the Democrats will ever have to do for us. It's... Uh, I don't know. I don't see Trump leaving. I just don't. And I don't see the Republicans getting behind Trump, uh, getting behind Trump and saying, it's time for you to leave. I think they're terrified of, of the compromise. I think they're, they're, they're terrified of Trump's thugs, foreign and domestic. We've already seen that Senator Lindsey Graham and his husband, Reverend Franklin Graham, are calling the election a fraud, and they're telling Trump to keep fighting. Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader in the House, is saying that Trump should fight. So far, no word from Mitch McConnell on whether or not Trump lost. I think McConnell is still savoring a 20, he's savoring a 20-point victory over Amy McGrath. Ted Cruz Think about this. Ted Cruz wouldn't endorse Trump at the Republican convention in 2016. Do you remember Trump and Cruz? Do you remember Cruz spoke at the convention in Cleveland and got booed because he wouldn't endorse Trump? Well, now he's calling this election a fraud. Ted Cruz is calling the election a fraud. And so Trump will fight on and and slow things down and he'll look for faithless electors and he will threaten, he will threaten the Republicans if they don't get in line. The Republicans are terrified of him, and so are the Democrats. We are looking at the face of fascism, and that's good for Biden. We will be so relieved just to have gotten rid of this monster that Biden will be able to lull us back to sleep, pass a few executive orders that reverse Trump's executive orders, some of his executive orders, they will be cosmetic attempts to calm us down. This was not the blue wave that we should have had because Biden offered nothing. Now, there will be a blue wave in about seven years when the ocean crashes over the coastal cities because Biden wouldn't put an end to fracking. I don't see Trump going, and I think there are going to be a lot of suicides, drug overdoses. I think a lot of people are going to be disappearing in the Republican Party. Well, the defense secretary has been fired. Maybe he stood up to Trump. I don't know. But nobody in the Republican Party will stand up to him because he's a mobster and they're afraid of getting killed. David Bossie 
from Citizens United, head of Citizens United. He's in charge of Trump's legal challenges. He's announced that he's tested positive for coronavirus. Dr. Ben Carson, head of Housing and Urban Development, says he's now tested positive for the virus. Trump's Cretinous chief of staff, Mark Meadows, says he's tested positive. I think we'll be seeing a lot of so-called Trump loyalists claiming they tested positive so they can keep their head down during this transition, so they can phone in sick and have some kind of excuse and not have to worry about getting rubbed out by Trump because he's a mobster. I think a lot of people who are close to Trump are pretending they have COVID just to exit with <laughs> with their body intact. I think you're going to see a lot of suicide attempts and drug overdoses in the Republican Party. That guy, Brad Parscale, the, the former campaign manager, tried to kill himself, uh, OD'd, threatened to shoot himself, allegedly punched his wife around. He's in some rehab. You're, you're, you're going to see a level of ugliness that uh, we've been seeing for the past four years because Trump plays hardball. He has compromise on the entire GOP. There's dirt on everyone in Washington, D.C., especially the Republican Party. We may find out something horrible like Lindsey Graham is straight. We don't know. Now, you remember the Steele dossier? That was a a document put together by an ex-British spy. It's probably bogus, but he suggested that Putin videotaped Trump in Moscow with hookers engaging in water sports. And so Trump was susceptible to blackmail because of that. It doesn't matter whether or not the dossier is true or not. The point I'm making is we all thought that Steele dossier came to us from Clinton's lawyers, Hillary Clinton's lawyers, which that dossier did come. But it was originally commissioned by Senator Ted Cruz when he was running for the Republican nomination back in 2016. That's where the Steele dossier originally came from. Ted Cruz was trying to dig up dirt on Trump. Then he lost and the dossier went over to Hillary. But originally, Cruz was trying to find dirt on Trump. Cruz is now standing by Trump because Trump was digging up dirt on Cruz. So they all have dirt on everyone. Ted Cruz does not like Donald Trump, but the Trump White House is the mafia. And the real dirt isn't the dirt that's going to be dug up. It's the dirt that's going to be thrown on top of some of these bodies if they don't get in line. People are going to disappear. This is a, this is a mobster. Donald Trump is a front for mobsters. This is the dirtiest White House in American history. And as Trump is slowly abandoned, hopefully, drip by drip, I think they're giving him time. They're hoping he'll change. He's not going to change. They're hoping drip by drip he'll accept his fate. He's not. He's going to take the whole city down with him. You are going to see Republicans disappearing. You're going to see suicides, drug overdoses. You watch 
the entire GOP is in a defensive crouch right now. Prepare, prepare for the mother load of compromise to start coming out. Remember 2017? Remember Ronan Farrow and all those Me Too stories back in 2017? You're go- There's going to be a tsunami of stories coming out about Republicans and Democrats. Well, if he leaves, and I'm not so sure he is. I'm not so sure. I think he'll be gone, but I think it'll get ugly. And the longer Trump drags us out, the better it's going to be for Biden. Because the only fraud at the ballot box this November was the guy we elected president. Biden isn't going to bring the country together. He's going to lull some of us back to sleep. And for those of us who want to push the party and the country to the left, we're going to be kicked to the side. Joe Biden's coattails, non-existent. He's not getting the Senate. He didn't flip the state houses. The Dems barely kept the House. It should have been a landslide. And who are they blaming? The left. The left. Meanwhile, look at who Joe is eyeing for his cabinet. Rahm Emanuel and Meg Whitman, which is crazy. Meg Whitman? Why would she join his cabinet? Why would she ever leave her job at Quibi? Well, let us now go. I mean, she's doing so well with Quibi. She's such a successful woman. I mean, you know, why would she want to do that? Uh, Let's go to Melania. Do we have Melania here? Is Melania here? I think we have the First Lady with us. First Lady Melania Trump, are you here? Hello, David. I can't see you, First Lady Melania Trump. Do you have a uh, a picture? I'm having technical difficulties. Oh, we, yeah, I One understand. Moment, How are you? Please. There you go. There's that beautiful Bye. face, Melania. Shut please up. welcome. Please welcome. I do not know why I cannot there you see are. myself. There you are. There we I see am. you. There you are. Please. One moment. One moment. Okay. Technical difficult. Please, please welcome the, the First Lady ah, of the United States, First Lady Melania Trump. <laughs> How are you feeling? I, I know you, you got the... Vo- oh, you still got that COVID cough, huh? Yeah. Really let it out. You, you really need to clear those lungs because it could turn into pneumonia. <coughs> That's it. That's it. Let it out. Anyway, how are you feeling, Melania? Hi, oh, Davey. I am okay. You okay? There are rumors. Yes, there are rumors that you... Yeah. Uh, maybe you need a glass of water. Uh, there are rumors that you inject... <laughs> That you and Jared are urging your husband to concede the race. Stop with the fucking racism bullshit already, Davy. No, the race, the race, the race. Tonald is not conceding on the races. Tonell is the least racist white man who I give my money, I know. Who give me money, I know. He gives you money. And you give him yes. money. He, and yes. I was talking about the race. I, I wasn't calling 
him a racist, but he is a racist. And you're, I mean, with all due respect, he's a racist. Nine, Tonel is the least racist white man who give me money I know. Okay, but... He knew Malcolm X when he was just Malcolm W. <laughs> he knew Malcolm X as a little child. Okay. Yes, Donald but- even marched with the Martin Luther King's juniors. <laughs> he 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 marched with who? Martin Luther King's junior. M- Martin Luther King. I, I didn't know Donald Trump marched with Martin Luther King Jr. Yes, he helped carry the fire hoses while they were walking. <laughs> oh, so when they were going over the bridge in Selma. The Pettus Bridge, uh, you're saying Trump was on the side of the cops? No, he was stealing from the fire department. (laughs) That's not nice, stealing from the Selma Fire Department. So, oh, so he was on the side of the marchers. No, Davy, the fire department was putting out a fire at the black church. Oh, so he was on the side of the racists. No, he thought the church was full of Mormons. <laughs> okay, <laughs> never mind. First Lady Melania Trump, aren't you concerned that your husband isn't going to be president any longer? Who the why in the fuck cares already, <laughs> Davey? Uh, all right, well. Uh, Melania has no worries. Okay. I made Tornell sign a prenuptial <laughs> agreement before he put his thing in me to manufacture Byron or Barton or Barton, whatever the fuck his name you're is. Your kid. That's one of your kids. So, so okay, it, it's it's pronounced Donald. Tornell. Donald. Tornell. Duh. Duh. Uh. Uh, mm. Mm. Al. Duh. Donald. Tonel. So you and your husband, uh, you're ready to accept your loss? Any chance? Tonel believes every legal, not illegal, vote should be counted. Okay. We must protect our democracy with complete transparency. Okay. Complete transparency. Complete complete transparency. By the way, complete transparency was name of short Melania film where I play nude secretary covered in tracing paper. Complete (laughs) transparency. (laughs) I love that. I saw that many times. Yes, Melania used post-it note to hide private parts. I remember I had dumb stuff I got to do today over Melania's turd tunnel. <laughs> or what? Your what? My turd tunnel. Your, your third, your turd tunnel. Turd tunnel. Your turd tunnel. Turd tunnel. I, I don't know what that. I don't know what that means. Okay. I'm not talking tunnel. Okay, turd and so these are, uh, turd tunnel. I don't know what that means. And, but and, you had post-it notes. I remember you had post-it notes, yes. like dumb stuff I got to do today, and, and 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 you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps over my hoo ha. <laughs> okay, I remember that. Yes, I remember those post-it notes. I think that covers all of them. 
I also had hang in there, baby, over my teeth. I remember that as well. Yes, I remember that. I, I show you them now? No, no, no. Thank you. But thank you. So I sense you're not concerned that he lost the presidency. And Who in the fuck cares already? Tonelt and I are about to start Trump TV and got real Richard. You know, that's I've heard of rumors about that. Trump That's TV. That's right, Davey. Trump TV. Trump TV. Yeah. Trump, TV mm-hmm. Trump TV with compelling programs <laughs> that will literally grab you by the pussy. <laughs> compelling pogroms. Yes. Okay. Do, do you like to hear some shows on the Trump TV? Sure. Davey? Maybe I could get hired. Absolutely. What are some of the shows? Who wants to be a millionaire who never pays taxes? <laughs> Who never pays taxes? That sounds great. Law and Order, Special Trump Victims Unit. (laughs) Yes. How I Met Your Mother While Cheating on My Wife. (laughs) House of Lards. House of Lards, that sounds... House of Lards. You know what's great about these? I have to say... Melania, First Lady Melania, that these are pretty tame titles. I was worried that they were going to be a little offensive and and cross the line. But I have to say, none of these titles aren't TV friendly. These are all appropriate. Any others? Well, do not forget the unrapable Kimmy Schmidt. I spoke yes. too. I spoke too soon. <laughs> I spoke. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, you crossed the line there. Well, I, I you know, I got to say, we all look forward to that. <laughs> the, we Thank all look you, forward. We all look forward to that that kind of quality program. We all look forward to uh, that kind of quality programming. Thank you, Davey. I typed it in Times New Roman to ensure funniness. <laughs> yes. Thank you for that. Thank you for talking with us, First Lady Melania Trump. Goodbye, Davey. And remember, I really don't care if you get sick. Do you? <laughs> I, yes, I do. The homeless can all live in my empty B-Best boxes and shut the fox up, okay? <laughs> okay. This is future, no longer First Lady Melania saying, slow down to the Milosevic, (laughs) to you and yours, Jaime Persson. And fuck this Christmas, Christmas Christmas shit with all the decorations and shit. Fuck Mm. off already. Okay, thank you very much, First Lady Melania Trump. I guess she was talking to us from the White House. First Lady Melania Trump. Thank you. Well, that is always exciting to talk to the First Lady of uh, the United States. We are in the midst of a great show today. We really are. When we come back, we're going to talk to Jeff Hauser about the revolving door that's about to start with the Trump presidency. We will be right back.
sake pretty Hot times in the city I'm feeling kinda bad Seven to eight hours twice a week Don't have time to take a leak Hot times in the city Jeff Hauser is the founder and director of the Revolving Door Project, which scrutinizes executive branch appointees to ensure they use their office to serve the broad public interest rather than to entrench corporate power or seek personal advancement. Welcome, Jeff. For uh, Thank you for doing the show. How are you? Uh, my pleasure. It's great to be here. Uh, busy times. I know. And I thank you for taking time. Well, before we talk about the revolving door, how confident are you that Trump is going to use his door to leave? Seriously. I, I think that two things can be true at the same time. One is we have been living in scary times and our democracy has been showing some significant state of being in tattered. <laughs> so people can have had very reasonable concerns. And on the other hand, be optimistic that the worst case scenario is not occurring. Uh, Donald Trump to do the worst sort of things would need a lot more support than he is receiving. I think that's not because the Republican Party is rejecting his claims outright in the way they should. In fact, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell made statements on the floor this afternoon, which are pretty repulsive about, you know, the uncertainty that still surrounds the presidential race. That's that's bogus. There's no historical uh, precedent for viewing the, the results where they are now in that way. So with, with but, Mitch, I, I want to talk about the revolving door in a second. But when you hear Mitch McConnell saying that we don't have a clear determination yet, who in the Republican Party... I mean, we have a problem with the Republican Party, don't we? They have to they have to admit defeat. They don't seem to be doing that yet, do they? Yeah, the Republican Party is in a very scary place, and it will remain in a scary place if and when Donald Trump is in Mar-a-Lago, potentially facing like legal liability. The Republican Party has been in this place since at least 2000. I, I think Bushri Gore finally has gotten some um, recollection in our consciousness because of the stance of the last few months and, you know, some TV movies and the like. It is, the Republican Party is an anti-democratic entity at this point, and it represents a lot of people. All right. I, I, I'm just amazed, and then we'll talk about the revolving door in a second. I'm just amazed at how much confidence everybody has in this system the media 
the New York Post, Murdoch's rag, the New York Post and the Wall Street Journal and Fox, they seem to be doing a pretty good job of controlling the Democratic narrative and saying Trump lost. I can only imagine what it would be like right now if if Murdoch was putting his thumb on the scale for Trump right now. Yes, it would be a lot more dangerous. Um, It would be extremely dangerous. Um, And the capacity of Fox to be that sort of threat with a president who is slightly more competent or slightly more popular uh, will remain um, into the future. And progressives and Democrats need to plan accordingly. Yeah, it it really, uh, it, it falls on the lap of Rupert Murdoch who owns the New York Post, the Wall Street Journal, and Fox News, they create the feedback loop. Without the Post, the Wall Street Journal, and Fox News, owned by Rupert Murdoch, then Breitbart, the Washington Examiner, Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin, they can't activate the feedback loop. It's a lot of power given to somebody who was made an American citizen because Ted Kennedy agreed to let him buy some television stations back in the late 80s. He, it, Rupert Murdoch, you want to talk about immigration. The biggest mistake this country ever made was giving citizenship to Rupert Murdoch. But that's not why you're here. The revolving door. How... What is the revolving door? So my listeners understand it. And for example, our defense secretary, the one who was just fired, Esper, is is he an example of the revolving door? Sure. I mean, he is a lobbyist from a company with enormous business for the federal government who became defense secretary. And he, despite the somewhat ignominious end, although what other type of end is there from the Trump administration? Right. Uh, he will likely return to a government contractor soon. And that's the that's the revolving around that is the going into government, going out of government and using your time in each to enrich or empower you um, across the way and to build your individual brand and your individual riches rather than being focused on the public interest. All right. Well, I want to use my limited time with you to look first at the Trump administration which was a caricature of the revolving door. And then we'll talk about Biden and what, you know, what Obama taught us, what is possible or not possible. How bad was the Trump administration when it comes to the revolving door? Was anybody in that administration not part of the revolving? Is there any are there any exceptions? I think the biggest exception, which they're trying to get to belatedly, is that they their attack on civil servants was both considerable but was finite. And so you still had people like Anthony Fauci, who are at the senior accepted service level. Um, and so there's some expertise left in the government, which is obviously a lot better than not having a figure like Fauci during a pandemic. So I think that the war on expertise while significant and there were enormous casualties it was not completely won by the trumpists but other than that i mean they you know you have eugene scalia at the labor department 
You have Alex Azar, the pharma lobbyist um, at HHS. Uh, and unfortunately, he's the kind of person who had a lot of power in terms of our COVID-19 response. Uh, Bill Barr himself, I mean, people forget about this, but Bill Barr was Verizon's general counsel and then a big law guy. Um, the government was built from the beginning. They had these quote-unquote landing teams uh, during the transition. They were made up of lobbyists. It was designed by lobbyists for lobbyists and for their clients. And that is the agenda that they set themselves to pursue. And I think they've done it shockingly well. Yeah, I'm looking back at four years. The Interior Department was turned over to mining lobbyists. Uh, Wilbur Ross, is he commerce? Yes, he's commerce. Well, at least he matters a lot. I'm sorry, your commerce. Uh, well, Wilbur Ross was a, a self-made man, or, or came into it as a as a purportedly a millionaire. So he didn't need. To, he, he's not going to end up as a lobbyist, right? Oh no, no, no. and I, I think actually, despite like even the term lobbyist for itself has two meanings. One is what we generally understand, which is somebody who knows a lot of people in governance and can. Uh, grease the wheels for people. Um, that's how we generally understand it. And then in DC, there's a narrower definition of people who register to be a lobbyist. And lots of people who do things that you or I would consider to be lobbying are not actually technically lobbyists. And Wilbur Ross, while he was not actually the Forbes hates that guy because the Forbes puts out their list of billionaires and they have had him because he basically committed fraud upon Forbes, but he's still super rich and he's very old. So, but he'll probably join the board of a bunch of companies. He'll do stuff where he can make some phone calls and he'll definitely still get in probably somewhat on the influence selling game. But right. yeah, it's a little different than necessarily just registering as a lobbyist. And you have over at EPA, uh, Wheeler. I forgot the name of the other guy who was there before. Scott him. Who was Scott Pruitt? These were coal and energy people who are funded i mean it's just it's it's just incredible uh rick perry goes to the the former governor of texas goes to ukraine as the secretary of energy and is making oil deals for um, for american for texas companies oil companies are there people who think who, who think, well, that's the job of an energy secretary. It's to protect the energy sector overseas. Is there any justification for that? No, I think what happens is that the politics in this country are so much about the personalities of the top handful of figures. And they're not nearly enough about what it, what politics really is about, which is deciding what the government does and even the conversation about what the government does or does not do tends to be focused on legislation. What the executive branch does is manage to in, and enforce all the laws that have been passed over the last 200 and, you know, near, more than 30 years. So there's a lot of law on the books. So even if the Biden administration doesn't have any signing ceremonies on any new law, they're going to have everything from the Sherman Antitrust Act, the 19th century law to the Clean Water Act, to the Clean Air Act, to the Occupational Safety Act, they're gonna have a ton of law to interpret. And that's what the executive branch does, but 
but our conversation, our politics are not really about what does the government do. Right. Well, what did we learn from the Obama administration? I seem to recall that he did pass an executive order limiting former White House employees. They, they had to wait two years. Was it two or three years before they could work as lobbyists? But they found loopholes. Was Obama any good at, at stopping the revolving door, at least in the White House? He, uh, so Obama had the best ethics order of any president ever. It was his day one executive order on ethics. Um, and it was definitely an improvement. I'd say the biggest problem is that it focused on lobbyists that are formally registered as such rather than lobbyists who are effectively lobbyists. Um, but it definitely, his administration had fewer lobbyists than its predecessors. Whenever they did hire a lobbyist, they gave a public waiver, which was an explanation as to why this person was necessary. And people did not go back into lobbying. That doesn't mean influence peddling ended, but I'd say Obama was not perfect, but Obama was better than his predecessors in this regard, not, and obviously better than his successor. And so there definitely was a positive trajectory from Clinton to Obama. I noticed that the people fighting Medicare for all the past two years are lobbyists whose previous jobs were with the Obama administration. And there's no way he can stop that. There's no way you is it a First Amendment issue? Is there any way to say it is against the law for anybody who works in the federal government to take a job on Wall Street, at Wall Street or K Street, like there's any difference? Is there any law that can be passed or would the Supreme Court say it's a First Amendment? You know, money is speech and there's no way you can prevent federal employees from working as lobbyists, right? So, I mean, you asked a few very good questions there. I mean, there are laws that are proposed that would significantly strengthen the ethics regime that Obama started but did not complete. Um, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren and Pramila Jayapal in the House have introduced um, an anti-corruption bill that is pretty far-reaching um, and limits significantly. You basically would sign an agreement to not that would be enforceable in various ways to not move forward um, with that kind of job. Uh, you can't. There definitely are limits on the limits you can impose on corporate entities from lobbying um, writ large uh, due to the way the First Amendment is currently interpreted by courts and has to some extent for a while, though it's obviously gotten worse with Citizens United and the like uh, corporate free speech claims uh, there. So there's a lot you can do. There's what are you? You're head of the Revolving Door Project. What what to you in, in the best of all possible worlds? What would be the legislation that Biden and Pelosi would pass on day one? What what? in your mind, would be the solution to all this nonsense? I mean, so we would build on um, Warren's anti-corruption plan and place very strict limits on the jobs to which you could go after you leave and the jobs from which you can immediately come. We would say that you, if you're an entity has significant business before a given agency, 
you would, depending on your seniority or uh, depending on various circumstances, from two to six year prescription on employment. And we would also define employment to include consulting for lobbying for being at a law firm and having them as your client. Because, I mean, basically you have to understand that when you write anti-corruption law, you're gonna have some of the best paid white collar lawyers in the world figuring out the loopholes. And the reality is you can never write the perfect law. And a lot of our laws have really not been changed since the wake of Nixon in the seventies. And so there's a huge need to rewrite our ethics laws to take into account the loophole seeking that has accreted over time and has become normalized in Washington. Washington is really bad. So there are good laws to pass, but there, it's not like you're going to pass one law and then the situation is going to go away forever. Yeah, this is really interesting. And, I, you know, I'm so naive about corruption in Washington, D.C. I always thought a lobbyist only worked in the Capitol. That's where it comes from, you know, the, the the lobby of the Capitol, and that's why they're called lobbyists. But then during the Clinton, the Clinton, the uh, Trump impeachment, I read that there were lobbyists at the State Department, that there were people lobbying the State Department who had access to State Department officials. I read that Rudy Giuliani was lobbying the president, that it was possible to get inside the White House and legally lobby people in the executive branch. And I look back at that scene on the tarmac in 2016. The attorney general, Loretta Lynch, had ordered, well, she didn't order it. Comey had ordered an investigation of Hillary's emails and Loretta Lynch was on the tarmac somewhere. I think it was Arizona. And former President Bill Clinton was also on the tarmac. And he arranged a meeting with Loretta Lynch, the attorney general. And as I understand it, he kind of lobbied her to find it in her heart to let this email thing go. Is it possible to lobby an attorney general? Is it possible to that there are lobbyists at the FBI who are influence peddling? Where does it? I always just thought it was our Congress people, our Senate that was being lobbied. But it's it's legal to for people to do this in all branches of government, in all offices. Well, I mean, to some extent, it's inevitable because it goes down to the fact that what can sound like lobbying on the one hand, it can also be, you have a case, um, you're, you're Walmart and you violate the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act and there is an ongoing investigation in which there needs to be cooperation between the Justice Department and the law firm of Walmart to figure out, like we're gonna go visit your office in Brazil and we're gonna find these documents and we're, we need to hear these witnesses and we're gonna take depositions and then we're gonna negotiate a settlement and then, like, is the negotiation of a settlement lobbying? Well, it's not really not lobbying, but you can't say that the corporation's not going to have lawyers. Um, and obviously, you're going to hire people like Mary Jo White, uh, who's the former SEC chair, very disappointing pick by Obama. Who, she does a ton of Foreign Corrupt Practices Act uh, work. So the point is that I don't think you can eliminate this entirely. And so what you need to do is you need to 
reduce its influence in as many ways as possible. Um, some of that is to make it less attractive to people to leave government and go into the private sector. And some is to discourage a certain type of person from leaving the private sector and getting experience in the government. And so that these relationships can be more standoffish so that people are not collegial with each other because they are uh, past, future, and former colleagues of each other. Uh, so, I mean, what we joke about internally at Revolving Door Project is we want to make career jobs career length again. Right. We like the idea of someone like Anthony Fauci, who's 79 years old, who has been a celebrity in certain circles since the AIDS crisis at a minimum, who could have been making 10 to 100 times as much money each year since, essentially. Pharma boards would have loved to have a figure of Fauci's uh, prestige, which, again, as I said, he's been an important person for 30 to 50 years. Um, we want more people like Fauci. We want people who are career civil servants exercising real power. Well, the, the, we want the, yeah, Jeff, to me, the problem is lawyers. It always gets down to lawyers. <laughs> And maybe it's how we accredit lawyers. Shouldn't it be, I know this, they would never allow this, but when you go to law school, you get a degree in defense law or you get a degree in prosecution law and you pass the bar in, or you take a, an examination in prosecution law and then your law degree is as a prosecutor so that when you go to I'm, I'm getting really worked up about this so that when you leave law school and pass the prosecutor's bar you have to go study for the defense attorney's bar if you want to flip sides i mean you talk about mary joe white who at one time was a renowned prosecutor and she's she's part of the revolving door shouldn't they split up these law degrees and the in these these bar exams into specializations that automatically create walls to prevent lawyers from going back and forth why aren't they doing that i mean it's worse than that i mean lawyers no, no, but isn't that a good idea yeah i mean lawyer i de i definitely think there should be less permeable barriers between these sides like you should be recognized there, I mean, none of these guys can pass the bar. You know, Michael Steele, the the Republican turncoat, could never pass the bar in Washington, D.C. So he had to go on TV and go into politics. The bar is really hard to pass and they should make the bar harder. To, are you a lawyer? I am. I'm not going to ask you if you pass the bar, but I know a lot of most if you don't pass the bar, you become a law professor we need to crack down on lawyers in this country and, and and we have we have to make the bar harder to pass and more specific why isn't that a good idea jeff why isn't it a good idea to say you want to practice you want to be a corporate lawyer then there's a specific bar exam and you better know your stuff and it has nothing to do with defense law we're going to test your knowledge of corporate law you want to be a prosecutor there's a very specific bar exam and you better study up that would that would solve all the problems on k street you wouldn't have these lawyers who are like rudy giuliani you think he could you think rudy giuliani could pass another bar exam again if he wanted to switch sides why don't you uh, push for that uh, i mean 
I, I think the only thing I would add is that. What, but why don't this, you push in all seriousness? Why is that not a great idea? Well, I think there is a tendency to try to figure out a profession by which you can, you being the powerful people can corrupt the system. And if it's not lawyers, they'll create uh, a paralegalist job or some other mechanism. Um, I mean, there are like, there are scandals about the CPAs in Washington and the PCAOB and the efforts of the big four accounting firms to uh, undermine the safeguards that were put in place in 2002 in Sarbanes-Oxley after the uh, Enron scandal. Um, I, I think that lawyers are definitely at the forefront right now, in part because they're able to, but we the systemic corruption uh, is not inherent, is not disproportionately about law, it's about politics. Right. Uh, and the profession is corrupted because the political economy of this country is corrupted. No, well, it's the lawyers and, and, and it's the law schools. The law, it's the law schools. We're well, talking about Medicare for all. I mean, like there have been, you know, a fair number of doctors who are uh, pretty dead set against Medicare for all. I think there are a lot of professions that can figure out ways to be self-serving. I'm right. But we, we don't want to defend the legal profession, but I would. It's just, the uh, law. I, I don't mean to be you're a guest on my show and I want you to come back. But lawyers, this professional courtesy, it, it's a profession that's diseased. It, it, and and, and it, the law schools, as Ralph Nader say, says they don't teach. They teach lawlessness. They don't teach you how to obey the law. They teach you how to circumvent the law. The pro- it's, it starts in the cradle. There are some very interesting uh, efforts to try to address some of this. There's the Law and Political Economy Project, which is housed um, out of Yale and Columbia Law Schools with some very good progressive figures. Uh, someone I know, uh, Raul Carrillo, uh, just joined there. There are a bunch of great people there. There's the People's Parity Project, which is another effort to try to just get people to hold law firms accountable for the actions they're taking and to try to create static when, let's say like, for instance, I've been emailing with them about Jones Day, which is a big time, one of the largest law firms in the world. They've been one of uh, Trump's go-to law firms in order to try to seek to suppress the vote. And we want to make all of the people at Jones Day toxic. I mean, Another one of the law firms that you should be aware of is King and Spalding out of Atlanta. They hired a very prominent person in 2017 by the name of Sally Yates. Sally Yates is going to try to become attorney general um, and is definitely involved in the transition. She already was attorney general. She was acting attorney general and she's going to seek it. And she, yes, it's good that she opposed the Muslim man. Like, I mean, I I would hope any decent human being would, but it's great that she did. She got fired, but like she was going to get fired. I mean, she was a Democrat. She was not going to be carried over by Donald Trump much longer than she had been. Uh, but she went to King and Spalding. King Where and Spalding. did Eric Holder come from? Covington and Burling. And so, yeah, we've been extremely critical of Eric Holder. And not only that, Holder brought with him to the Justice Department this guy named Lanny Brewer, who was in charge of DOJ criminal. He didn't find and, anything. He wouldn't prosecute the banks. Exactly. And then Lenny Brewer returned to Covington and Burring along with Holder. 
I think before Holder did, but they both returned to Covington and Burling. And so, yeah, there are definitely these very corrupt law firms. So out there. I have the sol- I'm handing you the greatest idea that would solve this problem. And, and you're you're glossing over it. Make I, the I, make, I guess I'm just more cynical. And, well, then, you know, then, then you're not going to solve. I, I, I want you to come back, and I want you to talk about Biden. Uh, that would be great. But, but I, I, I hate to. It's a very simple solution, and I'm going to repeat it. And I know everybody's rolling their eyes. The bar exam. There should be separate bar exams. If you want to be a prosecutor, you have to take a bar exam to be a prosecutor. You want to flip and defend people, then there's a separate bar that exam that you have to study for. And that would weed out Rudy Giuliani. And you maybe have to give up your other your your license. If you if you're going to be a prosecutor, then you have to give up your license for five years to be a defense attorney. Why? What? What is simpler than that? I mean, what is simpler than saying if you're going to be a prosecutor, then you have a a license to be a prosecutor. If you want to flip, you get you can flip. There, you have to. There are time constraints. Why isn't that a great idea? I think it just would not solve the entire problem because I think you can exercise influence by, without a JD um, under the status quo. But I mean, it's definitely interesting. And I definitely think that uh, putting more and more scrutiny on uh, law schools, the practice of law, the deference to the American Bar Association, the deference to state bar associations getting to determine who should and should not be a lawyer, mandating, governing their own standards. There's, it's very anti-democratic in a small D sense right. how uh, much lawyers get to self-regulate. You, in other words, I don't have a law degree, so I cannot go represent somebody in court, right? I have to pass the bar in order to Yes, there are. And the bar is like, so that's a monopoly on the licensing of law that is accorded to the incumbent lawyers. And uh, we believe in antitrust that revolving door project. And so we definitely are opposed to the ways in which and you but you also see these similar um, approaches in other sectors. You see doctors trying to make sure that certain practices can only be done by MDs when uh, RN should be able to do it. You sometimes see RNs doing stuff like that other that somewhat less skilled, but still skilled people could do. I mean, it, do you think common. we have too many lawyers in this country? I mean, you could argue it either way, like maybe too few people are allowed to do things which are lawyer like, but too many people are three year JDs. Because we, if we want to break down the monopoly, some of the work that is being done by lawyers, not that the work is all bad, but whether or not there should be a limiting force of the JD and a bar exam designed by lawyers to uh, implement the vision and interests of the incumbent class of lawyers, definitely attacking their uh, monopoly is something I can get behind. Right, right. Fantastic. Very quickly, Meg Whitman. Is that for real? Is is Biden seriously considering? considering? I, I don't believe so. I think Meg Whitman lost so much uh, esteem with Quibi. I don't know why she had any after her run at HP, but I think it's just useful to somebody like Meg Whitman to have her name floated. 
Are you optimistic about his cabinet? Are you optimistic that he can improve upon the lobbying laws that Obama or the orders, the executive orders that Obama placed? I mean, Biden's whole family has gotten rich influence peddling. That's not an overstatement, right? That's fair to say that the Biden family. I mean, yeah, there's definitely the brother, the son stuff. is an influence. I mean, they're influence but peddlers. Bo was not. Bo was I. Bo was genuinely a, an excellent uh, public servant. By I know many people who worked with him. Uh, I agree. There are several other figures uh, about whom uh, the. Uh, you know, who are not like uh, Bo and are problematic. Um, and like the fixation on Hunter, you know, Hunter is not the only person, the only issue. Right. Jeff Hauser, thank you for coming on. We've only scratched the surface. This is one of the most frustrating subjects. It's why people don't vote. It's one of the reasons is people don't vote and they have so much contempt for Washington, D.C., and it's why Trump got something like 65 to 70 million votes. They just want to take a wrecking ball to 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 this because it's people come to Washington not to do good work. They do it to pad their resume and and look for money. It's just it's disgusting, isn't it? It's just absolutely disgusting. the problem is lawyers. I, I mean that. Not you, but the, the problem is the legal profession. And they, 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 they don't need to clean up their act. There has to be laws passed to rein in the, the surplus lawyers in this country. They're, they're, they're just, there are too many lawyers out there looking for ways to make money. They just are. And uh, they have to be reined in. Maybe uh, during the pandemic, these law schools will go under. That would be a good thing if more and more law schools disappeared. Um, Jeff Hauser, executive director of the Revolving Door Project, and he's written for a broad array of media outlets, Bloomberg, Politico, The Washington Post, The Hill, The Daily Beast, The Guardian, The, Inter- the Great Intercept, Congressional Quarterly Magazine, Vice. And you work for three years, uh, for three years over at the AFL-CIO. That must have been yeah. great. Thank you so much, Jeff, for coming My on. Pleasure. How do people follow you on Twitter? Um, at Jeff Hauser, H-A-U-S-E-R. Are you a Twitter person or? I am, for better or for worse. Yeah. Eh, they cleaned up their act the past week. They started censoring Donald Trump. Thank you so much, Jeff. All right. Take care. Please come back. Thank you. Well, look who has joined us, who has graced us. It is Aaron Berg. When we come back, we are going to be joined by somebody we haven't seen in, uh, in quite a while. We're going to be joined by everybody's favorite comedian, the brilliant Aaron Berg. We'll be right back. Okay, all flight controllers, go, no, go for landing. Retro. Go. Fido. Go. Guidance. Go. Control. Go. Telcom. Go. GNC. Go. Ecom. Go. Surgeon. Go. Capcom, we're go for landing. Eagle Houston, you're go for landing. Over. I understand. Go for landing. 3,000 feet. 
You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program. You sad, pathetic hump. Oh, I lost the thing. I was looking for the theme song, Aaron. I apologize. How are you? Uh, I'm masking up. I don't know if you've heard. I turned on the news and there's a virus going around. <laughs> so I, What? I, 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 it blew my mind. No. Apparently. Yes. Uh, I, I'm masking up everywhere now. Everything has changed for me since I've heard the new Biden thing. I would like you to reintroduce me by my pronouns, please. Okay. He, him, man, fellow, <laughs> gentle, fellow, long fellow, coxman, <laughs> penis smith. These are my new pronouns. I am part of Biden's America. And if anybody wants a red light, I'm blaming it on Joe. Good old Joe. What a, what a time to be alive, David. I am so excited. Now, you know, and everyone that watches your show thinks I'm a Trump guy because the way I talk and look and the rallies I go to. But let me be very clear. I am very happy. I am now part of the counterculture. You can't come at me because I'm going up against the system now. So it's very exciting. My wife, super excited the other day. I haven't talked to you in a while. Uh, there yeah. was a cancel attempt on me recently. This was back in the Trump uh, years, like three weeks ago. Yeah. But uh, I, I saw they reached out to you and they were like, David Feldman, how could you have this man on your show? They did reach out to me. I saw that. I'm, I'm how did you know they happens. reached out to me? They, they, I'm, I'm very aware of what happens in the Twitterverse. And uh, there can, was can I lot. talk about it? Uh, by the way, you haven't, True. I haven't had any comedians on because right. after Labor Day, believe it or not, I've been all in on uh, what's his name, the the guy who supposedly won the uh, presidency. Was now you're here's what I love about you is that you're so liberal, but you still get upset because you know the difference between right and wrong. Last night. So hang on for coke. one second. So what? So I was told here's yeah. the thing. I don't watch Anthony Cumia. Here, here are my thoughts about Anthony Cumia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never listened to Opie and Anthony. I don't listen to Howard Stern. Uh, I got better things to do. You're your own style of shock jock. I respect that. No, I mean, if I'm going to listen to something in the morning, it's going to be uh, something a little more nourishing than... Uh, people like Howard Stern, Anthony Cumia. It is my understanding. I have heard that Howard Stern and Opie and Anthony and some of these shock jocks work the edge and are very hostile and they say racist, sexist, homophobic things and they call it humor. And it is my understanding that Anthony Cumia. Uh, has crossed the line, kind of like the way Nick DiPaolo has crossed the line. I think when you uh, talk about people's politics and then um, add those on to the style of comedy that they do, people usually don't have a good outlook on that type of thing. If, if they if they pin somebody as in this political arena and then go, oh, but their comedy's this too, then they go, oh, they must be this. Um, so, you know, stuff like that happens. And I was, uh, I saw Nick, I, I saw Nick, I, I, Nick is funny as hell. I know Kumia that is funny. As I hell. know the, that they're both hilarious. I know that. I know that. But, the, but they're also a little dangerous because 
There's you know, uh, the Proud Boys. What's his name? The guy who created the Proud Boys is funny. Gavin McInnes. He's funny. He's funny. He's a provocateur. Uh, they've changed their name to the Poor Boys uh, because of Joe Biden's trademark on it. Right. But uh, I was the the official cancelers that canceled people in comedy. So what are you getting? Me. Who's trying to cancel you? There's a group of people that go after comics that are somewhat successful and funny, and they say, here's what they did. They should not be able to work. Uh, fortunately for me, most people know the truth about me, so they knew that this was it was coming from a, a, a pretty ill person. Uh, we made a joke that said, you know, she may have killed her boyfriend. She didn't really... Her boyfriend overdosed right after she broke up with him. So she didn't physically kill him, but it was the joke. It was, it was a joke in poor taste. Uh, and then we got, we got through it because there was no real. Uh, was there porn? Were you like, did you? I, somebody said I, you showed like you revenge porn. Oh, no. Uh, her boyfriend, who's one of the cancelers, did a porno years ago, which was leaked uh, quite some time ago, where he masturbated on a cookie and then ate it. Uh, the cookie. No, not the, <laughs> and so we, yeah, we should. Oh, that famous anus. I remember that. It's not revenge porn. It's, it's stuff taken out of context where people uh, play the victim. Look, I went through this with another guy who did nothing named Bill Cosby. And we covered all of this exactly. And it's all just blown up. So... It, it was an exciting time, and uh, it, it's it's fun to go through these things. And, you know, like you said, there's, there's something about riding the edge that's fun. It's also not pleasant. And, you know, a, as a father to 18-plus children throughout this country that I don't care for, <laughs> it is important to be a positive role model. And, I, you know, I, I like to take these things as learning moments, but I'm back. I'm excited. There's change. You can feel the positivity in the air. I voted for Biden 3,918 <laughs> times, uh, mail-in ballot. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think they're still there. My dead grandmother loved him. She oh, voted good. for him 18 times. Uh, so it's fantastic. I'm excited. I, 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 was, I, I was, my grandmother, as she was casting her ballot, said to me, I just wish I was alive to see this moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just wish I was alive. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm happy to be here. I miss you. I miss I you too. I was I had no sense of humor the past sixty days because. Sorry, did you say sixty months? Because that's <laughs> what it feels like when I watch you sometimes. Uh, well, do you days. think Trump is going to go gently? Because you're friendly. You know some of these. I've people. I've golfed with him. I've hung out with him. Uh, I seriously I golf with him. No, I golf at his golf. He makes gorgeous golf courses. I like to go once in a while and just pretend that. But I'm now his, than I am. you know, you 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 can give us the inside scoop because mm -hmm. you, unlike me, you will socialize with Trump supporters. Correct? Of course. Um, Do you think if he refuses to accept the results, yeah, your friends will say, "Right on, it's this is good. This is what this country needs." I know a lot of people that are still going. Uh, the numbers are off. It's not all in. Um, and I, what is the psychology? He, well, you're a smart not, guy. What do you think is going on with these people? Do you think they really believe that? They want to believe that or they don't care? 
I think that people want to believe that. I think that there's so much stuff readily available on the internet that if you're not an independent thinker and you're just taking in other people's talking points, you're going to believe a lot of this stuff. And you're going to go, well, here's what Cerno said. And here's what, and there's these leaders in this community that sometimes make very valid, good points. You, you look at the people that were talking months ago and they go, I bet there'll be a vaccine days after the election. And then boom days after the election, a vaccine comes out. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy theory, but I'm saying there is something to what these people say. If you pick tidbits from both sides, you'll usually find the truth. But the extremists tend to be wrong a lot. And and there's a lack of independent thought. If he doesn't concede, that's very un-American. It's very un-American. And I'm not even American. I'm very un-American. So I should like that. But you're Canadian and all all you do is say you're sorry right yeah do you think he's going to concede do you think he's going to concede no i don't think so (laughs) so what's gonna i don't either so what happens i'll tell you what's gonna happen they're gonna keep pushing lawsuits the lawsuits will get thrown out some places maybe they'll have a recount and i think if he wins a recount or two then they're gonna keep pushing uh if not it's gonna come to the point where he's i think he'll leave eventually I don't know when it'll happen, but I think he'll leave. Are you worried that he are you worried that some of your friends are looking for a fight? No, it doesn't feel like that at all. People want to look. Don't you think there are certain people like Anthony Cumia and who's the, the Proud Boys guy? They, He's not really the Proud Boys guy. He started the thing as a joke. Gavin McInnes. Right. They what? They're not looking for a fight. No, no, no. They, they want, they don't have, they don't have any and, skin in this game. And so they want no. to see something that that's never happened before. And they, they're not, there's no policy that they believe in. They want to see, they would like to see people messed with, right? They want to own Antifa, the left, they want to see some suffering, don't they? I think everybody just wants to do the best for themselves. I think in terms of entertainment, I don't think people are worried about. I mean, we went in today, we did our whole new, we just branded our show. It's a brand new liberal internet show. So we did everything extremely liberal and kind and we had our pronouns and we all had hand sanitizer. We kept our masks on while we were on the air. We did everything thing that you were supposed to do. And I don't really think it's that big of a deal. I think it was, look, I'm going to say this and it sounds horrible. The last four years were the best four years of my life. Now they did not have anything to do with the president, but I had a daughter. I did well career wise. I was married. So it just coincides with that. Now, do I wear a red hat and have a rack in the back of my truck for grabbing Muslims? Yes. But it doesn't have anything to do <laughs> See, this with is, the president. Let me let me let me tell you here's what uh and I don't mean to put you on the spot here. I love you. I do. I, have you ever been Jew baited? Have you ever been Jew baited? Have you yes, ever been around once people I went to try 
can I tell you what happened? I went to uh, Russ and Daughters on Houston Street, <laughs> and I went in to buy smoked salmon, and they said, we only have this mackerel. And I go, you just jubated me. <laughs> no, have you, it's like catfishing, but with smoked fish. Have you ever How been around people? Have you ever been around people? Have you ever been the only Jew or the only African-American? I have been the only African-American. Have you ever been the only Asian? Have you ever seen the way people play with a frightened, protected class? The way men play with frightened women or they play with a frightened uh, LGBTQ. I'm just joking. I'm just I'm just joking. It's just a joke. Hey, Uh, come on. uh, And, you know, there was an old joke in Nazi Germany. That used to get a big laugh that they used to tell Jews. When is a Jew not a Jew? When he's afraid. Come on, it's just a joke. Father, you're so upset that it's just a joke. And we're just joking. It's a, um, I don't know, you live in Canada. You must have been exposed to anti-Semitism. You must have been surrounded by people who were just playing with you. Why are you right. so sensitive? But there's also a thing when you get that's to what certain- Kumia, that's what Gavin McGinnis, that's what these people do. So to, you would to have mask. to put me in that class. I'm not putting because- you in that class. I just I'm just telling you that's what they do. Yeah, I, I'm kind of a different type of Jew. I haven't seen that. I've had people joke about it, but I, I also think to be as funny as I can be as often as I am, there's a certain level of sociopath that goes into that where you shut down emotion and you just go, Oh, this is funny. This isn't funny. This is funny. This isn't funny. And if someone says something not funny, you go, that's not funny. And you know, I, I mean, I'd like to think that I'm a a big enough man to be able to do that often enough. Um, but it also, look, when I did the show called White Guys Matter years ago, people go, uh, it would be different if someone did Jew Lives Matter or something or if they did Holocaust jokes. And I said it wouldn't because as long as it falls within the realm of and, you know, that's my blessing and my curse. That's the sword that I live by. If it's funny, you can do it. So that's what I said. Look at the stairs in the background. Isn't that a lovely backdrop? Where are you? Doesn't look nice. My house. It's beautiful. How and how are so were you tense about the election? I, I'll tell you this honestly. The first day I felt weird. Then my wife cried uh, because I came early. And then she <laughs> came home early or she, you came. No, just came. Oh, ejaculated. Okay. She was so happy uh, that she and then uh, we had an argument. She goes, you know, even your mom thinks you're a closet Trump supporter. And I said, look, I'm an independent thinker. I know that a president doesn't determine everything in my life. Then I yelled MAGA and took the door open and ran outside, grabbed my tiki torches, and I said, I'll be back when I fucking get back, and you better goddamn have dinner ready. And then I came back in, and I said, I'm sorry, uh, and then went back out, came back in again, you know, because that's a, a cycle of abuse. But then she was so happy, and she knew one of the Bidens. I think she knew Bo years ago. Uh, so that night to celebrate with her, we had sex Biden style where I sniffed her hair. And then as I ejaculated, I yelled, Delaware. Thank you, Delaware. And, uh, <laughs> she's from Delaware. She's from Delaware. Yeah. And so is he. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
And um, it's look, I feel like it's a better time for most of America. Can I give you some I advice. Feel, Let me give you some advice because I'm older than okay. you and I do love yeah. you. Uh, I Nick DiPaolo mm-hmm. is funny. He's hilarious. But, but, a Patron cigar. Yes. But he has now gone over, over the edge to the point where I saw him saying things about Muslims that, uh, that he, he's saying that they should take a, uh, an axe to Pramila Jayapal's face. I mean, th- there's no question that Nick DiPaolo is trafficking in unfiltered racism. There's no question. There's just, you go watch his show. There's no question that I he's- I haven't watched his show. I did a segment with him last week and we were both dying laughing at the things we were saying. And it was, there was no real overt racism in there. There was, you know, sexuality and stuff. It was on the edge stuff, but uh, it's not, you, it's not on the edge. It's over. The, I'm telling you, I watched Nick DiPaolo. I, I used to be, he and I, I mean, he's done this. Sh- I can't have him on the show now because mm-hmm. of what he says and, and what the thing it's, it's pathological because, uh, I watched Dennis Miller self-destruct. Yeah. Dennis Miller was the funniest guy in the room. You ask yeah. anybody, like it, you put Don Rickles, uh, Robin Williams, and Dennis Miller in, in, in a room. Dennis is going to be the funniest guy in the room. Yeah. There's nobody funnier. There's nobody faster. What makes people cross this line? What, what what made Dennis? What makes what what easy? I mean, you're saying it happened to Nick, it happened to Cumia, it happened to Dennis. What is the thing that makes them cross the line? Because it, because he thought we gave because Dennis you, Miller made the mistake of thinking we gave a shit what he thought. Mm-hmm. And the fact is that Dennis is the funniest person, without a doubt. But he has a pathology. There's something he was born wrong. There's something wrong in his brain where he and he revealed in some of his early specials in the lead up to the war that shock and awe kind of gets him hard and that dead Iraqis don't bother him. It's the price of living. It's the price of living in America is we have to kill Iraqis and it's pathological he wasn't smart enough to keep that to himself we all are capable of especially comedians of thinking the darkest thoughts and we laugh at the the I you know I've always said my my sense of humor is like a, a, a prostitute's Vagina, it's fucked out. So the only thing that's going to make me laugh is something that's just way over, way over. Yeah. But I try not to do that in public. I don't try to I don't I try not to do it professionally. The mistake that Dennis Miller made is he took that darkness 
that we all have and try to make money with it by going yeah. on Fox. Right. And and then, you know, when it when it, he's got plenty of money, but then when it dries up, it's it's self-destructive. I'm sure he's looking. He doesn't think about me. I'm sure he looks at me and goes, you know, I've got five mansions in uh, Montecito. I don't yeah. get any lectures from you about self-destructing. Well, I could lecture somebody about selling their soul to the devil, which is what Dennis Miller did. He took money from weapons manufacturers. He likes his money. So uh, you can go to the dark side and make a lot of money. But it's but, but it destroys your in the end, it destroys your career. And yeah. uh I think you hang out with the wrong people. I've told you that. Why don't you invite me over for fucking Shabbat dinner so we can do yeah. some Jew baiting and then I don't got to hang out with everybody else? Why don't you invite me over? We'll have a circumcision party. We'll redo ours. We'll just uh, do it with little box cutters. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. Kumia was given too much freedom. So he got lazy. And, and, and chose the comedic path of least resistance and went with what makes every man laugh privately. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Howard Stern. I've always thought Howard Stern even yeah, more Stern so. Is, Stern's not funny anymore. I mean, but, but he... Cor- he so Stern ruined radio and turned it over to strippers. But uh, Kumia... Uh, is funny. It's he's funny. really funny, but yeah. he's lazy. He's lazy, and his comedy is—it's lazy to do the stuff that men talk about when they think nobody's listening. Let me say this: there is something that comedy has to be about, where it has to punch to the gut. But it also cannot be one note. You can't just get caught up in politics all the time. You can't just get caught up in sex all the time. You, have, Dave, I'm still going out every night and I'm talking about the things I want to talk about. And I'm doing it in front of all types of different audiences, incredibly diverse and still slamming. So there's, there is a line. There's that razor's edge where you can walk. But I get it. If you go too far over, and to me, that point is, if these audiences that are made up of everybody aren't laughing, that's when it's time to reinvestigate. Otherwise, I can think whatever I, th- I want to think. I can think my concerns politically are this. I would like cheaper health care. I would like to make more money and pay less taxes because I already pay a shit ton of taxes. That's all I really care about. Do I want a better place for everybody to live? Sure. Would I die on the hill of, I think, immigration should be this or healthcare should be this? I wouldn't because I, I don't think I'm that important. And I also think all I need to do is take care of myself and my family and do the best that I can do. And I think that it's very underrated when comedians still do so much good by making people laugh, especially in a time like now. Uh, But that's not. But here's why I disagree with you. Uh, Here's why I disagree with you. The Sackler family owns Purdue Pharmacy and they gave us Oxycontin. And if you ever saw somebody with a painful bone disease, 
you would drop to your knees and thank the Sackler family for doing good in this world by bringing us mm-hmm. Oxycontin. Okay? Comedy is like Oxycontin. This is a very good analogy. You should write this down. Yes. And just because something brings you relief doesn't mean it's necessarily good. Not all relief is good. And your friend Gavin McGinnis hides behind comedy. He, he, he like Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh, whenever all, they cross the line. These people regularly. But they, all, they use comedy. Hitler thought he was being funny. He didn't have to. He was. Mark Breslin joins us. Hello there, Mark. (laughs) Hello. Hello, everybody. Hello, Aaron. How are you? Good, Mark. I'm just being lambasted by David Feldman about the associations which I maintain in my life. Well, he shouldn't be hanging out with Anthony Cumia and Gavin McGinnis. These are bad. Well, he should be hanging out with Anthony Cumia because he makes money from him. Oh, that's true. I don't know about Gavin McGinnis, but I I know that anybody you can make money with these days is a... Is at least neutral. Right. Thank you, Mark. And I don't, uh, I, I was on one boat with Gavin and it was called the Amistad. And that was the <laughs> only time we ever hung out together. I've hung out with him once. And, but the last time I saw him was on 35th Street. He was with Anthony. I walked by. I go, look, I got to say hi real quick before we end up in a Blaze article. And then I ran down the street. You see, David's in a serious mood today, Mark. He's very upset. That because uh, I don't Biden. think this piece of shit in the Oval Office is going to leave. And I think there are people waiting to take to the streets because they just want to hurt somebody. There's no ideology other than hate and violence. That's I right. don't see I don't see Trump going. I don't. He's not going to go, but they'll bring some movers in or something. And then they'll just take him out like a piece of furniture. They'll think he's a big orange eames chair. Uh, it, it's going to be, uh, it'll be fine. You need to spend less time on the internet, spend more time with your friends and family. It's going to be fine. Biden's going to be president for two weeks until he passes <laughs> and then Kamala takes over. At that point, you'll bring in Ilhan Omar and the rest of the squad. And then anybody with no melanin in their skin will go off to internment camps. But until March, we are fine. Do you understand? It's going to be a okay. cold, dark winter. That's the point. You're the funniest man in the world. You are. There is nobody funnier than you. I think that often when I when I do shows with Dave Attell and we both make each other laugh at the end, I go, boy, I was carrying you. And he uh, he walks off and then pays me later on Venmo. <laughs> you should so much. I love so you, buddy. You say that to me. All right. You guys have fun. I'll OK. You I love you, buddy. Okay, Thank, you. Bye, Aaron. Thank, Thank you. Bye, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you. Love you. Well, Mark Breslin is the founder and president of Yuck Yucks, the largest comedy chain in North America. The uh, Professor Mike Steinell has a gift for you that we're going to unveil. Really? Yes. Let me find what it is. Well, it's uh, probably going to be something from my past that will embarrass me. uh, Well, it might. But what we're going to do is I'm trying to break the show up into segments because a lot of people who come to office hours say, they're going to cut the show up. And I say, go ahead. But they they don't know stops and starts. So let, let's take a break so that I can help people cut the show up and make it manageable. When we come back, we will be talking to the founder and treasurer, to the treasurer, the founder and president 
of Yuck Yucks. You're listening to the David Feldman Show. Adoma, scusato. Io, io sono stango, sono beleato. Let's go to Toronto, where Mark Breslin is standing by. He is the founder and president. Howie Klein is coming up. He's the founder and treasurer of the Blue America Pack. Mark Breslin is the founder and president of Yuck Yucks, the largest comedy chain in North America. I feel bad that I was rude to Aaron. I don't know. It's it's okay. Yeah. The level of rudeness that you espouse is nothing to compare to the level of rudeness that is generally the level of rudeness these days. So I wouldn't right. feel too bad about it. Right. Professor, if you treat me that way, I'll never do your show again. <laughs> Just letting you know. Professor Mike Steinel joins us. And oh, Mike. we have a, a gift. Well, not a gift. A gift for me. This is the, uh, the Mark Breslin love theme which he performed live at office hours friday night and i'm looking for it i just uploaded it oh come on feldman oh geez do you know you know mark breslin right we have tangled before about bob dylan that's right a little my ref my feathers are still a little ruffled but i've yet i've gotten past that (laughs) and i've written you a piece which I think captures the north of the border whimsy and the toxic masculinity that you have welded together into your personality <laughs> that I find so appealing. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Let's uh, let's can listen you play to it. Me. I'm sorry. <laughs> can you get it? Does it? Can, yeah, yeah, yeah I've got it. This All is right. the new Mark Breslin love theme, performed and written by Professor Mike Steinel. He is the founder of Yuckucks. That's why he makes all the big bucks. North of the border, he is royalty. To Feldman, he gives his loyalty. Mark Breslin, he's the man. Mark Breslin lives in Canada. That's why he makes all the big bucks. North of the border, he is royalty. To Feldman, he gives his loyalty. Mark Breslin, he's the man. Mark Breslin lives in Canada.
It was what, loud. What can I say? Uh, I'm sorry? What can I say? What can I say? That was completely inappropriate. <laughs> like, no, no, listen. Um, he used a mariachi tune um, to celebrate somebody in a country where there's only four Mexicans. In the whole but you know what? It's the thought that counts. And Mike, I've been looking for something to play at my funeral. And I'm so I can only say That's my second so gift. That's my second gift I didn't tell yes. you about. That's okay. What's <laughs> your funeral? I had to rebuild it at starting at noon today. I had the whole thing done on Friday and then I got ready to bounce it from one computer over there to one computer over there that masters it better. And it, none of the files, all the sound was gone. It was frightening. You ever done that, David? Well, we, we talked about this. It's kind of interesting if we can bring Mark into this conversation because <laughs> why is this about him? So Friday night at office hours, Professor Steinel introduces the song and played it live, which is absolutely incredible. Well, I played parts of it. Most right. of it was the track that I just played you. Right. And he said, you know, he was going to do a samba, but he didn't have the samba beat. So he did something similar, but not quite. And I said, when most people are trying to create something, when they find that they don't have the tool they need, they go, well, I guess I'm not going to do it till I get the tool I need. But Mike, Professor Mike did a workaround, and I suggested that working around the problem makes the song even better. And then this morning, I got a call. I was all excited about playing this. And then you sent me an email telling me your... It was gone. It was gone. It disappeared. It's just gone. So tell me what happened. I have no idea. I think... I know. I know what happened. What, what happened, sir? In one word. QAnon. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's three. Because I ordered a pizza while I was watching the... Um, uh, when I was watching the election returns, and they must have known about that. Okay. <laughs> you yeah. ordered a pizza, and a little boy showed up. Yeah, that's right. Well, no, only his head, um, which they use, <laughs> you know, where they usually have that, that weird thing in between where the pizza on the top of the pizza box yeah. is. Yeah. Well, I knew it was from QAnon, uh, had something to do with it, because uh, there was a boy's head where, uh, where that usually is. Nice. Winking. Nice. He's winking at me. So, so the thing crashed. You lost it. Yeah. So you sure. had no tools. And what happened? Know. So what happened? You because you, you I, sent I me a note that it. was. I did the whole thing from the ground up, and it actually, you know, it was good. My wife heard it. You know, she said it's better now, and I said, yeah, it's better. It's interesting how sometimes something going wrong can be a blessing anyway professor mike steinel this is number 17 i believe how many songs have you written 17 for? david okay I, and i tell you well, why i just want to say that i am almost flattered uh, <laughs> by what you've done and and i almost appreciate this so thank you thank you so much really i i thought you were the most loyal guest he's he's had in my two years of listening to the show did you know mike i am actually known for my loyalty to my friends yeah and my I, disloyalty to my family <laughs> nice uh, but anyway uh, i thought that you deserved it more than anybody i did one for harvey jk and uh who else howie klein uh -huh. and yours was challenging because 
there's almost nothing that rhymes with Canada or Breslin. But yuck yucks, when I thought of yuck yucks, so there you go, big bucks, yuck yucks. So that, yeah, there's that lots of, easy. sure. Mm-hmm. Now the Hershenfelds want something, <laughs> and I've been thinking for three days, like, what rhymes with Hershenfeld? It but, should be uh, a Viennese waltz with lyrics in honor of fraud, <laughs> right? He wants a, the doctor wants a banjo in it. I, I can't go that far. Okay. That's, I draw the line with banjo music. Hey, by the way, you said once, Mark, yes. you used, you thought bluegrass music set up your comedy audience better than any other kind of music. Was that I, right? I, That was a joke, I assure oh, you. I thought, I've been far- Bluegrass through. music- only sets up one thing, and that is having sex with your cousin. <laughs> because if you have to think of what you would, like what music would you play to get your cousin in the mood? Uh, and I think it would be bluegrass music. And when you finish, you can look at her and just say, dum, 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 dum. <laughs> So that was, I, I was thinking, I've been thinking about that for months. Because we talked about whether jazz would be good, and you said it wasn't. And I agree, jazz is probably too innervating or, or for a comedy, but whatever. And then you said what really works is, did you say bluegrass? I think you did. It was a joke. What really works, for, what I usually use, I usually pick out the music. Actually, I make the music tapes myself and have for 40 years. But what I find really works, there are certain genres that work really well. One is 60s girl groups. Um, it's really poppy and boppy, and it puts people in a really great mood. Um, the other thing that really works is 70s funk really works great. Like Sly, yeah. if you just had a Sly and the Family Stone greatest hits oh, album, great, put that on before the show, pump it up, everybody's going to be in a good mood. Anyway, yeah. Professor. I like that. Thank right, you I'll so you much, guys. Professor Mike Steinel. Take care. Thank you, Mike. Thank I appreciate you. it. Thank you so much. I love much. you, man. I love you. I love you, too. Thank you. We have to come back and talk about Dylan. I didn't hear what you said. I'm sorry. Okay. I have to tell you, that's not the first song that anybody's written for me. There was a song that a guy wrote called laughing all the way to the bank. Mm. Mark Breslin was laughing all the way to the bank. It was a homeless guy. Seriously. It was a homeless guy who used to stand on the corner of young and bluer and belt out songs, um, who must've been like 80 years old. And he wrote that song for me. Wow. But this was, this, this is kind of like a James Bond type of, if, 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 it was a James Bond movie taking place south of the border, and you were James Bond. I, I Maybe. love that. Now, Maybe. you seem, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Are you in a bad mood? Nope. Are you Good on mood. edge? Are you angry? Nope. Want okay. me to be? I yes. can take it. Do you think Trump is going to leave? Yeah. How, how do you see this playing out? I see him leaving in the most difficult and cantankerous way possible because that will support his brand for years to come. Um, the, the, the more difficult it is to remove him, the more his base is going to be energized and it will turn him into a, an even bigger martyr. You got to remember for Donald Trump, it's all about being at the center of the narrative. So the longer he can put himself at the center of the narrative, the better it is for him. Okay. That's what. I, so that's what I think. Yeah, it's going to be ugly, but he'll reframe it in such a way that it just shows what an, how, how he what an idealist he is. But are there forces at work that don't care whether or not he wants to leave? They're going to make him stay there. Are there people there in this country who who want him to stay? 
course, 70 million of them last time I looked. Right. But that doesn't mean that, they're, that, that that's what's going to happen. The institutions are, you know, in some ways, it's all about who has the control of the army. Because that's who's going to, in, in, the, in the long run, that's who's going to get them out. And he is an enemy of the army. The, the military hated him. He just so, fired the defense secretary. Why do you think he? Right. Fi- why do you think he fired? Why do you think he fired the defense secretary? I'm not up enough on that story to be able to to tell you. But what I see where you're going with it, he's going to get a defense secretary in there that will uh, not allow the army to come in. But I, I honestly believe it won't even come to that. It right. will not come to him leaving at gunpoint. It will come to him leaving in the most sour possible way. And so he can continue this narrative of that he really won. And he's going to say that for another three months, two months, whatever it is. I hope you're right. But, you know, it it reminds me of 2016. I mean, it's just it's like a it's like a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's, it's as though Quentin Tarantino, possibly, it's like Quentin Tarantino is directing 2016 and he scrambled the acts. So the third act comes first and the second act, so that I, it is, we're all, we've all been lulled to complacency, but there are forces at play here that won't allow him to leave because they're doing so well with him. They don't care about democracy. There are industries and mobsters and oligarchs who they don't care about how it looks, right? They care about their their money. David, what is the name of the movie that Tom Cruise was in? It was a remake of a German film about uh, how Hitler was assassinated. assassination attempt. What Valkyrie. Was Valkyrie. Yes. Well, I think what many of us are planning to do is to get a lot of those uh, DVDs and send them to many of the people who work in the White House. Right. The, the problem is, in all seriousness, I, I think there has been this filtration process that started in 2012, where the Republicans became... It, in 2012, they all, all that's left were diseased minds. Yeah, well, you know, it's a lot like Lot and Sodom. You know, when he argues, oh, come on, God, just if I find 10 good people in Sodom, will you spare the, the, the city? And God says yes, and he, because he knows there aren't 10 good people. Um, there was a time when, you know, I might never have been a supporter of Republican causes, but I could point to, you know, various decent Republicans. Now I can barely find three. A decent, so, a decent Republican is somebody who says what? I mean, Romney is a decent Republican. He's a pro, at least. Susan he's a professional politician. Um, no, I think Romney is above the fray. I still, you know, Romney against Obama, no, no contest. But but there used to be a lot of uh, Republicans you could at least trust. Um, I don't think there are. I can't think of many. Right. Can't think of many. But let me tell you why none of this would happen in Canada. 
All right. Because there's something I realized. We've been talking about Canada and the differences between Canada and the U.S. But I wonder how many of your listeners actually know the real electoral differences in the electoral process between a parliamentary democracy, which is Canada, and what you have. And what is what is it? Well, first of all, let's start with this. We have a set. We have two houses in um, in government. We have a house of like a house of representatives. Um, and we also have a Senate. Our Senate is not elected. That changes the whole character of what the Senate can and can't do. Uh, well, how do you have it then? What is it? They're appointed. They're appointed for life. Um, I don't know how many. I think it's 100, but it might be more. But you're appointed for life or until you you have so much drool that people start to slip on the Senate floor. Is this but, like a, the House of Lords? Yeah, that's right. right. So the idea is you're supposed to be um, a, a wise person uh, looking at legislation, forming committees to look deeper into subjects. For instance, the legalization of pot in Canada was mostly driven by a Senate committee to look at how it might be done. Um, so the Senate, but the senators. Don't you mean a joint house. committee? Yes, it was a joint committee. Thank Sorry. you very much. Sorry. Yay, David. Never miss a trick. Um, and um, it's. Um, it's not you're not so expected to vote on any kind of party lines. Um, so you're just supposed to be wiser. You're supposed to bring your wisdom to the table. Right. I know a number of senators um, and that's how they they vote. So that changes everything. That's the first thing. Now, a lot of people want to get rid of the Senate um, and replace it with an elected Senate. And that would be madness because that's the whole purpose of the Senate is gone if that happens. Okay, so there's the first thing. The second thing is, it's impossible in the Canadian system to split your ticket. You don't vote for for the prime minister. Nobody votes for the prime minister. You vote for your party, your representative of your party in your district, in your riding, and there is a leader, which you already know who it is, and if your party gets more votes, more, wins more ridings than everybody else, then the prime then that the leader of the party becomes the prime minister. But you don't vote directly for him, so there's a much less of a cult of personality around the prime minister than there is around the president. And just the name prime minister means he's the first of many ministers. So this is why this sort of thing just doesn't happen here. And your media is more responsible than ours, right? You, you don't you well, have it's less? It's it's certainly less. Uh, you know, it's less partisan. But it, but but newspapers traditionally always have endorsed candidates on both sides of the border. That's not abnormal at all. Um, but I don't think you would. I don't think you would. There's no equivalent of Fox News. Wasn't uh, he in, banned? Wasn't Fox News kind yeah, of? Yeah, you can't get it in Canada. And, and you get MSNBC, which I get. You can get uh, CNN, of course, which I get. But uh, you get BBC News, but you can't get uh, Fox News. Aren't there laws on the books in Canada that we would consider an infringement of the First Amendment? Were you? Yes. We don't have the equivalent of a First Amendment. We don't have free speech. Our free speech is... is is codified more by tradition than by law. And but, so, I, as I understand it, Rupert Murdoch was blocked from setting up shop in Canada. That's right. But that's there's there's other reasons for that. It isn't just that it's Rupert Murdoch. It's that um, any um, 
all media has to all the media has to be the media has to be owned by Canadians. So although the broadcasters may not be. So let's say I subscribe to Rogers Cable. Rogers Cable is 100 percent owned by Canadians. uh, But Rogers Cable will include NBC, CBS, ABC, Mm -hmm. any number of things in the package. Interestingly enough, you can't get Comedy Central um, on any Canadian package only because they, the law was passed so that there would be a Canadian comedy station, not because they care about Canadian comedy, but because um, they care about the advertising dollars going staying in the country. Right, right. It's interesting. So we made Rupert Murdoch an American citizen back in the 80s. Teddy Kennedy helped make Rupert Murdoch a Canadian, an American citizen because he wanted to start the Fox Network. And in order to start the Fox Network, he needed to own television stations. And in order to own television stations in America, you have to be an American citizen. And the power that Rupert Murdoch has, what do you he owns the the Wall Street Journal, he owns Fox News, and he owns the New York Post. This would never happen in Canada. This simply would not happen in Canada. And what would the the streets look like right now if Michigan over at Fox News didn't call Arizona for Biden early and stand by that call? What would the streets of America look like right now if Rupert Murdoch decided it would be good for business to see a civil war so that the Wall Street Journal and the New York Post and Fox News. Well, I think you've answered your own question, really. We are one Murdoch away from blood in the streets, right? Blood in the streets is not really unusual for your country. Blood in the streets is really unusual for ours. Yeah. Here's what's going on in America, Mark. The only time... Let me just show you something. I, then I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, Neil Cavuto, who is a tool of Fox, he he cut off Trump campaign presser with scathing smackdown. So the the press spokesman for the White House was saying, you know, claiming fraud at the polls, and Neil Cavuto is getting orders to dial back the heat on the fraud, and the the New York Post is getting told, dial back the heat on fraud. The Wall Street Journal, they're all getting on board the Biden one train. Okay, I'm not sure what you what what do you mean by that? Because I think Murdoch is I because Murdoch has a shred of decency. Oh, oh, okay. I didn't think you were going to go in that direction. Yeah, I think that he realized that all he needs to do is have Sean Hannity. Well, I'm sure Tucker Carlson, I don't know what they're saying, but uh, this is the concentration of power. This is why the concentration of power is so dangerous. Anyway, what? So I haven't spoken to you. I interrupted you, but I haven't spoken to you since the result. Were you relieved? What? How, did, how do you feel up there? No, I was disappointed. Why? I was disappointed that it wasn't a complete rout 
um, for Biden and the Democrats. I was disappointed that the Senate didn't come through. I was disappointed that the numbers weren't bigger for, for Biden. In fact, it really shocked me that it was this close. And it's too bad. It had been a real landslide, a true landslide. Biden would have a much better chance of, you know, having the sort of moral, um, uh, he'd have the moral high ground as he as he takes office. But it's such a squeaker that he doesn't have that moral high ground. And by the way, neither did Trump. Um, it was really, really close. And people seem to forget that um, four years ago. So, no, I, I mean, of course, I'm glad that it's, it's Biden and, and, and not Trump, but I wanted a bigger, I wanted a bigger result. I, on a personal level, I wanted it to be a complete and total humiliation for this guy to leave office with his tail between his legs, being virtually called a murderer by the American public. And instead, 70 million people thought, you know what, he's pretty good, let's do him again. It, it's shocking to me. Well, racism is a stubborn thing. White people voted for him. Yeah. 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 But white people voted for Obama, too. So, you know, it just there. No, but more white people voted for Trump than they voted for Biden. That's what. Is that true? Yeah. Is that true? Okay. Well, there you go. It's it's some it's just still shocking that, you know, even even somebody who is attached to their own race wouldn't look at this guy and say, surely there's a better version of him. He's the worst version of him, which is the other problem. Does Does he get away on a personal note? Do you ever think to yourself, I should be more like there have been times during the past four years where I've said, I should be more like Trump. Well, in some ways I am like Trump in that I double down on what I believe. I'm not afraid to, to go the distance for in my beliefs, um, but I'm not a liar. That's the thing. He doubles down on lies. I try to double down on truths, even if they're painful to listen to, and even if people disagree with them, I still will do that. So in that sense, uh, I could be Trump-like. Now, you're not a huckster. You don't go, you don't make promises that you can't, you would never say to some, you know, you would never. David, ask my family. I don't even make promises I can keep. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand how he gets away with making promises about condos and hotels and casinos that are just flagrant lies and then he's proven wrong and people are still starstruck and they believe it's, it's it's just it's all about branding it's all about just telling people what they experienced as yeah a and somebody i may have mentioned this before but there's a great quote that somebody made which is that donald trump is a poor person's idea of what a rich person is like and I think that's part of the problem. Right. You know, uh, he, look, he's foul on every level. I look for a redeeming quality I can't find in it. I can't find one. So uh, I hope he's out. Good riddance. I worry about what he's going to do next. Um, I thought maybe he would spend a lot of time developing his presidential library because there isn't one in Leavenworth. <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to jail. No, I don't think he's going to jail either. 
No. No. As long as he stays in politics, he isn't yeah. going to jail. That that seems to be the trick. That's what kept Chris Christie yeah. out of uh, prison for that. I thought it was that he couldn't fit in the door. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't enough butter or grease to get him in there. No, after he clogged the George Washington Bridge worse than his arteries, he yes. he could have faced criminal charges, so he ran for president. That's what you do. You run for office so that whatever crime you're being accused of, you can say, oh, that prosecutor's a Democrat. And as long as Trump keeps his political career alive, they will be wary about prosecuting him because we don't lock up politicians in this country. We try not to because it, it, we don't want to be a banana republic. It's bad for right. the country. So if you commit a crime, run for office. That seems yeah. to be the... Yeah. Mark Breslin is the founder and president of Yuck Yucks. And we'll talk to you next week. We'll I, talk next week. I hope so. Thank you so much, Mark Breslin. Let's listen to your uh, theme song one more okay. time. Thank you, Professor Mike Steinal. Coming up, Howie Klein from Down With Tyranny. He is the founder of Yuckucks. That's why he makes all the big bucks. North of the border, he is royalty. To Feldman, he gives his loyalty. Mark Breslin, he's the man. Mark Breslin lives in Canada. That's why he makes all the big bucks. North of the border, he is royalty. To Feldman, he gives his loyalty. Mark Breslin, he's the man. Mark Breslin lives in Canada. Well, thank you, Professor Mike Steinel. We are going to go to California to talk with Howie Klein in a second. Dan Frankenberger in the newsroom. Are you there? Let's go to Dan. Yes, sir, I am. You want to turn your video on, sir. How are you? The show's going great. The show's going great. I, I thought I was a little rude to, to Aaron Berg. But uh, I heard you say that, but I didn't feel it. So I wonder if I missed a minute or two. I was telling me he was hanging out with the wrong people. But who am I? Who am I to tell somebody? You're David that? Feldman. I'm David Feldman. Let's do community billboard. Sounds good. But, you um, know, Dan Frankenberger makes everything possible here at the David Feldman show. He keeps keeps track of our community that we've built through office hours. And if you'd like to attend office hours every Friday night, 9 p.m., 
go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit attend a live taping, and you're in. And we also have a YouTube channel, so everybody should subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's right. What What's going on? Well, as always, we like to bring up Tom Weber. Yes. Uh, he and his wife, Barb, have the the month off. They're one of their... Uh, their youngins got married last month and they're they're taking november off as far as Great. the concerts they do in uh, november so we want to mention tomweberart.com because he does a lot of uh drawings and uh, i i'm friends with him on facebook and he's putting up constantly just like every day he's got more and more drawings coming out so it's a man, i saw and, yeah, did you see at office hours he was standing in front of one of his paintings Friday night, yeah. I thought I saw the face of Jesus. Yep. And then a lot of people said, oh, wait a second. <laughs> that is the face of Jesus. <laughs> he does. Uh, it did uh, look like it, didn't it? Some fountain pen drawings that are just incredible. Like it, it's, for me, it's like a person that can't draw just looks at that and goes, oh, my God. Right. Can't so visu- visualize it. So he's taking a month off. And uh, his art is being sold on TomWeberArt.com. And that's with two B's. So T-O-M-W-E-B-B-E-R-A-R-T. Great. Um, Mike Steinell. We've been getting tons of awesome music out of him for probably the last two or three months. Uh-huh. And uh, his website is MikeSteinell.com. And his last name is spelled S-T-E-I-N-E-L. And he has a Spotify channel. So if you search Mike Steinell, you will find him there. Well, yeah, yeah. He's, he has great music on Spotify. Yeah. Yep, I think one of one of his recent uh, releases is Mike Steinell Quintet featuring Rosanna Eckert. Um, and I've listened to some of that, and it's uh, great. All, all his stuff is great. Uh, Reverend Barry Lynn. Uh, his Twitter is at BarryWLynn.com, and he has a website, which is also BarryWLynn.com. Great. And Can I interrupt you? Because Howie Klein, sure. we, we have to get to Howie Klein. You made connection, all right? Yeah. We'll finish up later. We'll finish up. That's Dan Frankenberger in the newsroom. How do people send you stuff to put in the community billboard? You want to send an email to dentfeldman at gmail.com, and uh, I'll, I'll get whatever you tell me you mentioned. Okay. We'll be back with Howie Klein. Everybody welcome. Howie Klein, we got him right here, he's on the line. Howie Klein, Howie Klein, got a good idea who might be a winner. He tell you why he's cooking up a vegan dinner. Howie Klein, Howie Klein, he's oh so smart, he got a lot of brains. He lives in San Diego where it never rains. Howie Klein, Howie Klein. What he got to say gonna blow your mind Put your hands together for how we climb How we climb How we climb How we climb There's nobody I want to speak to more than how we climb Let's go to Los Angeles where how we climb is standing by He's the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC. They raise money for progressive candidates around America. And he writes down with tyranny, which is must reading. Hello there, Howie Klein. 
Hello there, David Feldman. How are you today? I'm not as optimistic as everybody else is. Everybody's about what? Uh, about the election. It's over. Well, unless you're talking about Georgia. I'm talking about this story that just came out. Gamblers, this is true, gamblers are betting three to one that Trump won't concede, that he will not leave the Oval Office, that he will not give a concession speech. How do you you get the stain stain out? He's he's not going to give a concession speech. He is going to, he has told people he was going to run again in uh, uh, 2024. He's told people in his own circle that. And uh, he's going to be, you know, crying and playing the victim uh, for the next four years. All right. And so you don't see any problem. You don't see any problem with the Republicans rallying. Yes, I I see problems with the Republicans every single day. And I have for my entire life. (laughs) Okay, But you think, except for a couple of hiccups, things will go relatively smoothly do you think there'll be blood on the streets uh there's blood on the streets every day but uh, to address what you're saying i i do think there will be some blood on the streets and what is your advice to i don't see rivers of blood on the streets if that's what you're asking me what is your advice to the left to stay home to not engage to let Joe Biden take care of this for us? Do we take to the streets? Take to the streets to do what? To say Biden won. I think we should take the Twitter. Say it there. Facebook. Biden Biden did win. You know, what can I say? I mean, I noticed a couple of minutes ago, Senator uh uh, ben Sass or Sassy, I don't know how he says his name, who was just reelected a Republican from uh, Nebraska, just congratulated uh, President-elect uh, Biden. Okay. Uh, you know, the rest, the rest of them are afraid, apparently, that if they if they if they congratulate Biden or they accept that Biden. Uh, one, they'll lose the two seats in Georgia. That's, that's the latest nonsense I read. The, the, you know, facts are facts. Biden, Biden uh, or I should say Trump lost the election. That's the way it goes. He can't accept it. His Most of his people do accept it. And uh, what are we going to do? I mean, he's a psychopath. He's always been a psychopath. You knew before he, he even came down that escalator that he was a psychopath. And, uh, you know, look, I know I'm not supposed to say this, but, uh, you know, in my inner, in my inner self says, uh, it would be amazing if he decided not to leave the white house and barricaded himself in and someone shot him in the head and we never had to hear from him again. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't want to name uh, we, we have a, a columnist on the Wash, from the Washington Post on the show all the time. And a year ago, I said, what if he doesn't leave? And she said, oh, that would be fun. And this is what I'm worried about. This is but he what- will leave. The thing, I, what I've been saying all along, and I could be wrong, but, but I believe, this is what I believe. Everything he does is, is predicated on, on the negotiation that he's setting up for a pardon. 
This is he wants to show Biden now that if, if Biden doesn't play ball with him, there's going to be trouble. And that's why he's making this big fuss now. He doesn't care about anything else now except getting a pardon. That is it. He wants a pardon but himself and his disgusting family. Right. But his disgusting family can't be pardoned from uh, Letitia James and Cyrus Vance Jr. in New York. That's right. He has to stay in the White House. Otherwise, Cuomo is going for him in the state of New York. He and, and, and there are there I don't know what he's out of how he's going to handle New York. I'm sure he has something in mind. Uh, but uh, but right now we're talking about the federal government. And I think that that is that is a big deal. He doesn't want the Justice Department coming after him and his family. And what about the people who he owes money to who don't go through the Justice Department? I think he can raise an awful lot of money. I mean, we've heard a lot of allegations about his finances, but we don't really know them. Right. And we don't know how much he really owes based uh, and and how much he can, uh, you know, how many properties he can liquidate. And we just don't know. So so I'm leaving that aside. I agree with you. I think I I do agree. I was reading, I was rereading that series in the New York Times about his tax returns and his name is where the money flows from. His name is bigger than ever. And there are the name. Yeah, he can make a lot of money off that name. You're right. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we all wish him the worst. But let's, uh, you know, let's see how this plays out. I, I really do believe that he, uh, you know, he may have convinced himself that he's going to run again in 2024, which is absurd. And he, uh, and, you know, for maybe for a year, he'll operate on, on that. But I, I really think that everything that he's doing now is really all about uh, a pre-negotiation. You know, he thinks he's the world's greatest uh, deal maker, and he's setting up a situation where he thinks he's going to be able to have leverage over Biden and make Biden uh, pardon him and his family maybe intervene with Cuomo and, uh, and Letitia James. I, I don't know. Uh, the other one is very easy to, uh, uh, to do anything you want with. The, the Manhattan DA is a, is a putz to begin with, and Trump has uh, worked his way with that guy in the past. I don't think it takes a lot of money to, to bribe him. Okay. Tell me some good news about Biden. Tell me what the first 100 days will look like uh, he wants to do some good things Biden's a piece of shit he has been from the very from the, from 1970s and never never ceased being a piece of shit am I allowed to say that word sure just I'd rather okay. say shit than Biden on this show but go ahead oh you agree with me good <laughs> so uh, you know but he will do some things that are you know look, anyone would be better than Trump, and he will, any normal person, any normal person, even a Republican normal person would be better than Trump, and Biden happens to be a Democrat, so he's even more better than Trump. Uh-huh. And, you know, he will do some, everyone has read about them, he'll do some things with executive orders right away, you know, rejoin the WHO, rejoin the Paris uh, uh, Climate Accord, you know, some of that kind of stuff, and that's good, I, I don't want to, you know, make it sound like it's not good, it, it is. 
And uh, I, I'm sure you saw the same list everybody else saw of, of all of the hideous people he's considering for cabinet positions, from Rahm Emanuel to uh, you know a, a whole bunch of Republicans and uh, Jerry Bustos and just every kind of vomit, vomit-inducing uh, conservative Democrat uh, that, that exists, and some real Republicans. Right. So you know Biden. Uh, you know, Biden is garbage, and we're stuck with him for four years, and it's good that we're done with Trump. And uh, yippee-yay-yay-yo. We will, when, hopefully Biden won't wind up being, as I have feared, the, the second worst president in history. And quick, I don't think he will have that. Quick mind about it. Yeah, quick question. Who did the prison photo of a bald Trump in an orange jumpsuit? You like that? I love it. I'm showing it to my audience right now. Who did that? Uh, I, I, my artist sent it to me. I guess he did it. I don't know. That's great. Go look at it over at Daniel. He gets he sneaks into uh, you know odd places and gets to take pictures. <laughs> you don't get to wear your toupee, right? If you go to prison, right? Phil Spector, right? Doesn't get to wear his toupee, right? No toupee. Now the the thing is that that makes me uh, oh, that would be wonder so about what's going to happen. Now I really want him to go to prison. What will happen with uh, the Secret Service? Will they get like a cell next to his? To, you know, without, that's not locked. Uh, he, he has Secret Service protection for the rest of his life. I mean, and there has been no president that's ever gone to prison, so this is a, it would be a new situation. Do you think there's any chance? He will go to prison. There's no way they're going to put him in prison. Any chance? Yes, I think there is a chance. You know, if, if say, everything goes wrong for him, you probably know this already, but if, you, if you're um, found guilty in, in New York City, you don't, uh, and then you appeal, which of course is he would do, you don't get to go to your uh, Trump Tower to sit out the appeal. You're, you go to Rikers. Really? Oh yes! If you're found guilty, you go to you go to jail, and it's not prison. You go to jail, and you 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 wait for your um, appeal there. Now, a judge can make us, you know, an exception for you know him or not. Right. So I think you haven't reported accurately over at Down with Tyranny a poll that you conducted because you started a poll two days ago asking your Twitter followers, let me read it. Predictably Trump, predictably, Trump is still throwing temper tantrums and refusing to accept the reality of Joe Biden's election. He'll still be occupying the White House until January 20th. How would you like to see him proceed between now and then? Okay, and these were the choices. Entertaining theatrics, negotiate blanket pardon, commit suicide, go into exile abroad. I voted for commit suicide, and when of I of course voted, I would have too. I can't vote in my own polls, so I could, but I would have voted that way. But I, I, down with tyranny, commit suicide only got twenty four percent of the votes. But when I voted, commit suicide he was the majority. What 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 are the end results? I thought commit suicide was the. No, it was uh, people wanted him to, uh, you know, a lot of wishes uh, follow me on Twitter and they all wanted to go into exile in a foreign country. Yeah. He's too much of a coward to go, you know, to. Oh, yeah. I don't think he would do that either. Yeah. We have a lot to learn from the Japanese and the Koreans. Uh, Do the Koreans do that, too? 
the mayor of Seoul just killed himself. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah. yeah, I, I knew that, but I didn't know that they, they're into the whole ritual suicide thing. Yeah. Good. Well, I, you know, Trump won't do that. He is a coward. Sherry but, Bustos uh, is the head of the DCCC. How close? She was resigning. What? She, decided, she announced she was resigning before she could be fired. How badly did she do? Personally? She did really, really badly. Personally. I mean, as you know, first of all, the Democrats were supposed to pick up seats, and they wound up losing seats. Second of net. Second of all, uh, she spent, I think, well, we don't know the exact figures yet. They're still coming in. But it's over $300 million to lose all those seats. Um, the, the, the candidates that she took the biggest gambles on, uh, like three called Carney in Texas were all a bunch of, not all, but mostly a bunch of blue dogs and new Dems. They lost gigantically. You know, one, one of the last races that's outstanding for a challenger is someone that you've had on the show, um, Liam O'Mara. Mm-hmm. So Liam O'Mara, the DCCC wouldn't even take his phone calls. They, di- they didn't give him a single penny. They didn't give him any respect. They didn't give him any acknowledgement. He did so much better than most of the candidates that they spent millions of dollars on, and his race isn't called yet. He can still win. Wow. And all these horrid candidates, I mean, and Liam was one of the best candidates who ran this year, which, of course, is why the DCCC wouldn't even consider uh, wanting him to win. They, they hate people like that. Uh, you know, they're trying to get this, them and, and Republicans are trying to get this thing out that uh, it was people who, who on the left, who, who caused all these problems. Well, people on the left won their seats. People on the yeah. left, no one on the left uh, was defeated. I'm talking about incumbents now. All of the people who were defeated, all of them were blue dogs and new Dems. And then there was Donna Shalala, which God only knows what the hell she is. Right, right. But a conservative, but a conservative. All of them, with except, except her, her, her progressive punch rating is D, a D. Who? Shalala? Right home about. The rest of them all have ratings of F. Every one of them F, including the worst F, the worst two Fs, in other words, the lowest Fs in Congress, Joe Cunningham from South Carolina and Anthony Brindisi in upstate New York. Anthony Brindisi's race isn't called yet, which is odd because most of the votes are counted, and I don't, unless he sweeps every uncounted vote, which is not going to happen, he is going to lose. But they haven't called his race yet. But I, I've called it. He's a, he lost. Over down with tyranny. You have a chart, and you name the Democrat. Then the second column is, did he or she support Medicare for all? And the third column is, did they get reelected? Abby Finkenauer did not support Medicare for all. What happened? And and not only didn't she support Medicare for all, she's also very, very conservative. She's a conservative Democrat. She's also lazy and stupid. I think I talked about this last week, uh, that I came across her when she was a member of the state legislature in Iowa, and she was a disaster. People used to laugh at her. And then she wound up, you know, being recruited by the DCCC and and becoming a one-term member of Congress, where she accomplished absolutely nothing except muddying the Democratic brand in Iowa and making it worse. She's in a Democratic district, a D-plus-1 district, and she lost her seat because she sucks. She didn't support medical. Because, again, we're being told by Clyburn that Medicare for all, 
is going to kill the Democratic Party. Uh, as you pointed out, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez supported Medicare for all. How did she do? She had a landslide victory, although the Republicans threw millions of dollars against her, but she still had a landslide victory. And not only did she have a landslide victory, but she put a lot of energy into helping elect other progressives and was very successful at that. Well, let me ask you a tough question. Connor Lamb is not on this chart. He, he won his seat. He was a conservative. He, did, he had, a, he had a, a very, very, very close list. He had a very, very close win, but he did win. And he didn't, support, chart, he didn't support Medicare for all. No, and he, and he didn't do well. Okay. But uh, Max Rose of Staten Island did not support Medicare for all. He's a one ter- first term Democrat in Staten Island, right? Yes, first term Democrat, Staten Island and South Brooklyn. Uh, in a, and, and he's just terrible. He ran against the Democrats. That was his campaign, running against Democrats. How did he do? Uh, the race isn't called yet, but it's un, it's unimaginable that he could win. The, uh, uh, Nikki Matoxioxis, whatever her name is, is so far ahead of him that, again, he I, I just can't see him winning. It's, it'd be impossible. Kendra Horn won, I believe, in Oklahoma in 2018. No, she lost. She, right. She was. Oh, she won in 2018, yes. And she, and she lost on two, last Tuesday. And how did, what was her position on Medicare for All? Her position on, on Medicare for All, the Green New Deal, uh, minimum wage, everything that Democrats are in favor of, her, her um, position is, is against it all. She's, she's, uh, she thinks that the way you, you be a Democrat in Oklahoma is to be a Republican and with a D next to your name. Horrible. Horrible. I know Democrats in Oklahoma, a city where, where she's from, who didn't vote for her. They went in, they voted for Biden, and then they refused to vote for her. The Senate, we're not going to get, the Democrats aren't going to get the Senate. They're not going to take those two seats in Georgia, are they? Well, it's not, it's not just the two seats in Georgia. So, the, uh, the, you know, and now remember, now we have uh, Kamala Harris, who would actually have a job if she, <laughs> if it's, uh, if the Democrats tie the Republicans. So it's all uphill. Everything is uphill. So there are two Senate seats that the Democrats could possibly win, not likely. And then there's the interesting Alaska seat, which we'll know, which we'll know about um, Tuesday night. Uh, and, and there, the votes that have been counted are all the, the day of voting. So the uh, Republican incumbent is way ahead. But now they're counting the absentee ballots, which are overwhelmingly Democrat. So it, it's certainly going to be close. Uh, and there's a chance that the, Demo- that the so-called Democrat could win there. Again, that guy is an independent uh, who the Democrats supported. The Democrats didn't field a candidate this time, but they treated this guy, Al Gross, as though he were a Democrat. He's not. He's a, and he's quite conservative. He's good on Medicare for all, though. He likes that. <laughs> He's a doctor. How much of this is reminiscent of 2018? Because you you talked about how after immediately after the 2018 midterms, we were told the blue wave never materialized. And then after all was said and done, it was, uh, you know, a, a little tsunami, not a big tsunami, but a little tsunami. Can we 
2018 was a pretty good Democratic, well, not a Democratic wave, but it was an anti-Republican wave. And I thought we were going to have an anti-Republican wave this time as well. And it was it, it stuck to Trump. Um, you know, chances are when this whole, when all the ballots are counted, he will have lost by about 6 million votes. Right. But the thing that depresses me is that he got more votes than he got last time. Uh, and more when people I looked, voted than last time. Right. I mean, and, and Biden had way more votes than Hillary had last time. So, yes, more people voted. But, but even percentage-wise, uh, Trump went up in lots and lots and lots of states, in fact, in most states. And the way I, I found this out was I was doing a little research because I was trying to compare uh, the Trump vote to the, the COVID incidents. So I took the states that had the worst uh, cases, of, the worst um, per capita number of, of COVID cases, and I compared it to Trump's um, performance in those states. And I was shocked. Every single one of them, with the exception of I think two, Alabama and one other one where Trump was exactly the same. Trump went up in every of those, every one of those states. Not, I, and I don't mean just in raw vote, which he did, but he also went up in percentage. And is so, this, is this, I guess they want, I guess they want to die. What is it? Is it racism? I was reading that white people supported Trump over Biden. Yes. Is that it? Is it the stubbornness of race? Racism is part of it. Uh, low IQ is part of it, although there's an overlap there. Uh, you know, it, it, you know something. Today, I have I have a post coming out uh, late 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 tonight, late uh, Monday night, about Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills, you think of that as like the, the you know, rich liberal place, right? Mm, I know better, but go ahead. Well, two, two of the top uh, pre, uh, precincts in Beverly Hills, uh, Trousdale Estates or something, whatever it's called, uh, and, and an adjacent one, they both voted majority Trump. Well, they voted for Trump. Yes, majority voted for Trump. Wow. Uh, you know, Trump's uh, Trump's share of the vote went up in in Beverly Hills. Wow, and in Los Angeles County. Uh, and you know, it's too early to say uh, definitively that it went up in California, but but I'd say it. Uh, you know, the votes are still being counted in California. California's very slow, but uh, in the end, Trump's uh, vote will have gone up significantly in the state, just like it did in New York. I don't know what to say. These people just saw him for four years. They saw the same stuff that we saw, David. And they, and and more of them thought, yeah, well, we want four more years of that. Well, it's like falling in love with somebody and then discovering they're a monster and you can't change them. And that's but what I'm America talking, That's what America well, we didn't is. didn't fall in love with him last time, no, no, I, but I'm decided saying, they would go, vote for him this time. No, I'm saying America... Oh, America. <laughs> it's like we've fallen, we've, we've fallen in love with a monster. And yes. we can't change. No, I haven't. I'm, I've fallen in love with the crab cakes that I'm making now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll let you get back to them. Uh, what did you find the most surprising? 
that that it wasn't that that there are is that what you found so surprising that the stubbornness of Trump that that people yeah, I mean, that he did as well as he did, and the Republicans did as well as they did, and that there, were, there was, um, and that the Democrats, the, you know, the top Democratic candidates who looked like they were going to win, uh, you know, not the incumbents, the top candidates who looked they would, like they would win, like Mike Siegel, for example, and Kara Eastman, that they didn't win. That, that was, that's, um, I'm still trying to figure out what the hell that means. Is there voter fraud? Yes. Has there ever not been voter fraud? So are the Republicans guilty of... Yes, of course. McCall? All the time. You know, I mean, it's never going to be solved, I don't think, uh, unless they, uh, you know, do something drastic, which is they should, which like something like uh, if you do anything that, that, that smacks of voter fraud, you get the death penalty. Or life in prison if you're a wuss and can't take the death penalty. Um, Very quickly, so, we have to, we have some quick questions, and then I'll let you go. John Hayes in West Hollywood, you have a question for? Hey, John. Hi, uh, hi. Um, I'm just wondering. I, I when I've been in Beverly Hills, there's an Earth Cafe there, and a lot of Iranian immigrants seem to be um, in that neighborhood. And from my understanding, I remember my my son had a. Uh, had a Taekwondo class, and there was an Iranian kid there whose mom had a bright, shiny, expensive black SUV with a with a uh, Bush sticker on it. And I get a feeling that a lot of Iranian immigrants are Republicans, so maybe that had something to do with the Beverly Hills uh, slant. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Iranian immigrants and Russian immigrants, uh, they're, they're, you know, they have a tendency towards fascism. <laughs> okay. Yep. All right, John. Thank you. I don't know what's going on, John. Well, I'll talk to you later. I don't know why you're not getting the invites. I don't know what's going on. I blame uh, Liam. It's always Liam's fault. Let's go to Minneapolis, where Andy is standing by. All right, Andy, uh, we'll come back to you. And last question. Uh, Andy, are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. I'm just wondering what um, either of you think would actually be the mechanism for Trump staying in office. Like, you said all this stuff in your intro about him being a mobster, but I don't think that that has anything to do with him retaining power. Like, everyone's called it for for Biden. Like, it, all of these cases go immediately uh, or get thrown out immediately in the lower courts. Like, none of them are even going to make it to the Supreme Court. Like, how could he possibly stay in power? Like, well, it seems like a lot of fear-mongering. On my part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, like, there's no way he can stay in power. I hope you're right. right. I mean, there's, it's just not possible. Like, everyone already has called it. And, like, there's enough momentum that he's just going to, he has to leave. There's no way that he can stay. right. Uh, I don't want to keep Henry waiting and I don't want to keep Howie on the line. So I'll just very quickly say this and then maybe Howie can respond to it. Then we'll wrap this up. I agree with him. I'm right with him. Okay, so since he came down on the escalator in 2015, (laughs) cooler minds have always prevailed when he said to Frank Luntz about John McCain. I don't know about you, but. 
my idea of a war hero is somebody who doesn't get captured. From grabbing by the pussy to holding up the arms sales to Ukraine. I have heard this countless times that it's over for him, but it just doesn't seem to happen. And you have a Republican Party right now that hasn't conceded. You haven't heard from McConnell. McConnell. Well, you did. You heard from McConnell. He said the wrong thing. What did he say? He said, he said Trump is entitled to his day in court. Okay. Uh, I, but not the kind of court we're hoping for. And Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader in the House. Get him. He's just a, he's a hack. He's the minority leader. This is the Republican Party. You can't dismiss them. This is the Republican Party. They're, even, even Fox News turned on him. That is the only saving grace. I agree with you on that. But here's the problem. They need to make money. And Howie just said that he wouldn't mind seeing somebody having to drag Trump out of the Oval Office. So in terms of red meat that keeps people glued to the television, I would not be surprised if a week from now we suddenly discover that there are credible, credible examples of voter fraud and... Suddenly, the news media is covering the Antifa and the protesters, and they have a, a new show for us to watch. Don't uh, don't uh, underestimate the media's need for distraction. The uh, so the first witness that Giuliani found for voter fraud was this guy in Pennsylvania. And it turns out that he was—he uh, spent a lot of the '90s in prison for, uh, uh, um, you know, for various uh, sex charges uh, involved things like taking out his his dick and waving it in front of a seven-year-old girl. Okay. So you know, bring on, uh, bring on their witnesses. Okay. Wasn't it wasn't it Lindsey Graham who said that he found or that there were cases of voter fraud in? I don't know, Michigan or Pennsylvania or something, but it uh, it ended up being six votes or 15 votes total. So it's such a little number that it would not do anything. Like, all of these cases are being immediately thrown out because they have no evidence. Like, they keep saying, oh, they're not letting us watch the voting. It's like there's cameras in the election office where they're counting the votes. None, none of this holds any water. So, like, I, I get the whole... Um, don't count out the media because uh, they'll try to turn it into a story, but that doesn't really translate into what actually can happen uh, at all. Because I mean, it's not—it's never going to get to the Supreme Court just because he's president. Doesn't mean that he can just like say, "Hey, Supreme Court, am I still president?" Oh, I control the Supreme Court. I guess I'm still president. Like that's just not how any of this works. All right, to be continued. Thank you, Andy. Howie Klein is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC, which raises money for progressive candidates all around. And by the way, we are raising money for uh, the Georgia um, runoffs now. Okay. Well, go to Blue America and donate. Yes. Okay. Thank you. 
We'll talk to you next week, I hope. Thank you. Thank you, David. Okay. Bye. Coming up, a lot of news about COVID. Henry Huckamacki joins us. Everybody welcome, how we glad. We got him right here, he's on the line. How we glad. How we glad. Got a good idea who might be a winner. He tell you why he's cooking up a vegan dinner. How we glad. How we glad. He's oh so smart, he got a lot of brains. He lives in San Diego where it never rains. How we glad. What he got to say gonna blow your mind Put your hands together for how we plan How we plan How we plan Do we have a vaccine? Do we have a vaccine? The day The first business day After we supposedly have a president, Pfizer announces they have a vaccine that is 90% effective. Is this true? Only one man can tell us. Henry Huckamacki. Hello there, Henry Huckamacki. By the way, I watched your YouTube explanation. What is the name of your YouTube channel? Oh, I'm, there's not really a sense in advertising it. Usually when I put videos on there, it's just for folks on my Patreon and I just put it directly into there. But this, this latest video that you're talking about, uh, I have listed as public. So anybody can find it. It's just my name, Henry Huckmackey. If you want to find this video, David tweeted it out earlier today. I tweeted it out earlier today. So you can follow either of us on Twitter or just Google Henry Huckamacki, YouTube, Pfizer or Pfizer vaccine, and it should come up right to the top because, well, I'm the only person with my name spelled the way that it's spelled. And so. people should follow Henry Huckamacki on Twitter at Huck1995 and go to patreon.com forward slash Huck1995 and sign up for his newsletter where he writes about science, public health, and of course, COVID. So Pfizer, as I understand this, and you explain this to me, There has been talk all summer that Pfizer had a really powerful vaccine, that they were in the final stages of being ready to ask for approval. They also claimed that they didn't do it through Operation Warp Speed, that they self-financed this thing. They don't owe the government anything. Between them and their partner, BioMTech, which is a German uh pharmaceutical a biopharmaceutical company so trump yeah. and and uh what's it the veep uh, pence get no credit for this right uh, they'll take it they'll certainly take it uh i mean he's been touting pfizer for the last couple months anyway saying that they were one of the, the big hopes pfizer but david i can i can explain this latest news to people uh in give me two minutes to try to do this uh oh, but let's do to- let's play let me finish first <laughs> That was what we had last time. Let me finish. Uh, No, you let me finish. No, you let me finish. Yeah. Uh, So, again, if you want to see a longer explanation of this, I I really go very slow. I reiterate everything multiple times. So it's a bit repetitive, but I want to make sure that everybody's clear on it. Go ahead. This is important. My YouTube video is about 15 minutes long. I'm going to cut it down to two for here because we've got a lot of other things 
to talk about as well. And I'm sure you'll have follow-up questions. So if what I'm saying is interesting and you want a little bit more explanation, just check out that YouTube video. So here's what happened this morning. And it's Monday when we're recording for the people listening to the podcast this morning, Pfizer CEO uh, made an announcement that they have a vaccine candidate, their vaccine candidate, that they're uh, doing jointly with BioMTech. It's an mRNA-based vaccine. We've discussed before what that means in terms of how that works, so I'm going to skip that for now. What what they said is they have a a vaccine candidate that has shown 90% efficacy in their first interim results from their Phase 3 trials. Okay, so what does this mean? Their phase three trials originally were scheduled to have 30,000 people enrolled. But if you remember about a month ago or so, maybe a month and a half, we said that they had expanded their phase three trial cohort to include 44,000 people. Now, the way that this was going to be run is about half of those 44,000 people were going to get the vaccine candidate and the other half were going to get a placebo. So basically just sugar water in their arm. Uh, instead of the mRNA-based vaccine. And then they were going to follow these people over time and see how many of them got infected from each group. So how many of the vaccinated people got sick versus how many of the unvaccinated people got sick, how the severity of the cases in each group were, whether or not the viral titers were high in each group, so whether viral shedding would happen in each group. Okay, so that was that's basically how their phase three trials were going to run is they're just going to follow these two different groups. The way that they also had this phase three trial set up is so that they would release some initial results after there had been 94 confirmed COVID cases among uh, symptomatic cases, 94 symptomatic cases among the people enrolled in their phase three trials. So out of that 44,000 people, once they had 94 confirmed cases, they would release data. Then they would do so again. Once they got to 164 cases, they would release more data And at that point, after they had had 164 cases within the group of people enrolled in the study, then they would submit the vaccine for approval. Now, we just hit the 94 case mark. And what the 90% efficacy of this vaccine candidate means is that 90% of the people who were infected, again, this is speculation largely because the exact study design hasn't been published and none of the actual data has been published yet. So I have not seen the data Nobody, no other independent researchers have seen the data. There was an independent data review board who got to look at the data, and that was it. Nobody else has seen the actual data. So this is all based off of the statement that was made this morning. Just keep that in mind in case this information changes. So when they say 90% efficacy of the vaccine candidate, what that would likely indicate is that 90% of the people who were infected were in the placebo group and only 10% of the people who were infected were in the vaccine group. Keeping in mind there was 94 cases total out of these 44,000 people, that would mean that nine or less of the people who were infected were in the vaccine group. The rest of them were in the placebo group. Now, we don't have any actual data yet. Again, just going to reiterate that point because if this changes, that's why. There is no data out there other than the statement made by the CEO of Pfizer. We don't have the data on specifically how many of these patients were in the vaccinated groups, but at most it could have been nine because that would have made it 90%. We don't have any data on the severity of the people who were in the vaccinated group versus the unvaccinated group. We don't have any data 
on whether or not the viral titers in the people that had gotten the vaccine were high or low or non-existent. That last point is important because for herd immunity to work, you want to take people out of the susceptible population. Uh, and uh, again, we've descri- described the theory behind herd immunity before, so I'm going to skip that for now to keep this short. But the idea with herd immunity is that if you take people out of the susceptible population, you basically have a buffer between infected person and susceptible person. So the more immune people that you have in the population, the more of a buffer you have and the less likely that that infected person is going to cause a chain of transmission among uh, susceptible people. If the people that have gotten the vaccine can still carry the virus and shed the virus despite not being sick, They're not really out of the susceptible population. They themselves will not have a severe case of the disease, but they can still spread it to susceptible people. So that's not really taking that link of transmission out. David, will you give me one more minute? Sure. uh, This is the most important. This is all I care about. Go. Sure. I just want to try to keep this from being like a lecture. No, I have to believe Uh, me on this show. It's this is a blessing. Thank you. So the other, again, if you want like more explanation said in different ways, check out the YouTube video. It's 15 minutes of me just saying things in different ways so that it makes sense. The other thing to keep in mind. So here's how the timeline is looking. They've gotten to the 94 cases right now. The next thing that they have to do is get to 164 cases. That's within the 44,000 people enrolled in the phase three trials, whether they're the vaccine group or the placebo group. Then once they get to that 164 cases, they're going to submit all of the data on the 44,000 people to the FDA for approval. Once the FDA looks at the data for whether it's safe and effective, so they're going to be looking at all of the data available, assuming that this efficacy data is still relevant once they get to the 164 case mark and then the data is reviewed uh, of the whole cohort of individuals by the FDA, then the vaccine will likely get a emergency youth authorization. There has to be at least two months worth of safety data for the FDA to authorize an emergency youth use authorization. I didn't mention this in the video, but at this point, we'd already basically be past that. So they would be able to do it if they deemed it to be safe and effective. Now, the next thing that has to happen is the vaccine has to be manufactured, produced, distributed, and stored. And there's a few things that are to keep in mind here. So manufacture is already ongoing. Pfizer estimates that by the end of this year, if it is approved, and we're assuming that, you know, best case scenario, it's approved by the end of November. That's kind of what they're hoping for, is that this vaccine candidate will get an emergency youth author- use authorization by the end of November. In that timeline, Pfizer estimates that they'll have roughly 50 million doses of the vaccine by the end of 2020. So they're um, already making it. They're already making it. They're already making it. So the goal then would be to have 50 million doses ready by the end of 2020 and already be shipping it out and have it approved for usage. Now, there's one one little wrinkle in this. So you'd say 50 million. Okay, that's a lot of people. But you're going to need to get this vaccine two or three times. You're going to need boosters. Basically, you're going to get. Is that what Pfizer is saying? Yeah, that's how their study design is. So they're at least having two doses. Uh, everybody in the study is at least getting two doses. They get one, and then three weeks later, they get another one. And the immunity that they're seeing is not really reached until after the second dose. So it is essential that people that are in this trial, as well as people in the general public once it's approved, get at least two doses. So that means at most, 
you're going to be able to treat 25 million people with this vaccine by the end of 2020. Somewhere between 15 and 25 million people will be able to be vaccinated with this if they make 50 million doses by the end of 2020, which is what they're aiming for. By the end of 2021, they are aiming to have 1.3 billion doses. And again, keeping in mind that everybody's going to need at least two doses of it. That would mean that we're going to be able to vaccinate at least 500 to up to maybe 775 million people by the end of 2021 with this vaccine candidate. We have 7 million people on the planet. 7 billion. 7 billion, yes, sorry. 7 billion people. If Trump got reelected, we'd have 7 million. That's right, that's right. Uh, So we've got 7 billion people on the planet. By the end of 2021, it would be likely that we would see a significant portion of the population that had been infected already, maybe 15 or 20%. These are just random numbers that aren't based on modeling. But the point is, is that a significant percentage of the population would have to be, that would be infected by 2021. And then the vaccine on top of that would cover about 12% of the world's population by the end of 2021. To get to herd immunity levels, we have to get to 50 to 60% of the population covered, whether that's through natural infection or a vaccination. In that scenario, we're, we're about half of that, maybe a little bit more than half of what we would need to get. So the, the point there is, don't expect this to end overnight, even if this vaccine is approved and production goes up to the levels that they're hoping for. Don't expect it to end overnight. That's point one, number one. Number two, if we want it to end, we're still going to have to take public health measures to cut the rate of transmission so there's less people being infected and clogging up hospitals and people dying because there's not enough care to go around. But we're also going to need other companies that are producing vaccines to also have vaccine candidates approved and be producing them within the next year because otherwise we're not going to have enough of the vaccine. At least this is just based on the numbers that Pfizer was providing this morning. We're not going to have enough of the vaccine to reach herd immunity levels by the end of 2021 if relying on the vaccine alone, or even one-fifth of the world's population being infected while having these 1.3 billion doses of the vaccine being distributed. Okay. One last point, one very last point. This vaccine, the specific one from Pfizer, has to be stored at very, very cold conditions, something like minus 80. It doesn't work in a normal freezer. It doesn't work in a fridge. You have to store it at very, very cold temperatures that most places don't have the ability to achieve. So you're looking at a a kind of a logistics problem here of not only are you having to produce billions of doses of the vaccine to cover the people in the world, but you're having to have conditions where they can store them at like minus 80 Celsius in places where that sort of technology is not available on a broad scale, where they're going to be able to store all of those doses that need to be administered to people. So that's a little bit of a logistics problem. And there are some other vaccine candidates that can be stored at more normal conditions, you know, normal freezer conditions. But this specific one has to be stored at super cold temperatures. So we're not out of the woods just yet. This is very encouraging news that the vaccine, uh, Again, we don't have any actual data, but just based off of the statement that they made, 90% of the people that were infected in the phase three trials were not on the vaccine. Only 10% of the infected people were on the vaccine. But that's positive news nonetheless. And we should, you know, have a, a slight... Okay, so we're, we're, we're almost out of time. So grounded. Right. So very quickly, can we trust Pfizer and can we trust the FDA? Kind of. So I think that there's always a... When the profit motive is there, there's always an issue. Uh, and I'll give a quick example after that that's also COVID-related. 
when the, when the profit motive is there, there's always a little bit of an issue. When there's political pressure placed on these uh, entities, there's also always potential issues. However, when the data comes out, I would trust the data. The, I mean, most of the data is going to be collected by physicians that are looking at the people who are. Is there a history that, of Pfizer fudging numbers? Is there a history of has this happened where they've announced they have a, a vaccine and then it doesn't come to fruition? It's pretty common, actually, where you see it not necessarily in phase three trials, but earlier on in the vaccine approval process or drug approval process, they'll say we have really promising numbers out now. We have really great looking numbers. We can expect to see uh, this being in production relatively soon. And it ends up being a lot of nothing because of safety concerns or because the way that the experiment was being run in that trial. It just wasn't a result that was super applicable to how it would actually work in the real world. It doesn't work like that very commonly in phase three trials. Once we get through phase three trials, the results that are put out, the data that's put out is generally pretty reliable. And the FDA generally does a pretty good job of reviewing the data and making a logical decision on it. We get a president on Saturday, hopefully. Did Pfizer keep a lid on this until after the elections? No. Uh, there, there was there was no concern about throwing the I mean, could it have been like Comey announcing Hillary's emails? Because if this news came out 10 days ago, well, people had already voted. You don't think there's any political considerations here? No. Uh, the reason I say that is because the vac the. the Data sharing process had already been agreed upon quite some time ago when they were making their phase three trial plans. Um, so when they were planning these phase three trials, again, originally it was supposed to be a cohort, cohort of 30,000 individuals and then was expanded to 44,000 individuals. And they had already planned to have an initial data release once there was 94 cases of COVID confirmed amongst that 44,000 people, whether they were the vaccinated group or the placebo group didn't matter. As long as they got 94 cases, then they would put data out. And again, at the 164 case number, this had already been decided before the election but they had only reached the 94 case number now. This was strictly a temporal thing that was working within the confines of the experiment that was set up. So I don't see there being any political incentive to holding off the results. They really had only just gotten their 94th case now. And that's why we only have this one batch of data that supposedly is going to be coming. But again, as of the time of recording, the only information that we're basing this conversation off of is the statement made by uh, Pfizer CEO this morning because they haven't actually released the data yet to the general uh, public or independent researchers other than the independent data review board that they submitted it to earlier. Interesting. Now, Pfizer makes Viagra. They self-financed the cure for COVID-19 because they discovered that men can get COVID-19 in addition to women. Is that uh, yeah, and actually men suffer more severely. David, let me give a, a quick example of profit motives and research very quickly. And I think that Dr. Fraud would have something that I think she, she'll like this example. So it's a COVID-related example. And hi, Dr. Fraud. It's always hi. nice to see you. Same. Uh, so earlier this summer, so uh, maybe a month and a half ago or so now, there was a research paper that came out preprint. So it had not been peer-reviewed yet. It was done by the Department of Defense with funding from Boeing, Raytheon, General Electric, et cetera. That's the same 
uh, or general dynamics, all of the, the people that you would think of. And they wanted to look at whether or not transmission of COVID within airplanes on long distance flights was possible. And of course, it would be great for Boeing if long distance uh, flights were not a risk to people's health. So this, this experiment was done. Again, it hasn't been peer reviewed yet. It at least has not been through the peer review process yet. It's currently in it. And what they found is that, hey, long distance flights are actually not a big risk for contracting COVID because, you know, air circulation and, uh, and all of that. And for there to be a significant amount of on-flight transmission, if you're assuming that people are, you know, kind of spaced out and sort of paying attention to masks and guidelines and whatnot, you'd have to be on the plane for something like 54 hours. That's the number that jumps to my mind for there to be a significant amount of transmission. Again, this was done by the Department of Defense and was funded by Boeing as well as other companies. Now, there was a paper that came out a couple weeks ago, and I, I talked about it on my Patreon. And I, I'll, I have it pulled up that way I, people can look it up if they're not on my Patreon. The name of the paper is A Large National Outbreak of COVID-19 Linked to Air Travel, Ireland, Summer 2020. It's out from Euro Surveillance. Okay. So this, this was a flight that took place this summer, went to Ireland. The plane was very empty. It was only at 17% capacity. There was 49 people flying uh, on board. There was 283 seats. So that's less than one person for every five seats. And it was really spaced out considering that some of these were like groups of people that were sitting right next to each other. So therefore, it was even more spaced out than one person for every five or six seats if you exclude those groups of people. Now, what ended up happening on that flight with 49 people 13 individuals that were on the flight ended up testing positive for COVID after they landed and they actually infected a bunch of other people as well once they landed in Ireland. So this is pretty early on in the outbreak in Ireland. There wasn't that many people in the country that had had COVID yet, but they had 12 symptomatic cases, one asymptomatic case, and they had something like 56, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, something like that, 56 people that had been infected overall in the outbreak, if you include people on the ground. Now, at least one of the people who went on the flight would have had COVID before they got on the plane and infected at least some of the other people. At most, they could have infected 12 other passengers on the plane because there was 13 people total that tested positive shortly after getting off. However, based on some uh, analytical uh, and computational methods that they did for analyzing the data and the, the information about the people that were on, they figured that it was more likely that somewhere between four people and eight people were infected during that flight, which was a seven and a half hour flight. And only one of the people who was infected that tested positive was not wearing a mask. And it was a young child. Everyone else wore a mask during the flight and 13 of the people ended up testing positive shortly after the flight. So again, if you're talking about profit motive and, and research, I'm not saying necessarily that the Department of Defense's research paper funded by Boeing was a, uh, a fudged paper or a propaganda paper, but it is a little bit fishy that they came out with this paper. And of course, there is a profit motive for the people that conducted the research and funded the research to saying air travel is safe and it's super safe. You have to be on the plane 54 hours. There's no flights that go 54 hours. Oh, it's, if you sit on the tarmac, I've sat on the tarmac for 54 hours. 
So it's a little bit fishy, David, that there's this paper that comes out that says with a high degree of certainty that transmission would not occur on long distance flights. And then shortly afterwards, we have there's very little research that's been done based on flights because tracking passengers is pretty hard afterwards and following up with them. But this paper just came out a few weeks ago and almost definitively showed that these people were infected on the flight because they sequenced the COVID of several of the cases and the sequences of the COVID of those multiple cases were almost identical. So they were likely infected all at the same time. And the only place that they came in contact with each other on the flight that they were wearing masks on. Great. Not great, but we have to wrap it up. Dr. Harriet Frada standing by. There's a new podcast out that everybody should subscribe to. It's called the Gorilla History Podcast, and it's hosted by Professor Adnan Hussein. He's a historian and director of the School of Religion at Queens University. It's also hosted by Revolutionary Left's radio's Brett O'Shea and somebody I've never heard of, Henry Huckamacki. I don't know who that is. Okay. He's got a, yeah. you've got a podcast? Again, yeah. So people are writing it down. People yeah, it's, it's, so again, it's Gorilla History. Uh, you can find it. I just got approval from uh, Apple Podcasts today. The only one that I'm really waiting on now of the big platforms is Spotify, but it's basically. You're in a, every- it's a phase three of the trial, right? Before you be approved, right? You <laughs> no, got to no, do placebo tests before it's you get approval. phase three for Spotify. Phase three, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I've got it on basically any podcast platform that you would normally get your podcasts from. We also have just an RSS feed up. Again, we're just waiting on Spotify at this point, but you can find it by Googling or going to your podcast platform, looking for Gorilla History, G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, you can follow us on Twitter at Gorilla, G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A underscore pod. And we also have a Patreon where we've got some bonus content up already, which is patreon.com forward slash uh, Gorilla History, G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A history, one, one word. And check it out. We've got two episodes up, a pilot and a pilot episode, uh, not related to planes. Uh, and an episode with the great Vijay Prashad talking about U.S. interventions abroad and assassinations and CIA and IMF tactics and all of that good stuff. And it was just a fantastic conversation. And anybody that listens to this show, I think, is really going to like guerrilla history as well. Great. Thank you. Great job. And we'll plug COVID Town Squares, which is coming up in about two weeks. Great job, Henry. Thank you, as always. Thank you, David. Thank you. See you, Dr. Fraud. Bye-bye. Good to see you. Well, I never would have met Dr. Fraud if it weren't for Henry insisting that I have you on the show. I I learned so much from Henry. Uh, Anyway, Dr. Harriet Fraud joins us. And it's, well, let me ask you about Pfizer. Let me play Satan's Advocate. Pfizer self-financed. They didn't take any Operation Warp Speed money. Private enterprise cured COVID. Is there anything to be said for that? Well, in my experience, which is mental health medicines, Mm -hmm. I cast a lot of suspicion on that because the trials that they have, well, there's only one publication in the United States, which is now it's only available for doctors and um, because the and it only covers research that is done independently of drug companies. The United States 
research is done by the drug companies that would profit from the drug. And I've had clients who are pharmacists working for companies who quit because they're so pressured to okay things that are not okay. And in terms of Paxil, a very famous, you know, mental health medicine, there were trials in which they showed that a percentage of people became suicidal and homicidal, but they didn't mention that in their warnings. And I think that there's every financial incentive to lie and hide negative evidence. So I wouldn't trust a vaccine that didn't have at least a year or so out and time to reveal the side effects. Also, the FDA asks for three consecutive tests that are okay, that show that people are okay. But even if you had 50, they weren't. It's, right. it's very selective towards the drug companies. And so, you know, I would not um, rush to get a new vaccine. So you wrote that neoliberalism has triumphed over fascism. What is the difference between neoliberalism and fascism? I'm being serious. Well, I think when capital, first let's start with capitalism. Let's think of it, capitalism as a barrel. And when that barrel falls apart, iron bands are put around it to hold it together. And the iron bands are fascism, which are the government intervenes directly to protect the corporations. Say that again, please, because it, 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 that, that was really great. I just want that to sink in my... Capitalism is a barrel. Right. And, when, and when the when barrel starts falling apart, apart they put bands around it. By the fascist bands of wow. the state coming in to support, directly support capitalism. That's right. what happened in Germany in the 30s, our government indirectly comes in by buying our government. And we still do have some say. And neoliberalism is where there is a liberalism of equal opportunity to try to get into that small 10% at the top within a class-stratified society like ours, which is the most inegalitarian of all the developed nations in the world. But if you're black and from a family that'll educate you or get into a privileged school or one of the few schools in every city for the really smart kid and work your ass off, you can enter the luxurious sphere and get a BMW. The 10%. That's right. You can enter that 10%. Same thing if you're a woman like Sheryl Sandberg and you lean in, you can have it all. You can have a marriage and children and a high-power job as long as you have nine servants like she did to help you out. So the right? 10% is the magic number that allows the 90% to believe it's right. their fault that they didn't That's right. They, they weren't. There was a saying, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? Right. That's what it's about. That... If you didn't get ahead, it's because you're inadequate, because you can try it if you, you know, you can get there if you really try, which isn't true. If you have connections, like Obama had real connections, his mother was probably CIA connected, 
and he was allowed into Colombia and so on. He was tapped. They, I've spoken to people. He was tapped. They tap you at Yale for skull and bones. And he was identified as a brilliant guy. And as, and they, 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 they find these brilliant. I know a professor who says to me, my job is to look for the really brilliant kids and suck them into the system. And if they want to play ball, the world is their oyster. So Obama, there's no question that Obama is absolutely off the charts when it comes to intelligence. They they tapped him and he. So it doesn't matter if you're light brown, which he was, beige people can get into the top 10%. And so can women on occasion. But it's a class stratified society. And so that they are more liberal about abortion and birth control and transsexuality and homosexuality, which are very important. But the class striations remain the same. And the society is geared towards profit to the top. And so that there, the sense is you make decisions that allow them to make more money at your expense. However, you do have more chances. And I think this election was important because in spite of their gerrymandering of the Republicans, throwing away votes, messing with the post office, okay, Biden won. And that neoliberalism is a lot better than fascism. And what is, so neoliberalism, how does that work? They put the bands on the inside of the barrel? (laughs) Neoliberalism means that the barrel is standing and the top of the barrel is gold and the bottom is rotten, but it keeps standing. And I think that what happens in the United States is that the mass of, of working people have been immiserated. Not only black people, although they have been even more immiserated, but white people and light brown people and so on as a whole. But certain ones are chosen and can enter the top. I remember my husband telling me that as a kid with no money at Harvard, who then went to Stanford and Yale and all that, some of his professors said, you know, drop this anti-war stuff. You could be a professor at Yale. You could be an advisor to the government. And he always felt those are paltry prizes. I have my eyes on much more than that. You know, but there is there are opportunities at the top. And that's better than look, it's better than a cult of personality with a narcissistic two bit dictator. Okay. But it doesn't mean we've reached paradise. And change really is possible. And unless the Democrats and Biden changes from his previous pattern, they'll be creating a condition for a Trump, which is a mass of enraged, destructive, nihilistic people willing to enjoy as he smashes up the government and enjoy it as he replaces all the cabinet posts with destroyers of the areas that they're supposed to protect and grabs women. Let me ask you, what what, what are we up against? You know, I'm, I'm not trying to be a sensationalist here. I genuinely believe 
that we have been wrong about Trump since he came down the escalator. People who've been listening to this show since we started are sick of my saying this. I'm stunned by the complacency that how people are just accepting a system that has failed them for the past five years. McConnell praises GOP wins, yet backs Trump's refusal to accept election. This is the the majority leader of the Senate who's saying Trump's right for for challenging this. Lindsey Graham says this is fraud. Ted Cruz says this is fraud. The minority leader of the House, Kevin McCarthy, is saying this isn't legitimate. They didn't accept Barack Obama. They thought he was an illegitimate president. They didn't accept Obama too. They didn't accept Clinton. They they so this is nothing new here. Why do people think that these Republicans are worried about how they look by refusing to accept this election? Do you think they're going to accept this? I don't think they're going to accept it. I think they might not. And I think people identify with them because they say everything's fake. And it is. There's a lot of lying and a lot of government fakery and a lot of corruption. And their suspicions are confirmed. You know, I have this theory, which is there are two kinds of survival, Harriet Fraud's theory. One of them is your physical survival and the other is your psychological survival. The psychological Survival trumps, to use a funny word here, Mm -hmm. the physical survival every time. They feel they are dying. And this guy says, I hear you, you're dying, you're working and you're getting nowhere. There's a swamp taking over your land. Right. And they reverberate to that recognition, even if he does everything to worsen the swamp. But they're recognized when the right wing says to women, you have a glorified and wonderful role as a mother. Women, a lot of women feel recognized, even though there's no child care, no after school care. They're going to fail as parents because the system is against them and they have too much to do. And they don't have they have to work outside the home and they don't have any help. But somebody recognizes them psychologically. And the Democratic Party hasn't done that. AOC has, Rashida Tlaib has, and so have Richie Torres, who's now joined the ranks of the socialists, and Mondaire Jones, and Ayanna Presley. You know, these are people who go door to door, who talk to people, who recognize their plight. But I think a lot of people voted for Trump because of his rage. And because he seemed to recognize them in some of his speeches, even though he acted to immiserate them, make them even poorer and in worse health. So I think it's that contradiction. And if the Democrats don't address that class divide and that rage at being denied, they'll lose. What does your gut tell you? How do you see the next 60 days playing out? Well, I have, you know, I'm a congenitally hopeful sort. Right. So I look at different things. I look at how in Portland, Maine, DSA combined with People First Campaign and the city council passed 
five out of their six referendum questions. One was 22 hours, $22 a week during COVID, 15 minimum plus time and a half because it's dangerous during COVID. Amazing. Banning facial surveillance by any law enforcement. Neat. Implement the Green New Deal in Portland. Okay. Cap annual rent increases. Fine. And also allow um, marijuana businesses to flourish. Right. There was one they didn't because of the way it was phrased. It was phrased as if it was to cap short-term rentals and it was portrayed as poor black families rent a room and they manage to get by when it's actually people buying up real estate and making a mint off Airbnb. However, five out of those six won because people went door to door because Kashama, you know, like Portland, Oregon has Kashama Sawant, an immigrant socialist as the head of the city council. And these passed, even though the mayor, Snyder, opposed all of them, all of these. And it shows that if you don't just have ads at the last minute and not care, and if you don't go door to door, and if you don't engage with people, and if you don't recognize their struggle, you're going to lose. Right. And don't let them control the narrative when it comes to how liberal how progressive this country really is. The story coming out of California is, well, you know, they voted for Biden, but they also voted against rent control and they also voted uh, against raising taxes. Well, there were also some uh, there were also some referenda that passed that upheld uh, lower sentencing for prisoners and in California and San Francisco voted to raise taxes on any corporation where the CEO or the manager, local manager, earns 100 times more than his employees, her employees. So they're, they're but the narrative is, oh, yeah, California well, isn't. The progressives, if it weren't for the progressives, they wouldn't have won. 38% of the votes for the Democrats were from black people. And those aren't the rich people of our society. Right. And that's because they recognize they need a change. And every, in every swing state, anyone who recommended Medicare for all won. That's also why Markey won in Massachusetts, although he ran, he was the first one to win against a Kennedy in Massachusetts because he stood for something. And I think if you go door to door and you talk to people and you have a progressive militant agenda, you'll be as popular as the get of the squad who all won, even though they poured hundreds of thousands of dollars into the fight against Ocasio-Cortez. She won by 70.2% because she went door to door with her people. And so did they all. Because they are talking to people about real, real issues that mean something in people's lives. One of the lies, I think it's a lie that the Democrats are telling is that AOC turned off the Latinx vote because she's a socialist and people from Cuba and Venezuela 
They fled South America. They fled Cuba because of socialism. Socialism has a bad connotation, and the Democrats are not going to win the Hispanic Latinx vote if they push socialism because they know how dangerous socialism is. Is, well, that, all, is that true? Cuba, that, that's, a, that's just a there false. There are people like that in the Cuban enclaves in right. Miami. They are very anti-communist and anti-socialist. They came here to make money. Also, Fidel had the smart idea in the Mariel boat lift to empty the insane asylums and the jails and send them all to freedom and get rid of the federal expense. It was very and the, a lot of the Cubans who came over were from Batistas. Were, That's right. Were know. willing to sell out their people to make money. Right. And they came here, and that's what they're willing to do. And the, Nicaro- the, the Nicaraguans were escaping because they were in bed with Somoza. But if you were to poll most immigrants from Central America and South America, would they blame socialism for the gangs? No, would- they wouldn't. They wouldn't blame socialism for the gangs. The gangs don't flourish in socialism. A place like Uruguay, which doesn't have a whole lot of people here, had a very honest revolution. So where do we see the refugees from socialism in coming to who's fleeing socialism from Central America or, or, or Ecuador? I, I guess Ecuador had a socialist recently. I don't see too many Ecuadorians. No, I don't see that either. But you see a lot of people who came from Cuba because they wanted to make money. That was the point. And if your goal in life is making money, Cuba is not a good place for you. If your goal is to see everyone around you have a chance in life, it's a better place. To see all children getting milk, it's a better place. But Cuba is is a small part. We've always known that Cuba was different from, was the outlier in the Hispanic community. You know, Ted Cruz and right. Rubio ran as Latinx, Hispanic, but they were Cuban. But do we have examples uh, like when they say Venezuela, refugees from Venezuela? Is Venezuela really a socialist regime? No, it's not. It's a mixed regime. And those people who came here came here because they sympathize with U.S. politics. Certainly look at Bolivia. People risk death, but they wanted their own president back and they didn't want America's stooge. You know, also the Puerto Ricans who are an enormous part of people in the United States donated once Trump left a whole case of paper towels to dry his tears Mm -hmm. since he threw paper towels at them when there was a flood said, here, take these. This will help you. Right. So that he had for them. Could there be a socialist party in America? How, how would you build a socialist party in America? Well, look what they did in Portland, Oregon, where they have Kashama Sawant, the head of the city council, who is not only an immigrant and a woman, but also a socialist. And in Portland, Maine, where they won all these things, they won sponsored by the Democratic Socialists of America and People First Portland. And they worked on those things for a long time. If you had a real alternative, 
people would vote for him. I think most of Trump's voters would have voted for Bernie. They had Bernie on Fox News once. He was so popular, they never let him on again. Because he was angry. Because mm-hmm. he spoke to the pain of people. And that that's what a socialist can do. But in this best democracy money can buy, that's uh, they're very... They have two capitalist parties, two parties that represent the employers, no one that is the employee party. There are individual progressives that do, like Richie Torres or AOC or Elon Omar, any of those, you know, or Cori Bush. But they're exceptions. They're progressive Democrats. But you need another alternative. You need an alternative party because that party can't really hold. You have... It's governed by the employers, that's where they got the money, to keep the status quo and to vote in neoliberalism instead of fascism. And look, it certainly is an improvement. That's fine. The people in charge of the oil and the reserves and the land actually do something to protect their people. However, they're very influenced by the corporations, as everything in the United States is. It's the culture. Right. So I think, of course, they have a chance because, it, look, they had a chance before. LaGuardia was a socialist. Vito Marco Antonio was a socialist. Those things have happened before in our history and can happen again. But and, you'd have to get rid of Citizens United. Right. The... The election of Senator Harris as a founding mother of the feminists, did that mean anything to you, or do you know too much about her to celebrate? No, I don't think she was a founding mother. No, no, you're a founding mother. Well, you know, I I don't believe that just because I don't believe in identity politics. When I think of women in office, I also think of Margaret Thatcher, as well as a progressive person like Kashama Kawant, you know, Kashama Shawant. But I also, you know, I think it's helpful to have a woman there, but I don't think identity politics is it. You can be black and sell out other black people. Look at Clarence Thomas. He's the most racist, miserable person on the whole Supreme Court just because he's brown. And I think people hoped that by voting for Obama, coloring the same old neoliberal stuff in a brown would save them. And part of the reason they liked Trump is because it didn't save them. And they were angry that it wasn't hope and change. It was the same thing all over again as far as making a living, having a decent life, having good health care and quality child care and after school care. Those things were missing. Before you go, pay to play. There's a a pay to play structure in Washington, D.C. We had uh, Jeff Hauser on from the Revolving Door Project earlier, and I said there's a very simple solution. Lawyers have to get specific uh, 
they have to pass specific bar exams. So in other words, if you want to be a prosecutor, you have to pass a bar exam that is all about being a prosecutor. You want to be a defense attorney, you take the defense attorney bar. And that way, if you're Mary Jo White, you don't go through the revolving door as a prosecutor to a corporate lawyer. You have to stay a prosecutor. Right. And he went, ah, I'm a lawyer. I don't like that idea. I went, oh, well, you're not going to solve this problem then. You don't really want to solve the problem. Uh, how do we solve the pay to play? I think we have too many lawyers in this country. I think the solution is to use this pandemic to put these law schools out of business. I'm being serious. but Well, I do think that lawyers are one of the groups that are being put out of business and being cheapened by the fact that there aren't enough jobs. But I think you'd have to get rid of Citizens United. You'd have to have what they have in France. David Bossy, by the way, tested positive for COVID. He runs Citizens United. Go ahead. Just poetic justice. Hope springs eternal. Go ahead. Exactly. But in European countries like France and Germany, it is illegal to take private money in elections. And every it's illegal to buy TV time, too. Every candidate gets a certain amount of TV time. So one after another, they stand up, all eight parties when I was in France and watched it, and talk about what they stand for. And you're allowed to put up posters. And they do cheat. Some of them take money under the table. In France, Sarkozy took a... Uh, attaché case full of bills from Enid Betancourt, the richest woman in France, the richest person in France. But, you know, when they're caught, they're disqualified. And you'd have to have those kinds of rules and you'd have to enforce them. Otherwise, it is, a, a you know, the best democracy money can buy mm-hmm. and no one can run without billions of dollars and that has to change. And it can. They changed it. Right. Last question. How bad were the past four years? Terrible. Terrible. They were terrible. I got a beautiful card from a client who's been with her lover for the last four years. And she's black and her lover is white. And they wrote, at last, we're not hated anymore. People have suffered. People are afraid. Black people are afraid. This kind of open season in terms of cop killings. The United States... Cops killing African-Americans. Cops killing African-Americans. Yeah. And the United States kills more people in a day than most of these countries kill in a year. Cop by cops. So that that's a change. It's also a change for women when you don't have a rapist in office with 26 sexual assaults and 12 of them against children. And you, you know, you have a different sense of safety as a progressive person. And that if you go out in the street and demonstrate, you're less likely to be shot by one of his paramilitaries. It makes a difference to have some democracy. It gives us a chance to organize, but we've got to organize or people's rage will reelect another demagogue like Trump. Do the Democrats understand that? No. They want the same corporate cash. 
that the Republicans want, and they don't want anything to interfere. And one of the reasons they knifed Bernie in the back twice was because the banks and corporations let them know, no dinero, honey. You let this guy be your candidate, you won't have the money for ads. Right. Right. So, so, so we have we have a Democratic Party that's controlled by people who don't care about their constituents. And we have a Republican Party that's controlled by people who don't care about democracy. They will pack or their the constituents or their mm-hmm. constituents, uh, uh, just their paymasters. Right. I hate to be a broken record. I think we underestimate the Republican Party. I think we know how bad our side is. I don't think, I think this complacency right now between now and the inauguration, you ain't, you ain't seen nothing yet. You, you're going to see things. There aren't there forces without, you know, tinfoil on my head. There are forces who are saying to Donald Trump, you're not leaving. We'll tell you when you leave. That There are, but on the other hand, the corporations are perfectly happy with Biden. I'm talking about the, but there's a, but there are. Thug element, it's true, but I think that probably Trump will just go away. All he does is eat and play golf since he lost. He probably, most pathological liars, in fact, all of them, lie to deceive themselves about who they are. And so after telling himself he's been a winner every minute and telling everybody else this must be quite a shock, and he's now cut off. ABC, NBC, and CBS all cut him off when he claimed it was a fraud. He doesn't have what he had before. They're not scribbling down every lying word and not saying this is untrue. I mean, Drudge, Drudge, you know, soured on him the whole media has soured on him that's the good news we are if biden gets inaugurated it's because rupert murdoch and drudge let it happen i think they they want the corporate dollars and the corporate dollars were given to the democrats as well they're both employer parties right Dr. Harriet Fraud, your two podcasts are It's Not Just in Your Head and Capitalism Hits Home. How do people contact you? Well, they could, if they want to hear my podcast, go to Capitalist, Capitalism Hits Home or go just look it up and Google it and you'll get it. Or if you want to reach me personally, HarrietHFraud.com. Or, or it's not just in your head. Google it and you'll get it. That's how you get it. Great. Thank you. I hope to see you next week. Yes, you will. Thank sure you enough. very much. Thank you, Dr. Harryford. When we come back, Professor Marianne Cummings, the commish, will join us. Thank you. Bye-bye.
time in the city My hair plugs ain't pretty Hot times in the city I'm feeling kinda bad Seven to eight hours twice a week Don't have time to take a leak Hot times in the city Thank you so much, Professor Mike Steinell. This is uh, the David Feldman Show. Subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your your. Uh, your podcasts and let's go to aurora illinois where the commish is standing by professor marianne cummings is parks commissioner a parks commissioner of aurora illinois and i'm looking forward to talking with you and then jim earl is coming up and there i i have had some pent-up uh, rage towards Joe Biden that I wasn't allowed to release, but now I can. But how are you seeing this play out, Professor? Uh, well, what do you mean by this at the moment? Do, are, do you feel we've crossed the finish line? And by that, I mean, <laughs> it's democracy. I over. We've crossed the finish line like last March, this past March. Yeah, billionaires already won. It was just a matter of how we keep the masses entertained, you know, with this democracy thing. Right. But isn't oh, it no, also entertaining? Isn't blood on the streets also entertaining? Uh, yeah, there's not going to be blood on the streets. I mean, people just aren't there. There is no mood for a revolution. There, There is just none. I mean, I know that that lefties have been hyping themselves, you know, heterodyning on themselves for like the last year, getting all whipped up. But what is the term you used? I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, heterodyning. It's it's it's, it's um, I think it's a phrase for mechanical engineering. You know, when you have uh, portions of a system kind of like uh, exciting one, then they excite the other and it's back and forth and back and oh. forth. You know? So it's uh, anyway. Um, so you think the 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 center has held and we will just drift into inaugura- an inauguration and go back to the night. No, I think the oligarchs have held. I mean, they're getting their people, apparently, by the various maybe trial balloons, maybe uh, initial lists, who knows. But the people that have been floating around about Biden's cabinet, I mean, you know, the money is going to be taken care of. The oligarchs are going to be taken care of. Fossil fuel is going to be taken care of. I mean, everybody's going to be taken care of except for the constituency that the likes of uh, AOC and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib at all whipped up in Wisconsin, in, in Detroit, 
you know, all over the country in Georgia to, you know, elect Biden, even though Biden has none of their interests at heart. So So Larry Summers, I think, was kicked to the curb. Well, they he was going to be. But what happened to him was uh, after uh, Elaine Maxwell was arrested, there were all these stories that came out and pictures of him and uh, and Jeremy Epstein after Jeremy Epstein. Let's get this name. Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey. Did I say say Jeremy Jeremy Epstein? Jeffrey Epstein. I don't want to get sued by the Jeremy Epstein. Oh, that's right. You wouldn't want to do that. Okay, so uh, it was pretty clear that uh, probably Larry Summers was. And, you know, uh, Virginia Guffrey, one of the uh, victims, yeah, one of the women featured in the Netflix documentary. She not only named Prince Andrews, but she's named Larry Summers, uh, George Mitchell which is an odd name for a young girl. I, I think the senator, the senator from Maine that I think was Clinton's envoy to the talks in Northern Ireland uh, at one point, but, uh, and uh, Bill Richardson, right. Clinton's Secretary of energy, right. That she was being, you know, uh, shopped to mm-hmm. and all of those people. It's almost weird because it's like, both sides, you know, like it's Fox News and MSNBC, it's almost like there's a gentleman's agreement after the uh, initial stories of Epstein and Maxwell that no one speak about this, you know, because I think, uh, and I think that uh, Dr. Fraud uh, addressed yeah. this a couple months ago. Yeah, she's I done mean, a series of podcasts about yes. this. You're absolutely well, I mean, right. On this show, yeah. On yeah. this show, that this is vaster than anyone suspects. There was a story about uh, uh, Deutsche Bank, which was a scandal, and they had to pay some $150 million in fines because we find out that not only were they doing business with Epstein, they were actively courting his business. Again, after his uh, trial and imprisonment for child prostitution. And and then that just kind of went away. That doesn't take anybody down. You know, they get a fine. It's creepy. It's almost, I think I'm pretty dark and cynical about how power works, but it may be darker than, and more cynical than I even think. I agree with and you. I think part of it is the money. When people are so vastly rich, now we're, you know, past the Gilded Age. We have to go all the way back to like early imperial Rome to see people who were so much vastly wealthier wealthier than, you know, the normal people. And, yeah, they could pretty much act, uh, they had license to do just about anything if they didn't violate the rules of the club, Mm -hmm. (laughs) violate the rules of the club, you know. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. We fixated on John Benet Ramsey. People forget this, but back in 1997, a little seven-year-old beauty queen was murdered. They couldn't solve it. And it was the lead story every night. Uh And they always showed the picture of her in full makeup. Of course they did. And then we fixated on Chandra Levy Mm -hmm. and Gary Condit, who turned out to be innocent of the 9-11 happened. And we forgot about Chandra Levy. It was like, and now you have Jeffrey Epstein. In terms of salaciousness, in terms of 
red meat for Fox News and CBS and all the networks. This is this is this is a prime cut. And yet nothing, nothing. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. They should be all over. This has everything. It has the forbidden fruit, child rape. It's everything you want. But no, we're going to get, um, look, you know, you were talking earlier about Trump not leaving. And I know you've got anxiety, but I'm here to say not to worry. Good. Actually, Trump looks fairly insane and pathetic with his conspiracy, uh, conspiracy theories about a stolen election. However, that's the way a lot of the lefty talking heads and the uh, HRC surrogates seem to us with this Russia gating for four years. They had to, like, have some exotic theory about a foreign entity, you know, Dr. No style, you know, to explain what was just face slappingly obvious to a lot of us, you know. Yes, suddenly Facebook has been able to tame the Russians. And yeah, somehow, isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah. This year it didn't uh, happen. So, but I'm thinking that maybe the Trump people are getting some of the same media consultants as the uh, the Dems in trying to push the theories, conspiracy theories. But uh, no, it's a. I, I don't think Trump. As I said, you know, two months ago, I said I, not only will Trump leave the office if he loses the election, I don't think he'll even hang around for the inauguration. I think he'll just be gone. And uh, so that's not what I'm worried about. I'm and, you know, God bless uh, Ocasio-Cortez, because she came out immediately the day after uh, the various news organizations called the election for Biden. She came out swinging. You know, she came out swinging against these, you know, talking heads and these hideous proto-fascistic Republicans that supported Biden, like John frickin' Kasich. You're listening to this guy, and now he's like, you know, wagging his finger all over CNN and and saying that, you know, remember it was, you know, it, it was the moder- the moderates that brought Biden. I'm like going, no, <laughs> wrong answer. And the AOC said, wrong answer. But you know, what was really chilling to me, and what I'd warned people about, was that uh, uh, Kasich said something on on CNN. I think it was. Sunday morning, where he said, well, I was very glad to see that his friend Joe Biden will have a Republican Senate to work with so he can start responsibly dealing with Social Security and Medicare. I'm going, there it is. There it is. This is the, these are the neolibs. This is their plan. Now, will they succeed? I don't know. But, you know, uh, George W. Bush, I remember when he put partial privatization of Social Security on the table. That finally got the Democrats, you know, united. Even my my old my old boyfriend, what was his name? Ford was a he, he was a congressman from Tennessee. He was Oh Harold Ford. The horrible Harold Ford. Harold Ford. Ford. Yes, my, yeah. What a horrible human being at one point. You were what? <laughs> but you but dated anyway, him? No, but huh. I just like I looked at him and go, oh, God, he could be my boyfriend. You know, right. like the first time I saw him, like when I was younger and more foolish. Yeah. But then he turned out to be this right winger. Right. <laughs> but even he got in line against the privatization of Social Security. A, a Republican can't do it. A, po- a Republican can't dismantle Social Security or Medicare. 
but perhaps a Democrat, the Democratic president could. And people forget Obama put, you know, put Social Security privatization on the table. Did he? I, I, I find that I, I've blocked yeah. that out. I know I remember I know everybody that everybody blocks that out. It, yeah. Everybody blocks the fact that he like ended habeas corpus as an overriding legal principle in this country with the uh, 2011 National Defense Authorization Act. Yeah, you know, it's like Obama did stuff that if President Cheney or his little sidekick tried to do that, I mean, people would be up in arms. And that's the thing I I worry about here, except that we now have somebody of a profile of AOC who is coming out swinging against all of this. Right. And my God, I mean, if the Democrats, if the, they don't do something sweeping and dramatic on COVID, because, uh, yeah, the, as far as your earlier conversation, that's very interesting. Pfizer has a vaccine, but that's not going to stop the, the raging pandemic that's going on right now. As I'm speaking, apparently, from like the COVID center of the universe, the state of Illinois. Again, over 10,000 cases today, once again, you know, the largest in the country. They they need to get, I think, 70 percent of Americans inoculated as a a comedy bit. If if this were a successful television show, (laughs) I would I think I've mentioned this. I would go to one of Trump's rallies because he's going to be holding them. I would ask his supporters. I would go with a doctor and a nurse. And offer free flu shots. Forget COVID. Free, free flu shots. Oh, yeah. and let's ask his maskless morons whether or not they'll take a flu shot, let alone a uh, a Pfizer shot. They're not going to take it. These are anti-vaxxers. So it's well, not good news. The problem news. here isn't isn't uh, rallies. The problem here is that uh, we had a we had very poor leadership from our Democratic governor. And on this, I mean, he closed down early, but it's just he, the the, uh, the leadership, he caved to to commercial uh, pressures. But the Catholic schools all stayed open. And now I think even they are shutting down in our area because it's just, you know, I think the combination of the schools opening plus three weeks ago, it's like 75 degrees. In a little while, I'll be joining friends out, you know, on a socially spaced get together for a wake for a very good friend of ours. Oh, who I will mention, Steve Aldrich passed away. He was the guy, anybody in the Aurora area or even in the greater Chicago area who was involved in activist politics knows Steve. And uh, what did he do? What did he do? Well, he um, he drummed. No, but he was involved. He was involved in everything from uh, from Black Lives Matter to recently Black Lives Matter to uh, Indivisible to I mean, way back to he was part of the crew that uh, the story went. Somebody was putting some company was putting pollution in uh, the Fox River, and they got a dump truck dredged out part of the uh, Fox River and dumped it on his lawn, and that got a lot of publicity. And I mean, he was just one, he was just old school, like, hey, you know, we are going to make life really uncomfortable. We are not going to, for people who are harming our, 
our, our civilians. You know, he's just uh, harming us. And he was just a great guy. I mean, it was uh, a little, it, it was a little sad. He wasn't, he was in his 60s. It, it was a little shocking for us. So, but anyway, you know, uh, there's a big activist community here and uh, we aren't going to sleep at all. Uh, we are having elections in the spring and there's a, uh, there's a young there's a guy running for mayor who's Black Lives Matter, uh, Green New Deal, and all these things. And uh, I'm kind of getting a little uh, psyched. Cause yeah, what are you I'm optimistic t- about? Because I'm seeing so many people responding even to my re-election campaign. I took my bike and went down. I had a great time. I was going door to door getting signatures. I've, I've got like hundreds of signatures now to get on the ballot. Way more than I need. And we're but, talking uh, about 2021. 2021, the municipal elections. But people were complaining to me. I had a lot of people screaming at me, actually yelling and, you know, a bunch of neighbors in this one neighborhood, which I liked and I encouraged because I'm an elected official. But there is a homeless, little homeless city now in Aurora, Illinois. They closed the uh, homeless shelter in, in April and gave everybody tents. And now there are people living in tents on Park District, on the Fox Valley Park District property. So I took my bike down there and I actually saw them for the first time. And uh, my executive director thinks we're just going to have a nice little chat on Thursday about, uh, you know, our part of the CARES Act money. But uh, he doesn't know I'm about to make his life a lot more complicated because the park district is going to take the lead in dealing with this homeless problem. And I don't care whose desk I have to sit on, the current mayors, you know, Bill Foster's. I mean, it's, we, this is a this is a disgrace of epic proportions that we have an area that has so many resources. I mean, vast amount of resources, and we allow this to happen. Right. So, I how mean, do you? LA people are used to it, but talk to me about COVID and where you see Aurora a year from now in terms of. I wondered that myself. I was out on the deck of the Valley Doyle, which is one of the most beautiful places in Aurora, by myself, having a little dinner, overlooking the Fox River and all the lighted city, and wondering, is, are things going to be normal a year from now? Or is a year from now it's going to look like a scene out of the movie The Road? You know, I just kind of wonder. Um, but I think, uh, you know, we're surviving it. I mean, part of the problem with this disease is that particularly younger people can't get too excited about COVID given all the enormous stresses and, and challenges in their lives. I mean, I looked at some of you the mean, data. You mean, get recently. excited about a cure? In other well, words. They're, not, they're not fearful of it. I mean, if it right. was something like the SARS-1, yeah, people were genuinely afraid. But I looked at the, the uh, fatality rates for people under 40. And they're like a regular flu. I mean, they really are like a regular flu. It starts shooting up once you get past uh, 50, and then up past 80, it's like over 20%. It's, it's really uh, – so I can see how they just – you know, it's like, hey, they're in, they're in debtor's prison for the rest of their lives with, this, with student loans and no job prospects, a lot of them. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think we'll – I think we will get through it 
I don't know what the landscape is going to be. It's going to, I knew it was going to be ugly with the Biden administration coming in and his choice for cabinets, but it is inspiring that um, <laughs> AOC, probably her staff, watches Jimmy Dore <laughs> because yes. she came out with some language like, oh, wait a minute, I think somebody on her staff watches Jimmy Dore who is raging against your sheepdog hurting people into a party that hates you. Form another party, but, you know. Good that she's on, you know, she's on top of things. But um, uh, she does seem to tell people that I don't give a rat's ass about my career as congresswoman. We, there, there are problems we've got to deal with, and I'm not letting you, you know. I, we've held our breath, held our noses to get Trump out of there. Now that's gone. And by the way, you know, now I'm beginning to think that maybe we should descend on, uh, on Georgia and help those two get elected, even though that Ossoff guy gives me creepy Pete Buttigieg vibes. But regardless, if Mitch McConnell wasn't wasn't the uh, Senate Majority leader, leader, then the Democrats really wouldn't have any excuse. Yeah, look at this story. Again, I don't mean to ring the alarm bell about the Republicans and how fascistic they are. There, <laughs> there is a runoff. Mm-hmm. In when is it in January? Senators David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler are pissed off at Brad Raffsenberger. He is the Secretary of State, the Republican Secretary of State, who they maintain allowed voter fraud to take place because they counted the votes. And you're not supposed to do that in Georgia because their governor, no. Kemp. Their governor, Kemp, a Republican, ran for governor doing Brad Raffsenberger's job. He was the secretary of state. And the job of a secretary of state is to steal votes for your party. And when you see this, when you see this, when you see two Republican senators trying to get reelected by calling into question their party secretary of state because he counted the votes in Arizona and allowed Biden to win that state. I find that I don't think I think this is I've said this before. I think this is the calm before the stormtroopers. I don't see this party. They don't give a damn about democracy. Do you not? And you but everybody who's here tonight is taking me off the ledge and saying it's going to be fine. All right, we'll see. We'll see. Anything well, good? I mean, I'm just saying that, look, uh, it's a long shot. We have to get both of them to win. And it's probably, you know, um, it's, it's, it's probably unlikely, but I don't know because... The electorate for these, you know, runoff elections is just so vastly different than for like a presidential election where everybody's excited. They probably got a lot of they probably got a lot of people out who wouldn't have otherwise voted. You know, as I said, there was a lot of young people that came out. There were black. Everybody's um, young people. uh, I have to say young people came out. They didn't come out for Bernie. 
but they should had it not been well, for you to come out for Bernie. Now, you know, there there's a lot of there's a lot of complications with, you know, nobody seems to remember that the uh, uh, the, the state house in New Hampshire uh, had a law where basically you, it would be a felon to vote. It would be a serious like class four felony to vote if you had an out of state driver's license. Of course, that was that was aimed squarely at the college kids who would probably who did overwhelmingly uh, vote for vote for Bernie. But, you know, a lot of them were very confused. A lot of them were reluctant to vote because, you know, you go to college. Often you don't bring your car. You know, you're on campus. Right. But you have an out-of-state driver's license. Yeah, It's like, wow, that is- even though you've got a residence there. I mean, look, this is, they were doing all kinds of nonsense, you know, from Petey's company screwing up the Iowa, uh, the, the Iowa caucuses, which Bernie clearly won. But you know that it's, it's all, it, it's, it's all momentum and press and people feeling like he's going to be the inevitable winner. And Bernie Sanders had nothing but headwinds, nothing but headwinds. And even the fact that, you know, there were so many candidates that a lot of people thought, well, everybody's got Bernie's agenda, except none of them had Bernie's agenda. They all lied except for Amy and Joe. Mm -hmm. You know, it it was, uh, but, you know, I think that uh, Dr. Fraud was absolutely right. Uh, no, I did remember reading that, too, that, uh, you know, they, the party was being told that if Bernie Sanders is your nominee, I mean, they'd even tolerate Elizabeth Warren, but they wouldn't like her. But hell no, not Bernie, because uh, you, you will not be getting any bucks from us. And uh, so when you've got the entire and they were doing that well before the, the primaries, I mean, starting with, you know, displacing Keith Ellison. Keith Ellison was on track to win big as DNC chair. And Obama stepped in and strong called everyone in the DNC. So, you know, it, it's Bernie did what he could and he still there was a possibility he still would have won. But I think COVID interfered and, you know, a lot of things happened. But I think mostly COVID. And, uh, you know, it, it's but. That's okay. The whole point is, is that it wouldn't be just Bernie, even if he was president. I mean, it would have to be the whole political culture that changes. Let me ask you a difficult question. Oh, a difficult one. This is going to be a difficult one, Professor. Not the best of all possible worlds, but the, the truth, the facts on the ground. We all wanted Bernie. We know Bernie's right. Given the nature of the Republican Party, given who this country is, do you think Bernie could have slogged it out against Trump, given that the Democratic Party is so corrupt? And could he have won with a with a Democratic Party that I mean, there there was fraud. Well, it's a, now let's like. Do, um Let's differentiate the Democratic Party. The rank and file overwhelmingly supports Medicare for all. Oh, I know that Green New Deal, all that stuff. It's only the elite at the top. Right. But could he it. have could he have circumvented Clyburn, Pelosi, Steny Hoyer? Whipping up people to vote for Trump instead of him? Well, oh, well yes. That's a- 
But you know, I mean, don't you think he would have been sabotaged every step of the way by well, our party? Tried him, but at that point, it probably, you know, I think, uh, sadly, you know. I had uh, a professor, let me, because I, this is, yeah. just inhabit this question for a second, please. Okay. Bernie is right. Bernie is right on everything. But the problem is the Democratic Party is controlled by corrupt neoliberal hacks who stand to lose everything if he were president. Wouldn't they do what what Tip O'Neill and Teddy Kennedy did to Jimmy Carter? And rightfully so, because Jimmy Carter was a right wing hack and they were trying. But, you know, Jimmy Carter was destroyed by Tip O'Neill and Teddy Kennedy. And rightfully so. I don't think this party would have allowed him to what would have allowed Bernie. Well, to I think him. they did that all before the convention. Yes. I mean, if it, it, it would have been pretty much we see now, it, you know, it was the uh, the fix was in for, for Bernie ever getting the nomination. But if, you know, like the Red Sea parted and there was, you know, like volcanoes and earthquakes and things like that. And Bernie Sanders became the nominee. I had there's no I, he would. They would not have been able to touch him after that. So that's why they had to stop him before. You believe, was, so you uh, believe looking. that? You believe that? Yeah. Okay. I was just looking I don't, say, chat, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't believe that. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't believe okay. that. You're, you're I believe country, that. The, you can believe anything you want. I believe the fact that Kamala Harris ended up as the, the, the pick instead of Elizabeth Warren tells me how bankrupt this Democratic Party is. Well, that is. tells you that the fix was in for the Democratic Party, you know, up until the convention. So, but, I mean, as I said, uh, they, they would have never appeared, like, now we know that they would never have allowed Bernie Sanders to get anywhere near the nomination. We know They that wouldn't the, even give us Elizabeth Warren. I mean, she, you know... Elizabeth Warren would have been a terrible candidate against Trump. I'm talking I'm about for vice I mean, president. They wouldn't even give us Elizabeth Warren. Well, why should they? I mean, look, they, they bought her off early. I mean, all they had to do was just dangle the possibility. And she just, you know, went there and did the fundraisers in front of, you know, Wall Street. And look, you know, they would tolerate her if they had to, but they didn't have to. <laughs> so right. she just, you know, sold her integrity for nothing. As far as I'm concerned, but um, I want to just say one thing before I go. There was somebody mentioned in the chat about Bernie being Secretary of Labor. Now I thought that that was a bad idea last week because I was still hoping that Bernie would be the chair of the Senate Banking Committee. Now maybe Bernie is probably has an insight to you know to what the political landscape was better than we do and was anticipating they wouldn't get the Senate. So upon reflection, if they don't manage to pull out a miracle down in Georgia, maybe it would be way better for Bernie to be secretary of labor. That would be the one bone that, that Biden could throw to the progressives. You can do a lot. I mean, the secretary of labor can do a lot. Well, anybody, you know, just like I find in local government, your positions are as powerful as the energy you want to put into him. Right. And so, and Bernie has a ready-made audience to hear what he has to say, especially as we're going to be suffering 
in the aftermath of COVID. So I don't know. Uh, and Warren as Treasury, I guess that would leave a Republican governor picking her replacement in the Senate, but the legislature supposedly wouldn't allow that, and it's democratically controlled. Would you want Elizabeth? I mean, Elizabeth Warren as Treasury Secretary or Consumer no. Protection Financial Bureau finally, but McConnell won't allow it. Well, See, what do you do? What do you do with this? I mean, that's what I said. You know, it was mentioned last Thursday that apparently uh, uh, Mitch McConnell's going to be president of the United States. You know, like if Mitch McConnell gets to set policy, gets to dictate who the cabinet is. I mean, who's the flipping president? Oh, uh, Biden gets to like wage war. Okay, but I mean, how so, do you yeah. get a cabinet past a, a Republican majority? How do you do that? Well, I've seen it's just like people had uh, suggested to Obama when this when Mitch McConnell waited a year. This is the, the, the Constitution doesn't say anything about a Senate panel, doesn't say anything about it says advice and consent. All right. I've been asking you to say why this man is not fit. Hearing nothing. I assume that's consent. You know, the Kagan, uh, Justice Kagan can swear as uh, swear him in. I mean. Okay, so so Biden makes these interim appointments. He makes provisional appointments because we have to run the government. Well, then let Mitch McConnell try to fight that. You know, let him try to fight that. If you're always scowtowing, you'll never have a Democrat to Mitch McConnell. Well, I mean, expect more of it, and you'll never be able to govern. Right. Mitch McConnell has just demonstrated he can cut, even in the minority for some reason. He seemed to be able to control what the Democrats did. I don't know how he does it, but right. he does. Right. In, in defense, they, they didn't really have the minority for that long when Obama got elected. It took time before Franken was seated and then Ted Kennedy died. We have to wrap it up. Professor Marianne Cummings, thank you so much, Professor Marianne Cummings. Besides being a physics professor, is also a parks commissioner for Aurora, Illinois. Thank you so much. Let us now go to Kennebunk, Maine, where Jim Earl is standing by. Hello, Jim. I have to tell you that that uh, Melania thing, either I'm having a nervous breakdown or you're a comedy genius. You and Martha Previtt are comedy. I, I If I can't sleep, I just start listening to old Melania's and Senator Susan Collins. Let me give you an update, sir. Are you uh, coming on to Martha? Uh, or yeah, maybe you. If you are, that's fine with me. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, why don't we swap? You give me Martha. I'll give you my left hand. Okay. <laughs> Bill Barr has written a position for the attorney general's office. He's some guidance on voter fraud came out earlier today. I think there might be some hope. Again, I'm being paranoid, but this is what Barr is saying about voter fraud. You know, he's been he's been silent throughout this election. Been pretty quiet. Attorney General Bill Barr Wading into President Trump's unfounded accusations of widespread election irregularities told federal prosecutors on Monday that they were allowed to investigate allegations of voter fraud before the results of the presidential race are certified. This is from The New York Times. 
Mr. Barr said he has authorized specific instances of investigative steps in some cases, but he made clear in a carefully worded memo that prosecutors had the authority to investigate only substantial allegations of irregularities, warning that specious, speculative, fanciful, or far-fetched claims should not be a basis for initiating federal inquiries. So, he hates Rudy Giuliani. That's what this is about. Barr is... That's my my law firm, specious, speculative, and fanciful. All right. So, is that what's going to happen? We're going to be rescued by Bill Barr? Democracy gets rescued by Bill Barr? Or they have have pardons to worry about. That's what Bill Barr did under George Herbert Walker Bush. He ended well, yeah, there will be pardons. This is what Obama did. This is what uh, Ford did. That's what every every virtually every president before this one has pardoned or made a deal to avoid prosecution, including Clinton with the twenty five thousand dollar fine. He made a deal with Republicans to not be put in jail, basically for lying to Congress, and uh, Obama. You know, ran practically on investigating, rigorously investigating the crimes, if any, committed by the Bush administration. And, of course, nothing happened. Yes. So I think if anything that saves democracy, it, uh, it won't be it, it will be. A, we don't have a democracy, but if, if we did, it would be democracy itself that saves itself. Right. Not the people we have voted in as representatives. So AOC wants to cancel anybody who worked for Trump. She has said that the sycophants who enabled Trump in the White House, we should keep a list of who they are and that nobody should be allowed to to hire them. We should remind these people who send out their resumes that they are no longer welcome in Washington, D.C. And a lot of White House employees are terrified. They think it's unfair. But now they're being assured, don't worry. This was said about George W. Bush and and his staffers for, you know, supporting mm-hmm. murdering two million, three million Iraqis. Four million. Four million, if you're going to believe Lancet. <laughs> uh, but, you know. George Bush had the... Uh, Again, George Bush was the worst president in our lifetime. Uh, it, possibly uh, uh, Richard Nixon, who set the bar low for for every uh, succeeding uh, president. But George Bush is is the worst. There's no contest in comparison to Donald Trump. Well, let's review. George W. Bush stole the election from Gore because Gore was an idiot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let 9-11 happen on his watch, even though there were memos warning him. He invaded the wrong country. It's a war crime. Yeah. It was a war crime. Regardless it, it, whether it was the right country, it would be a war crime. Condone torture and Gitmo. Yes. Would that be a war crime? Done. Yes. If something Obama ran on... Uh, Getting rid of Gitmo, and he never did, of course. So lied, lied to the American people and Congress about weapons of mass destruction. 
payment. And our current president, Vice President uh, Biden, president-elect, uh, supported the war. He, uh, he was a vociferous proponent of it. Crashed the economy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and 10 million people lose their houses. Right. It ruins, ruins the, the lives of 10 million people. Gave tax and, cuts first to the people who crashed the economy and then bailed out the people who got the tax cuts. And, of course, Barack Obama never prosecuted a single one of them. Katrina. And Barack Obama made the Bush tax cuts for the rich permanent. Don't forget the BP disaster. Well, that wasn't his fault. But he did nothing about it. He couldn't do anything about it. We were a, a lumbering giant. Every the first few months of his presidency. You know, he's the most successful president we've we had in the, we, the, the century. Well, hang on, you can't blame BP on Barack Obama. He opened the Gulf up back up to BP. And then he opened the Arctic up to uh, drilling. Well, he's a great president. But he was, you know, he had so many roadblocks, but he achieved so much. But he had so many roadblocks from the Republican Party. It's always some fucking excuse, some weird pathological rationalization for him not achieving things like Medicare for all. Blame it on the Republicans, not his own slipshod negligence and and malicious disregard for people's health and the truth. He had a supermajority. You could have done it by conciliation. Just a liar. And he's lying about it now. He lied about it recently. And he lied about it during the primaries, too. I don't think he had a supermajority in 2010. He barely had a majority that lasted a couple of months in 2000. A supermajority. And he and No, he, he didn't. He had 50 through, he had like 51 senators. And through conciliation, he he passed uh, Obamacare and then had a budget reconciliation, reconciliation which he, where he only needed 50 votes. To they could he could have stuck in uh, single payer right then and there or the public option. I don't know if that would have held up in court. Budget reconciliation. The only way he was able to pass Obamacare is well, I it remember was constitutional. He could have it, the votes could have he could have had the votes. He kind of tricked the Senate with but a, a, a he made it a funding bill as opposed to Obamacare, and so they used budget reconciliation, which is a parliamentary trick. I don't think he could have gotten away with anything else doing that. What? Well, you're going to go to court. Somebody's going to go to court against the Constitution. What your your constitutional powers? Now, those are like Senate rules, and I don't think he had the votes. To he pay. did. He did. Okay. I, he had I the constitutional powers, just like the Democratic Party had the constitutional powers to delay. Amy, Amy Coney Barrett from taking her seat. How would they have done that? Well, they could have uh, re-impeached Donald Trump That's again. That's true. That's true. And or they, Bill Barr. 
Yes. They could have shut the government down, right? Anybody, anybody who reads the Constitution, especially uh, senators, should and and how you know and and the House should familiarize themselves with the Constitution. There are many ways you can delay what's happening, the inevitable. But you know, even if it was inevitable, which it wasn't, in my opinion, they could have delayed through the election at least. Think how what benefit that could have been to down ballot candidates. Oh, wow. My party's fighting for me. They're really putting up an effort. You know, Nancy Pelosi is really using all the arrows in her quiver. Wow. She meant that when she said that. And and Schumer, well, he's not standing for it, like he said. And uh, wow, they really are fighting for me. I think I'll pay attention to down ballot candidates. No, instead... This, this fucking party loses uh, four four Senate seats. No, four four House seats, and and eight uh, House candidates lose because they and because because they don't uh, support the Green New Deal and Medicare for all. All the ones who supported Medicare for all and, and Green New Deal. Won their elections. Not Donna Shalala, who came out today or yesterday accusing the Progressive Party and Medicare for All and Green New Deal uh, advocates of, of losing the election for them, just like John Kasich, that disgusting gargoyle blaming progressives for their loss, for the Democratic Party's loss. Fuck these people. Democratic Party is imploding and it deserves to burn down, go down like the Twin Towers. And then if there's no Democratic Party, what's, what do we have? Why, why do you hate a healthy atmosphere for something else to spring from it? Why do you hate people who want to appease fascists? That's another thing. <laughs> Stop using the word fascism, goddammit. A fascist dictator doesn't tell 50 states to, okay, do what you want to do with COVID. Uh, you don't no, think he has authoritarian tendencies? I think he does, but he's not a fascist. He's not a fascist. You know, Mussolini was a fascist, Hitler was a fascist. I don't, you know, this, this is a this is absurd hysteria. This is the same kind of shit that we dealt with four years from the Democratic Party blaming communism and and Reds, and yes, it is a second Red scare, blaming blaming Russia for all of our problems, for blame, blaming Russia for our crypto fascist tendencies, instead of looking in the mirror. Come on. Joe Biden, look at the man. Doesn't he make you feel good? Don't you feel the existential threat is over and the soul of America will be restored? He reassured me like my lovely old grandfather sitting in my grandfather's lap. (laughs) We don't want to go there. This is why you're so crazy. What? What? As he sniffed my hair and stroked me gently. 
Uh, I, I again, you get no argument from me. I just wish I could be as confident as you about the Republicans going gently. Well, they're going to do everything they legally can. I'm not, I, I bet they will, yeah. But, you know, they can legally do it. So do you want to get rid of those legalities just for him and then suddenly make it available to to your favorite candidate or your president next time a Democratic? <laughs> make it available for Joe Biden? Or do you want to dismiss it entirely so he can't use it if he suddenly becomes a good president? which is very unlikely, and finds him in the same position that he feels votes are being stolen or the election is being stolen from him somehow. He doesn't have any legal recourse to to uh, combat it or challenge it. Same thing with censorship. You know, why, are, why are we allowing billionaires who, monopolies who control Twitter and Facebook and uh, decide what we read and who gets to say what? They're going to do the same thing to us, to to our favorite candidate. This is what Obama did. This is what Obama did, prosecuting and persecuting journalists and, and an, at an unprecedented scale and uh, assassinating American citizens and, and kids <laughs> with drone attacks. Were you relieved that Biden won? I was relieved that uh, Trump lost. No, I'm not relieved that Joe Biden won. Not at all. It's uh, we've gone from it, we're like a frog jumping out of a vat of boiling water into a vat of boiling shit. Suppose you see Donald Trump have a nervous breakdown, and. And and you get we, to see some, happened already, <laughs> but like a real spectacle now. Suppose you get to see like a real show, like Biden's president, and there's a complete freak out, and you start seeing a lot of suicides in the Republican Party because they're playing hardball, and you know they, these guys who didn't stand up for Trump are now going to be mobbed, you know, rubbed out either politically or physically. Suppose you see a real night of the long knives in the Republican Party. Giuliani, you know, really humiliated, sent to prison. I don't think we're going to. Yeah, I don't think we're you really think we're going to see suicides in the. Yes, I do. I do. I think they're they're going to. to I think anybody who I think anybody who prematurely flipped is going to pay a price, a financial we'll, and an emotional price. I think we'll see them uh, after the, in six months, uh, having a senior, being a senior correspondent or commentator on MSNBC <laughs> and CNN, like most of the Bush uh, administration flunkies and Wall Street dropouts and criminals have, have become. And they'll be rehabilitated just like George W. Bush was for for giving Michelle a mint and acting all goofy and painting creepy pictures. Oh, he's, I'd love to have a beer with him. 
And I think it would be fun to have a beer with George W. Bush. He seems like a funny kind of guy you sit next to and uh, make fart jokes, you know, and and then leave thinking, God, I don't ever want to see him again. The only reason uh, Nixon hasn't been fully rehabilitated yet is because he never lived long enough for Michelle to give him a fucking mint. (laughs) John Dean's rehab, he was rehabbed a long time ago. Oh, he's... He's the bee's knees. Well, let's bring Professor Adnan Hussein in. He is chairman of the religion department at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. And he is also the co-host of Guerrilla History with the great Henry Huckamaki. First, tell us about your your new podcast, please. Well, it's... um a podcast about uh, history, history from below, counter history, resistant history. It's about uh, transnational uh, anti-colonial and uh, anti-racist movements, um, the culture of resistance, and um, hoping to stimulate uh, solidarity um, with a global sort of third world internationalist left and also to use history as a resource to aid our struggle and think of it as um, something that we can uh, learn from and that is a guide and um, is part of the armory of the left. It should be part of the armory of the left. We can analyze what's happening, learn from previous struggles uh, and engage with them. Uh, in our own. So that's the purpose of history in this. uh, It's not a detailed academic or dry uh, sort of history, but it's a living history of struggle. And I think of it as a reconnaissance report, you know, the past as a terrain um, to be uh, engaged and fought over. And we go into history with questions. What are the status of forces? What were the, you know, conditions and situations How did things turn out? What we can take back as useful insights that then um, can inform us now as a kind of intelligence report from the past for contemporary struggle. So that's why it's guerrilla history, because we go in, you know, it's asymmetrical. It's not the past as told by, you know, power, but uh, the past as it needs to be seen by those who want to change the future. Okay, now. Jim Earl is here. When when you listen to an ill-educated buffoon like Jim Earl, <laughs> doesn't a mature, educated young man understand that life is a series of compromises and that you have to accept less and just allow yourself to be lulled back to sleep and trust the powers that be to make decisions for it. Was there anything you, anything you disagree? I, I can't do a show if I'm going to agree with Jim Earl. So was there anything he said? I mean, he's right, but eventually you have to, you know, accept a little bit of what you're up against and, I don't know. It just sounds like he's, I don't know. Is he, is he right? I'll let you judge. him. Well, I, well, I only heard the tail end of his condemnation of George Bush and uh, hoping to extend it to Nixon. And I don't see how anybody can disagree with that. 
I mean, I think I've been on the show a few times and said that this view of Trump as some kind of aberration and outlier is a mirage that, you know, it's like we've forgotten history, which is that George W. Bush was an existential threat to democracy. He was a proto-fascist who laid the foundations and more than. But he wrote thank you notes. He did. He he did come from a Connecticut uh, kind of old money wasp family with the best breeding and, you know, the Ivy League education uh, secured by, you know, being a, you know, a legacy admittee. So he he had some of the basic decorum that is needed, um, apparently, to respect the norms. I mean, this seems to me. Um, the the new religion of uh, you know the political class is uh, civility and um, good manners, and that's what I'm afraid we're about to see coming ahead. Is that bipartisan Joe, um, which by his by form of bipartisanship means basically conceding to the right on all the substantive right. you know points. Uh, that's my concern is that he's going to talk bipartisanship. The right wing is going to talk what they always do, which is adamant obstruction, insisting on their principles and making no concessions. So when you say, isn't life part of making compromises and concessions? I wish it were, but that would mean that the other side actually has to really concede something substantive. And they seem very adept at avoiding doing that. Whereas for the sake of pretending of unity, why are we pretending that there's unity? million people voted for this racist bigot, you know, who, uh, you know, uh, received more votes this time. We're not a unified country and there's no way to unify it at the surface level of partisan politics because they will exploit every difference to their advantage. The only way to change the dynamic, it seems to me, is actually put in universal policies that would change the material condition so that you don't play the same game, you know, of, of how, how do you do that? How, in, in all seriousness. And Jim, I mean, without how do you. How do you change it so that our side is heard? What do you do? It feel it feels like they feels like our side is marginalized in our own party. A third party isn't going to help. It feels that way. And it feels like our side hasn't uh, gelled into a unifying uh, force that can say, this is what we want specifically. And these are who our leaders are. And the, and we're going to walk away from the table. It, it just feels like we have no leverage. What do we have to do? I don't think we can do that if we're trying to work within something that's trying to kill us. And working within the Democratic Party has marginalized the very people who want back the House for them. And they're de- demonizing the squad and then what's left of the re- uh, progressives now for the results of this crappy election. And you can't work with inside this thing either if you. We, we have to be like a virus. We have to go puncture this ridiculous thing and destroy it and create our own, create our own uh, organism. But we can't work within it to try to keep it alive. 
I, I don't think the Democratic Party is worth it. And it's I think it's done more bad than good. So what about go, I'm being serious. What about joining the Republican Party and moving that populist? I'm being serious. What if you tried to move the racists and the bigots and the ignoramuses, help them understand what real populism looks like? I, th- I don't th- I think describing a, a 70 million people as racists and that's their only motivation for voting against what you want your candidate, I think that's ignorant. And I think that's missing the entire point of why Democrats lost in 2016. They lost because nobody was addressing their needs, except possibly Donald Trump, who lied about it, of course. But there were two two candidates who were addressing their needs, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. So, Professor Hussein, I mean, what, what would you advise somebody like Jim to do, me to do, what, what is the solution? If only I knew, but um, I think we just, you know, we, we have to organize at the kind of local level. I think we always are trying to focus on um, national politics and we've ignored what can be done um, by building up um, power at a, at a local level and also sharpening our political skills. I mean, you know, we need to learn how to administer, show some wins, show that we can um, effectively improve the situation uh, for people in our communities and municipal governments and these sorts of uh, levels. And also at the state level, um, the gerrymandering that's been happening, I think, is is deadlocked at the level of Congress. That is so difficult to break through and transform with all these safe seats and and so on. And that happens at the state legislature level. And I think Democrats have abdicated really organizing uh, effectively at that. I say we have to build from the bottom up in the unions, try and unionize, get, you know, uh, school boards, municipal councils, these kinds of things, state legislature. And then, as we've been saying, the bench is really thin. Well, that's how you grow the bench is by actually getting people who gain experience, gain a reputation, sharpen their political skills, build a movement, uh, and try and keep those people who do rise into these political positions more accountable. Um, That's another problem, is that people, um, when they get into politics, uh, they feel that they have to be accountable to the money because that's the only way to um, get reelected, and we don't do such a great job. Um, So we have to primary, even good people even people who are pretty good if they've made too many concessions or um, run somebody against them who's and that's what moved they say that's what moved the republican party so far to the right was the primarying of the incumbents exactly i mean you find um that people are suddenly willing to Uh, adhere more consistently to a particular ideological line if they're risking losing to somebody who seems to be more consistent and has the policies that actually will win the votes. And um, I think uh, 
I don't know, it would be, I didn't get to hear how he climbed today. Perhaps he had some um, wisdom about how the house races have gone in, in these purple districts in the few cases where um, a real progressive has been running. Um, how did they do in a purple district? My belief, but it has to be tested in actual with actual data and outcomes is that um, somebody who's a genuine progressive has a populist agenda can be effective in a purple district by focusing on the key socioeconomic factors, universal programs like healthcare and so on. Yeah. Um, Howie, I, this is a screenshot from Howie's blog down with tyranny and he assembled a list of democratic incumbents who were against Medicare for all and for Medicare for all. The first column is the name of the incumbent. The second column is, did they or did they not support Medicare for all? And the third column is, did they win or lose? And he speaks to the lie that Donna Shalala and Clyburn all speak that we're going to lose if we listen to the Medicare for all socialists. Donna mm-hmm. Shalala didn't support Medicare for all. She lost. Cori Bush supported Medicare for all. She won. She wasn't an incumbent. She beat the incumbent. Uh, if you look, you look at the people who who supported Medicare for all, they were elected or, or reelected. But yeah, yeah, I the narrative is controlled by the moneyed interests. Well, I, I saw Howie's uh, tweet and noticed that, which is partly what I was thinking. Why? why I hope he elaborated on that. Somehow, we have to um, we have to highlight uh, the fact that you don't have to run as a centrist to be victorious because in point of fact, this whole thing has been a shell game. I'll just put it that way. The whole, the primary was a lot of progressive and liberal people who supported progressive policies like Medicare for all, but thought nobody else will. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they voted about what they thought other people would be willing to to support. So they thought, well, Bernie can't win. I like Bernie. Well, it's your whole stick, you know? I mean, it's your majority report routine. Uh, and But I feel that there was a really significant truth to that, is that people voted on the basis of who they thought would win and who they thought would win is was the conventional wisdom of the political class and punditocracy that they heard from, as well as their established uh, elected officials. And, uh, you know, so they went along with that. And that's the kind of uh, problem that we're dealing with is that people aren't voting their own interests and what they believe in. Too often they're voting for what they think is electable rather than just making the case. And I wish we would just get back to politics as making the case for your position. But it's almost as if we're all pundits in a way playing the game, the political game in our own minds. And that has not worked to our benefit at all. No, because we're, it's drummed into us that we have to pick, favor fake civility, decorum, uh, the, the, the shit that Martin Luther King Jr. warned everybody about. The civility and the fake decorum of the moderate white politician, the white moderate and how they were more dangerous to him than the uh, Republican, because 
the, the clan leader, he, he said, because they were lying to you how they felt. And they, they told you right up front what they were going to do and what they want. Democrats lie to you. They lie to you about trying to help you. They lie to you about that they're going to pay attention to your needs. And then they use you for your votes and then they abandon you. And that's what happened to Flint. That's what Malcolm X said, too. I mean, he said that there are liberal foxes and conservative wolves. You know, I prefer the wolf because, you know, he wants to eat you. The fox, you know, deceives you is sneaky and, and so on. So he he said, give me Barry Goldwater. You know, I know where he stands. He's he's against me. Right. Um, right. David Sirota and Andrew Perez have a great piece over at Jacobin about the Lincoln Project, and they write about how they raised $67 million to burn through cash that could have otherwise been spent on promoting left-wing causes. And now that $67 million went into whose pockets? The, you know, the Lincoln Project, they made millions as Trojan horses in the Democratic Party. And their ads weren't that clever. They had a couple of good ads, but, uh, you know, ad hominem attacks, but nothing about policy. I mean, how hard was it for Biden to win when you got Noam Chomsky? Somebody pointed this out, I think, in The Times. You have Noam Chomsky and Bill Kristol voting for you. Uh, well, and now Biden is uh, proposing uh, Rahm Emanuel's brother. Ezekiel, who's against yeah. the doctor. Yeah, the doctor or whatever, whoever the hell, hell he is, who, who wrote an article for the Atlantic uh, saying that People who are 75 and older have no reason to live, basically. He said that? Yeah. Well, it's, they're not living useful useful lives. Oh, he wrote a... Okay, that's taken out of yeah. context. He, now, hang on. He was, no, a, he, he was against Medicare for all, so he should rot in hell, as should Ari Emanuel, the agent who bought William Morris, and Rahm Emanuel, who covered up the footage of the police killing that young African-American man till after the election. The the manuals are terrible. But Ezekiel Emanuel wrote a piece picking what age he wanted to die at. And he said 75. You're taking that out of context. But he was against Medicare. He wasn't talking solely about himself. He was talking about in general, about what kind of lives people live after 75. He He was making a general statement as well as a personal one. Well, how old is Joe Biden? Maybe he's right. Maybe Joe Biden should listen to him. Noam Chomsky is 91. Yeah. Uh, Should he be deprived or considered uh, no longer trying to stay alive and no longer taking medications? Well, that's not the problem. For Emanuel? That's not the the problem with Emanuel. The guy is against socialized medicine. That's the problem with that whole family. This is one of the people Biden is considering. Yeah. And John Kasich, anti-abortion, anti-worker, another horrific gargoyle. Well, how bad is his his cabinet going to be? And how do you get a cabinet past McConnell? How do you do that? Fill it with Republicans. That's probably his strategy. 
you know, he'll get it past McConnell by picking people who McConnell is reasonably happy with. Although, actually, they tried it with Merrick Garland and that didn't work either. So, yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting. He, can, he can do what Trump has done and have interim appointments. Yeah. And get around that. Until the midterms, when voters, Democratic voters, are magically inspired to go vote for Democratic candidates because they saw their president actually asserting himself and standing up for what's right instead of caving to the Republican Party. Right. That's what Howie Klein said. He said, we're going to see two years of Biden and we're going to lose the House. And we're barely holding on to the House right now. Is she going to get reelected as speaker? Ooh. Nancy oh, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, well, uh, if she wants to run for it, you mean after the mid- next midterm elections or for or now in January, she's going to get. Oh well, she's going to be speaker I again. She, I think she's planning on running again, isn't she? So I mean, and if not, then they'll just try and hand it over to Hakeem Jeffries or somebody. Um, of that of that ilk. So I don't think um, I don't think there's much to be expected from the House. But if you don't have the Senate, you just have the same problem. So I think what we've done is we've removed the egregious, you know, daily provocate, you know, provocation that is Trump to everybody's, you know, uh, polite sensibilities. But I do I would have said the same thing that uh, you can expect unless there's really aggressive work uh, to put forward a progressive agenda that's a populist agenda. Uh, we stand to lose, uh, you know, the House in two years and um, to ha- face a very serious challenge uh, for either Kamala Harris, if Biden decides not to run again, um, or for Biden uh, in, in four years. Let me ask you if if this time it's different for Democrats. Do you remember, I'll even ask Jim this, do you remember hating Obama as much as you do now when he was president? Professor Hussein, not hating Obama, were you as disappointed with Obama when he was president as you are now? Uh, Yeah, I mean, um, I knew that he took more Wall Street money um, in the election for 2008. So I didn't have high expectations, but I felt he's an intelligent man. Um, he uh, has a, 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 a way of galvanizing support. He may be able to actually put through a reasonable health care proposal Uh, and so on. But one thing that I was very upset from the very outset with him, that I'm also upset with Biden, is this bipartisan rhetoric. There's no red states, there's no blue states, there's only the United States. It was a nice throwaway line, but I knew if you go in already talking about unity and bipartisanship rather than what it is that you expect to achieve for the country and lay your, you know, plant your flag in what the key sort of policies are and say, this is the mandate that I've been elected on. But instead you talk about um, how the real problem is, is that we don't come together as a nation. You've set yourself up to, you know, not achieve much of anything. And I think that was the problem. 
is the fetishization of bipartisanship uh, undermined uh, the possibility of achieving much of anything. And I think that's going to be the same problem uh, with Biden, who ran even more of a campaign that was based on simply restoration to uh, norms and civility um, than even Obama did in, in 2008. We thought that Obama was at least running on a progressive platform. He was using progressive rhetoric. Biden hasn't really even done that. He's promised that he's going to veto Medicare for all if it gets passed. But are the Dem, is the left wise to the Democratic Party? Is it different this time? It feels like the left, because it feels like in 2011 when we had the Occupy movement, the left woke up within the Democratic Party and then Bernie came. So it's a different it's different this time. Is Biden going to be able to get away with Meg Whitman as labor secretary or or Kasich running the post office? I just don't see that. Well, he's won the election and he beat the socialists. So you said yourself, what leverage do we have? We don't really have leverage. So I'm I do feel the situation is different. I feel like there is a more galvanized and radical appetite there, politically speaking, and it's led to some better candidates. Who's giving us marching orders within the Democratic Party? Not Bernie. He's Bernie's not going to say it has to be AOC and the squad. Yeah. But they're a little young and a little untried and untested. That's the whole. And they're lightning having a deep bench and they're lightning and they're lightning rods. Yeah. There's well, something it could also be lightning, lightning rods for success and again, yes. inspiring voters to the polls. Did you, did you hate? Yes. You, you yeah, disliked yeah. Obama from day one. I, I, I thought he was um, a shitty speaker. He reminded me of Ronald Reagan and everybody saying what a great communicator and speech speaker Ronald Reagan was. And Ronald Reagan was a two-bit B actor, and you you could see the corn on cob coming out of every orifice. He was just cornball aphorisms and bullshit streaming from every orifice from that man. And the same thing with Barack Obama. His hope, ridiculousness, he never said anything. Okay, so... And then when he got in the office, when he lost a Congress in, in the midterms, because he didn't fight for a single payer, he just gave up, and then he didn't use his the apparatus that that got him elected in the first place to uh, win back to win Congress. You know, he just that was ridiculous. He had he had a great uh, way of he had a, a great team to to win votes for him. That wasn't connected to the Democratic Party, apparently. And he could have used the same, done the same thing. He could have barnstormed. He could have done what what President Wilson tried to do for the League of Nations. At least try. Get out there. You know, go from city to city arguing for single payer. But he, he in the All end, right, he so, gave up on it. He had reconciliation. Bernie but, Sanders, only it takes 51 votes. You keep bringing up reconciliation. That's a budget maneuver. It has to be a budget bill. 
So hang on for one second. What what is single payer if not part of the budget? Okay. The the only way you can over. Okay. Uh, I don't want to get into parliamentary procedure with you. I can remember liking Elizabeth Warren. I can remember the Consumer Protection Financial Bureau being set up and that Barack Obama was going to put Elizabeth Warren inside of the Consumer Protection Financial Bureau, and we were finally going to see Wall Street uh, and the credit card companies towing the line. And he couldn't get Elizabeth Warren approved. He nominated her, and McConnell blocked it. Uh, What do you do? I mean, eventually you have to, don't you have to say, I have to compromise here. I have to make deals here. This is not, we don't live in a fascist regime. So you have to do some horse trading. Are you against horse trading? Are we we still talking about single pair when we had a 59... We never had 59. We had a supermajority. We never had 50. The Democrats never had 50. February 2010. I'm reading here for something that no site took down years ago. February 2010, Senator Sanders, along with a number of Senate Dems, pushed for the passage of a public option through reconciliation. At the time, Dems had a 59-vote Senate majority. 51 would have been required for reconciliation. Okay. You can argue the deal. You're right. I'm wrong. You're right. So that who cares if that would have ended Barack Obama's chances for re-election? That's that's my point. The, the de- so, wait a second. LBA, the numbers are there. The Democrats had a fifty had had a filibuster-proof majority in two thousand and ten. Supermajority for around six months. You're right. And he used he he used it to. Uh, I think he used it for some other budget. Uh, the Obamacare was passed in the Senate first, then it went into the House, and then they lost their supermajority, so they brought it back into the Senate as a budget reconciliation bill because they didn't have the votes. So they kind of tricked the parliamentary procedure. That that was the way they got Obamacare passed. Um, Now you're right. What do you think, Professor Hussein? It's just- I think at this point, um, this is why the outcome of the election really, uh, it was disheartening because we saw how many votes Trump still got. We didn't see a change, a flipping of the Senate. So the possibilities for pressuring Biden seem to be curtailed or at least limited. We still have to try and do it at the national level, encourage this new crop of, you know, um, squad reinforcements who are joining Um to see if they can push within um, the House at least to put things on the agenda and place some pressure that you can organize around on a national level. But I think what, what's more discouraging, and we talked about this actually at, at Weekly Marks uh, yesterday uh, in our discussion group, 
was about Prop 22 in California passing. This is blue state California. It went for uh, Biden by what was it 30 points? I don't remember exactly the margin, but it's, you know, an insane cushion. Um, and yet uh, voters who went and voted Biden also passed this prop 22. That's going to, um, you know, make it impossible for Uber and Lyft drivers and people in the gig economy uh, to enjoy uh, rights of employment as employees and be, have those protections, have those benefits and so on. I think there's a lot that could be accomplished at the state level. Uh, we, this is a, to me, that's a real problem because you could have uh, uh, healthcare, you could have a state healthcare, universal healthcare, uh, single payer uh, policy that you could pass in a big state like California. They almost did it. Um, and I think those would be great models to put it on the national agenda at a different level. Right now, when you say, oh, Sweden has it, Germany has it, what does somebody in middle America know about or care about somebody in Europe? They can say Canada, but, you know, up here where some foreign, you know, people as well, you know people's experience they need experience massachusetts gave us massachusetts gave us obamacare well there you go right so they trialed it there these states are the laboratories of democracy well let's do some you know uh, make a big push in a big blue state to get uh health care uh through and show that it works and convince people i don't know at the national level we all we've We've not had the patience to build at levels where we could. Um, people don't pay that much attention to state politics, uh, but we can see that's going to be a disastrous, you know, Prop 22 is going to be disastrous for workers in, in California. That should, that should be stopped. And um, progressives should be working in that state um, to put back the universal health care on the agenda it was just a few years ago. That's, I think, where we might have some success. Okay. To be continued. Thank you, Professor Adnan Hussein. You are the chairman of the religion department at Queen's University in uh, Kingston, Ontario, up in Canada. And we have some quick questions. And while can, we're... Can I, can I yeah, make yeah. one small point about the number of times single payer has been killed in California, a model Democratic Party state, 1942, 1953, 1957, 1987, all right. Thank you, Professor Hussein. Guerrilla History, download it wherever you get fine podcasts. Thank you. This Guerrilla History and also uh, The Mudgeless, another uh, podcast that I uh, host, co-host, and that's spelled M-A-J-L-I-S if you're interested in the Middle East Islamic world. 
Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ethan, you have a question. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, hey, guys. I thought Liam McEnany was going to... Liam McEnany was supposed to come by. Is he here? We had a whole thing planned. I don't know. He's not here. Okay. My my question was, um, I'm here. Yes, you are here. And I'm glad you're here. I'm just curious. It's very nice to see you guys. I missed you all weekend. Um, Congratulations on the good news that you guys are bemoaning. But um, (laughs) Georgia is looking very good. Georgia is looking very good. I was on a Zoom call with Ossoff and Warnock tonight. It's very much in reach. So you're already, like, preparing the funeral cold cuts. But we could take the Senate. Go on. Go on. Go on. Tell me me what they said. We're tied now? There's runoff. There's runoffs. They're incredibly close. They did extremely well. And in fact, Warnock kicked Leffler's butt in, in that election. He didn't reach 50, but he's going to win 50. And Ossoff was with about a percent of that criminal who, if you remember, he actually traded on the information. The day that he was briefed about the coronavirus and the, the severity of the upcoming pandemic, he traded on that and and made made some money with I believe it was with the biotech. He's a Purdue, criminal. right? He should be in jail. Purdue, yeah, yeah. Purdue. I'm sorry. Purdue versus Ossoff. Awesome. These these two guys are stand up. They're young. They're vibrant. Warnock is the head of the church that MLK was the head of. He's. I mean, these guys are inspirational. They're two juggernauts. I was on the Zoom call just now. There were thousands of people on the call. Um, their next event is going to have Stacey Abrams as a guest on the Zoom call. And we're going to win this. And I'm staying here in Georgia. I'm going to try to quickly get residency so I can actually vote here. I think that's so, uh, you're um, a carpetbagger. That would be, make you a, a I'm fi- carpetbagger. Absolutely. Are you really trying to get residency? Yeah. I'm just uh, exploring how quickly that can be done. And I'm inviting other people to join me in this crazy madcap uh, sitcom premise of an idea I have. <laughs> coming down to Georgia, and I'm going to be um, canvassing in Yiddish. In where? That's going to be what's going to be so funny. Where are you? Where are you canvassing? In Yiddish. It's in Yiddish. My whole thing down here. No, in the Yiddish language. Yeah, oh, I see. Which I believe will be my my little. Now, are you really no, going to get I, your? Are I, you really going to really get invite people? Are you really a? Po- yes, I'm working but, on it. I'm but seeing the, how now, but you shouldn't tell people that. That you're playing right into. Their narrative. I'm also um, um, exhuming some dead bodies to vote. Also, <laughs> the dead are allowed to vote. Any of that thing you heard, the um, the the cousin, uh, the the weekend at Bernie's vote is going to win this for us. So the dead, the the Northerners, the carpetbaggers. We're, this is a movement. I'm not kidding, actually. Although I'm kidding. You know, it's yeah, interesting you bring this up because I excited because I, I took my grandmother to vote last week and I, I remember saying to her i only wish you were alive to see this this what what's happening i think i think we should uh you know ethan you should find a motel that has gone that's under it. 
That's exactly the plan. Get exactly. Buy a motel and then fill it with the carpet baggers. And you should also make a reality TV show about these people coming down, canvassing. You can call it carpet baggers or you could call it Sherman's March. <laughs> I like it. Wait, 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 wait. Now, hang on. Hang on for one second. Professor Hussein. Savannah. It's incredible. The, you, the deals you can get there. I've been looking at houses there. So Sorry, you're going with Carpetbaggers, the sitcom. You don't like Professor Harvey, J.K., and I moving into your home in Ontario and sharing bunk beds because Trump won? You don't like that idea? Well, Trump didn't win. So, you know, I mean. Well, that's true. The well, script, can make script that has to be rewritten. I'm sorry? You can do that script in 2024, the return of Trump. And the bunk beds will still be there. That's yes. right. The bunker beds. Uh, well, that's good news. And uh, you know what? I don't know what happened to Ethan. We had a big thing planned. Did, did I? Is it on the schedule? Did I screw up? Liam. You I mean, didn't know about that. Did I say yeah. you know, Liam? Liam McEnany. Right. I, I, I think Ethan should answer questions. I think this would be more exciting and more fun to have I'm Ethan here. answer I'm, the questions. I'm all caffeinated and okay. I'm ready. All right. David, I've, I've, I have a suggestion, David. When last time we saw Liam, I don't know if you were doing Zoom interviews with him. He might be expecting a phone call right now. I sent him the link. He knew about it. Okay. But he's mad at me. Are you? I would assume Liam is more conciliatory about Biden and Harris and is willing to accept that. A little is better than nothing, right? You're a little happier than, say, Jim Earl, right? Me, Ethan. Oh, oh yeah, I'm, Ethan. I'm thrilled. What are you? Are you? Yes, I'm absolutely thrilled. I, it was like waking up from a goddamn nightmare, <clears throat> and I would not poo-poo the actual um, goodwill, intelligence, and skill that Biden has um, to to make a lot of headway with some of the insane crap we've been dealing with. Of course, it's not the answer we wanted. We all wanted Bernie, or at least I wanted Bernie. We didn't get Bernie. But I mean, that scowl, Jim, I'm going to smack that scowl off your face. Well, that's part of the goodwill that Biden is uh, helping you with, Uh, I guess, Uh, that you can't even tolerate a scowl to... uh, in reaction to somebody who's a warmonger, a serial liar like Trump, and it's, uh, that's absurd. It's absolutely and, absurd. I'm going to kiss that rape, scout off your face. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, Jim, Jim, hang on, Jim, hang on, Jim. For one second, hang on for one second. Talk about Tara Reid in this whole. Uh, Excuse me, for Jim, Jim. Ethan was attacking you personally. Let's have a little decorum <laughs> here, so I can get some fire and brimstone going, please. Let, let, go on Where's with the that. Goodwill for for uh, Tara Reid and and all the accusers, the, the the victims that the Democratic Party got behind so vehemently and passionately when they accused Donald Trump. But when one of those accusers comes out, several come out against uh, Joe Biden. They're suddenly silenced. They throw Tara Reid. Hey, under majority the bus. majority rules. Joe Biden. Has won, and right. Trump had like thirty six. So I vote us? for the guy. Who, who am, don't who do the joke. Don't do it. Don't oh, do it, Ethan. Don't 
don't do it. Sorry to to interrupt and and spoil your celebration. <laughs> oh, Liam but, needs an invite. Well, hang on for one second. Jim Liam is in the in the send him the link again. He's apparently mentioned that he needs it. Needs the link again in the YouTube chat. Okay, so let me then do this. Let me go to. We'll do a quick. Oh, why don't you two fight it? This would really help me out if I could do if Jim and Ethan could scream at one another and Professor Hussein could have a pained look on his face. Can, can we just do that for me? Because this will be good. This is what I need. And then I'll take care of the Ethan problem. So let's and 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 hey, pr- Liam, pr- Liam. Here, Ethan. Uh, how about this? Joe Biden is a war criminal. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you actually going to try to bring bring fact facts and assertions of stuff that you know from your long career of actually following this stuff into what's clearly, as David pointed out, just a mud slinging thing here? I don't sling mud. Can you guys pick it up a little, please? I need hostility. No, no I I, uh, I I want to hear more about the war criminal. Uh, angle there's this thing called the uh, iraq war and and uh, virtually every th- uh, other illegal bombing and and war we've gotten into since uh, he's been in office that he's supported is i mean doesn't that matter for anything i mean doesn't that count as anything jim jim, jim, jim. nobody point. cares about that kind of stuff the only way to get a rise out of people who are happy about Biden is to call him a, you know, a, a, a groper or a rapist. You know, I mean, bring up uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, um, I'm forgetting her name, uh, but who made Ford? an accusation? That's the only thing that is really anathema, I think, to say about Biden. Nobody cares about, you know, the fact that he supported every single U.S. war in the Middle East and is at least as responsible as many of the Republicans for four million dead people uh, around the world. That's just minor stuff. All right. It's not mere bag of shells. All right. I'm waiting on Liam. We're being reunited after eight months. This is a big but uh, I don't know what happened. Uh, By the way, um, you just what I just demonstrated is why I was so bad on the debate team in school. I would say my point passionately. The other people would come in hard with some facts, and then I would just sit silently. Were you? Uh, did technique. you? Did you? You participate in in the debates? Just just once. I was on the debate team. That, that's how it went. I just was like silent. I was like, yeah, they they. Have more facts here. I, I'm a, you know, I'm an actor. I'm a comedian. I'm a, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to convince anyone of anything. I'm just saying. Oh, there's Liam. Is Liam here? Yeah. Well, this is exciting. Where is he? Oh, there he is. Yeah, right here. I, I'm a, you know, I'm an actor. I'm a comedian. I'm a. I'm okay. Not gonna, well, David, I'm sorry to bring this to a halt. Anyone of anything? We've been waiting. I, I script <laughs> Professor Adnan Hussein. <clears throat> David, didn't yeah. you used to be in comedy? What happened? <laughs> this is just... let, me, let me hang on for one second. Let me let me say goodbye to Jim. Wait, wait. 
Let me say goodbye to Ethan. I'm sorry to bring this to a halt. We've been waiting. I, I script Professor Adnan Hussein. What happened here? What's going on? Are you? Liam, are you? Liam is playing YouTube. You, you can't play YouTube. You, you got to get off YouTube, Liam. Can you put there's a there's a delay between YouTube and Zoom. So Oh my god. You, you can't play YouTube. You, you gotta get off YouTube, Liam. Come on, Liam. Please. Come on, Liam. I'm not doing it. Oh, there's a, there's a delay. You have to get off YouTube in order for this to work. My fault. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's time now to welcome back to the show Liam McEnany, and uh, we're going to do listener questions. David, forget The Daily Show. Forget Colbert. This is the funniest show I've been watching for two hours, and I heard that Jimmy Carter was a right-wing activist and that Barack Obama was a terrible speaker. Hi, Liam. So are you in Los Angeles? I am in Los Angeles. I'm in the Valley. I'm in uh, Palooka Lake. I moved here a while ago. Palooka Lake? Is 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 that where everybody fights it out in Palooka Lake? Well, nobody's doing anything right now because uh, we're all locked down uh, in the uh, we're all locked down still. But, uh, you know, people L.A. is starting to come back. People are just pretending the pandemic isn't happening. And that's how they're dealing with, with it here. Right. And uh, how's the stand up? I understand you've been out doing sets. hitting the club. <laughs> <laughs> Understand. How do you. So did you move? Yeah, I got out of my old, you know, I was in that tiny apartment. I found a really nice place that's like four times the size of my old apartment. Uh, so now you're living in a closet now. <laughs> no, no, I'm out of the closet. Oh, and, okay. Uh, in the streets. By the way, I just want to point out I'm drinking out of a Frank Conniff mug. Mm. Wow. So, so you're in Los yeah. Angeles. In Los Angeles. Uh, you got to admit, you must love the COVID. I would assume living in Los Angeles um, and, you know, when I, most people who are living in Los Angeles have nothing going on. But with COVID, yeah. the gift is <laughs> you have an excuse. In your case, well, zero talent. <laughs> first of all, it's not killing any of the right people. That's yeah. That's, yeah, <laughs> it's killing all the poor people. Yeah, it's not killing people out in Malibu that need to die. Yes, I've I've said that for years. I've said <laughs> that for years. What would you be doing now if it weren't for COVID? What do you think you would be doing in Los Angeles? Uh, I'd be in my apartment recording the David Feldman show. <laughs> I would not be out living my life. I wouldn't be seeing friends or enjoying myself. I would be right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, my life. Listening to one of the greatest left wing circle jerks I've ever heard in my life. How do you feel about the election? Do you feel vindicated? Uh, well, 
But if by vindicated you mean everything you told me I was a moron for saying was was correct and came to pass? No, I mean that's you know I'm a gracious winner like Joe Biden, and mm-hmm. I reach out to everybody like Joe Biden. So what what uh, did what did I uh, I don't remember what what did I <laughs> accuse you of being? I said what America wanted was a Obamacare with a single payer option and not Medicare for all. That's what and America that's- wants. That's what Joe Biden has promised for Biden care. Okay. So I was wrong. Yes. Okay. And you were right. I was correct. And what are the next two years going to look like? Uh, the next two years are going to be hellish uh, because. Uh, because we don't have Medicare for all. None of. Well. <laughs> Look, most Americans don't even want to wear a mask to protect each other from dying. What makes you think they want Medicare for all? That is a good point. <laughs> most Americans are happy to kill each other and say, oh, it only affects the people who are already sick or elderly. It's not going to affect me. Uh, so what makes you think they would, want, <laughs> they would want their fellow Americans to be covered by health insurance? What do you understand about America that we don't? What do you want? What, you have your pulse. You're, you are a man of the people. I am. I am actually, man. You, you are connected. You always used to say that I'm like Barton Fink, that I that I say I care about. Well, first of all, as a man of the people, I'd never use Barton Fink as the reference. Well, Barton Fink was always saying he wants to help the people, but he didn't listen to the people. He just was busy in his own head. And you said to me that you really know what the people want. I would say it's more I, I would say you have to think less about Barton Fink and more about uh, Sullivan's Travels, the Preston Sturgis movie. People want to laugh. People want to be distracted. They want to laugh at. I'm sorry. People want to be distracted from how shitty their lives are. Right. End and of EOS. So we should approach policy the way. Gordon McRae did in Sullivan's Travel and try to distract the American people from their pain. No, I, it's just more about understanding what people want and reaching out to them instead of telling them what they should want and getting mad when they don't agree with you. But what, now what about giving people what they need as opposed to what they want? Wouldn't that be better? Uh-huh. That would be better, but it's like asking a four-year-old to vote for what he wants for dinner and then being mad with <laughs> beef and vegetables. Right, but I mean, you, the American people sometimes don't know what's best for them, and so you need the patrician class where, you know, people like me, <laughs> the landed gentry, to say, listen here now, this is how we do things here in America. No. Or you, Or what you do is uh, instead of just insulating yourself with uh, people who agree with you and then uh, condescending to people who have different uh, points of view from you, you listen to what they say and you say, huh, okay, well, clearly they don't want what I want. So how do I reach out to them and make them want what I want? By telling them they're stupid (laughs) and that I'm smart. Isn't that the way you win over people? Isn't that how what? Why is TV on a bar stool? That's really the question I want to answer. I'm sorry, what is the question? Why is your television on a bar stool? My television is on a bar stool. 
Yeah, I'm looking at your TV right now. It's on oh. a bar stool in the corner there in front this of This is a, uh, a Zoom background. <laughs> no, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, I, I remember that plant. That you've just shifted the camera angle over uh, a bit so you can see more of your living room. Yeah. Also, is that, is that the Haftorah you read from at your bar mitzvah? Uh, that is a dictionary. Oh, it's a dictionary. Okay. Yes. <laughs> what, what are you up to? <laughs> you know, I look. I don't want to spoil the ending for you, but zebras come into it. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. I looked up. By the way, I'm trying to find a good angle because I've lost about 45 pounds since the last time. Your, you your look good. You look good. And it's, it's, it's no, no, this is a bad angle. Judah Friedlander called. And he wants his body hair back. <laughs> you look good. How did you lose all the weight? Uh, yoga, exercise, uh, stress. Uh, <laughs> my dad died and I lost 20 pounds. Oh, hang on for one second. I didn't know that. <laughs> you son of a bitch. I, I, uh, I didn't know that. He, what, when did that happen? Oh, no, you would have had it queued up. if you. I know, you bastard. Hang on. I'm sorry, we, you broke up. What happened? Father died over the summer. Can we do that, or is that going to piss you off? <laughs> it's not going to piss me off, but I, I, it might make me sad. I don't want to go. Okay. All right. I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't know that your father passed away. It's okay. I mean, you know, it's like he was 74. So That's young. You outlived him by 10 years, so that's good. So You what? You know, you've outlived him by 10 years, so it's like... <laughs> You won't have the same problems either. Can I ask how your mother is? She's much better. Uh, I luckily I have the I have like uh, you know I'm in comedy. I have the kind of life where I could go home for a few months and just kind of take care of her and uh, you know like help her just kind of get everything back together. Wow! But uh, over the say, summer, had he been had he been sick? He, I mean, you know, he's had under he had underlying health conditions, but I will say he's one of those invisible numbers people don't count uh, when they talk about COVID fatalities, where he didn't die from COVID, but there's a lot of people who in this country who would have gone to the hospital, right. would have taken care of themselves if uh, if if there wasn't a you know this this pandemic that wasn't necessary. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I went through what uh, you went through. Mm-hmm. It now, take, what would happen if I was lying? Wouldn't that be terrible? Uh, I'm not lying, but wouldn't it be terrible if I was lying? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not making it up, but wouldn't it be horrible if I was making it up? No, no it would be great, because that would mean he's still alive. <laughs> Well, no, he's not. He's dead. Right, and I can make jokes about your mother, which I can't do. The other night, <laughs> I was thinking about you because I wanted to do yo mama jokes, but now we—that was my favorite part of having you on the show—that we would insult each other's too. mothers. But now I have to I have to lay back. Well, get, my mom's still alive. You what? My mom's still alive. Well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know. I don't know if your mom's dead, but she definitely lay there like she was. So uh, after all the discounts this woman gave you for you to talk, <laughs> for you to talk that way. 
<laughs> but uh, so you're in L.A. and are you doing any drive-in shows? I'm doing no shows. I, uh, you know, I'm thinking about getting back in. I'm actually, first of all, I decided to kind of lay low and learn how to write some stuff. I didn't know how to write like TV scripts and movie scripts, just like kind of just <laughs> doing no call, no shows. You know what? I don't know. Someone just said he's doing no call, no shows. Don't uh, read the chat room. Okay. Oh, I can't help it. It pops up. Oh, the chat. Um, they, they will destroy you. They're, they're animals. <laughs> The people oh, in the okay. chat room. Your listeners love me. They do. People they do. are very... You know, because after, after like, what was this, eight hours today of uh, of what we were listening to, finally some real talk. Mm-hmm. I bring uh, what I like to call the no-spin zone. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the concept, that's where we don't spin anything in this zone. <laughs> like it's a safe zone, like, where there's going to be no spin, just straight shooting. Uh-huh. <laughs> so were you relieved that Biden was elected? And do you yes. think he and do you think he is going to make it to the White House? Do you think there's going to be blood on the streets? There will be blood in the streets. I seriously? Yeah, seriously, I do think so. Cuz like you just look at what the televangelists are saying right now. You know, you look at what uh Franklin Graham and his wife Lindsey Graham are both saying that <laughs> Trump That's a good joke. Well, maybe. Thank you. That is a good joke. Um cuz god, Lindsey Graham's the only one who's really standing behind his man. Like he gave him a half a million dollars. Mhm. Uh, that's not friendship. That's fear. That's Trump has something on on Miss Lindsay. That uh, Lindsay might be straight. <laughs> <laughs> These uh, people are they are. I mean, you and I don't agree on where the Democratic Party should be heading. But we do agree that the Republicans are diseased. Do you know any Republicans? Do you hang out with any? Can you hang out with any Trump supporters? Well, first of all, L.A. comedy is full of right wing people and, you know, just uh, people you don't even know. You know, so I know that I've been friends with some for a while. And there's some who are. Look, there's some people who voted for Trump because just they feel like you guys do, that that Obama was not a great president. that He didn't represent their interests, that he there's a lot of people who voted for Trump. I've talked to who said that they voted for him because uh, Obama pardoned the bankers. You know, basically Obama let the big banks, all these people who stole their houses and, you know, off scot-free. They were furious about that, you know. And uh, I think that there's things like that that people just, because the rest of it is so outlandishly terrible and so cartoonishly evil, I think people uh, forget that, that, you know, like there were people who were just mad at both parties who saw Trump as a guy was going to uh, level level the playing field for them. And, of course, he didn't do that. All he did well, he did level the playing field. Have you seen this country? He leveled it. <laughs> he did. I mean, he just, he ruined it. It's the worst. How and, bad is it? In all honesty, if you were to look at this objectively, take out all your personal pain, mm-hmm. how bad is the country? Have you ever seen it this bad? Uh, maybe... Uh, when people were voting for Sanjaya to try to take down American Idol, that was pretty was that bad. Divided? That was that, that was, was terrible. Bad. That was the that Russians. Was 
That was that was a disinformation camp. Right. Um, Do you remember it ever being this bad? I mean, come on, you lived through the Bush administration. You know, I really thought that here's the no, it's it's the worst it's ever been. And when during the Bush administration, people would say, like, Bush is a Nazi, this and that. And I would say, no, I mean, Nazis are far worse. Bush is really bad. But, you know, Trump is an actual literal Nazi. And I don't know what would be worse uh, if he spends the next couple of months trying to tear down the American institutions or if he accepts that he's a lame duck president and spends the next couple of months just trying to get away with as much as he can before he leaves uh, a scorched earth behind him. I really do you think like- he's going to steal crap from the White House? Like like <laughs> plates? I do. Cutlery. Paintings. on his job. Huh? <laughs> Don't you think he's just going to start putting things into his bag? <laughs> you think he's made an, an Amazon order for like 20 Samsonite <laughs> Maybe he's not really fat. Maybe he's just smuggling statues out of the Oval Office piece by piece. You know, maybe he's just stuffing ham down his pants. (laughs) See, I've spent four years trying not to hate him. Because my only defense mechanism was to have a smug smirk and be detached from him. Uh... Because that's that just how I coped with him. But well, when awesome. I see him refusing to concede, I, I get a visceral, like, uh, I've kind of suppressed, tamped down how much I hate him, her, it, the kids. I mean, I, I you know, I... You know, I just really try hard not to come to terms with how much I hate him and the Republican Party because it it's too easy, you know. And then I then I think I'm being too cool for school and missing the real story, and that is that Jimmy Carter is a Republican. Well, Jimmy Carter was a a bad president. <laughs> he was a bad president. I don't think he was a Republican activist. Well, he was a well. He was a member of the Trilateral Commission. Oh, come on! All he, right. He introduced deregulation. Mm-hmm. We don't have Professor Harvey J.K. on the show today. Oh man, he would set you straight about Jimmy Carter. <laughs> the reason Jimmy Carter failed is because Teddy Kennedy and Tip O'Neill thought he was a right winger. The reason Jimmy Carter failed was because uh, people just saw Ronald Reagan as something new. I mean, that's just it. But after four years of Jimmy Carter, they were like, God, get us out of the 70s. Get us out of this. Let us just feel good about consuming again. Ronald Reagan makes us feel good about indulging all of our worst impulses. That's simplistic, but I'd expect nothing less from you. Do you know how lucky we are that there is not a Karl Rove in this bunch of dunderheads trying to steal this election? Do you know how fucked we would be if there was a Karl Rove working for them right now? I agree with you. They have a Steve Bannon. He's on the leash. You know, and he's he's not even he's no Karl Rove. No, I agree with you. All it all it would take is a Karl Rove type and Rupert Murdoch. And there'd be yeah. blood on the streets right now. All it would take is Fox News 
to take that Michigan guy into a back alley, <laughs> the decision desk Michigan guy, and explain things to him, flip Arizona, right. and they could drum, beat the voter for a drum, and there'd be blood on the streets. It's all that's keeping us from blood on the streets is Rupert Murdoch. He owns the Wall Street Journal, uh -huh. New York Post, Fox News. All they have to start doing is saying voter fraud and there's blood on the streets. Well, I mean, they have been saying voter fraud. I well, mean, not Fox, not Fox. That's not the official policy of Fox, nor the New York Post, nor the Wall Street Journal. Well, all the crazies have now moved on to OANN. Yeah, what is OANN? That is a right wing like uh, news news network that is a hundred percent for Trump a hundred percent of the time, and they are the ones who are really spreading these stories about you know like a supposed uh, a, a poll worker in Georgia, not a poll worker, but a ballot counter, supposedly filling out ballots, throwing out ballots. You know, uh, this guy who was just throwing out a sheet of instructions. Like they're the ones who are kind of like the 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 focal point now that Fox News used to be, uh, because th this shit is like too cuckoo land for Fox News now. Right, right, and I guess they underestimated how influential QAnon is with voters. Oh my God! When those QAnon uh, candidates got elected, I I was you know that that worries me more than Trump. I got to be honest with you, having those people in the halls of power, at least Trump knows it's bullshit. And at least Trump is like just cynically exploiting uh, these people for, for his own gain. Like these are actual believers who are now uh, going to have to have the real politicians spend the next few years icing them out of any actual decision making response, like, uh, you know, positions. Oh, Georgia, 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 Georgia. What a very complicated state. Yes. What are you watching on television? South Park. You know, actually, I will say I watched this great show. It's on HBO Max. It's a British show. It's called Staff Let's Flats. And that is just, it's that kind of thing that lets me not think about this shit 24 hours a day. What it's do you do all day? So you're you're in lockdown. I would assume most of your time is spent watching television. No, I spend very little time watching television. Staring I'm at the phone, waiting for me to invite you back on the, the program. I think you do. Thank you, David. Thank you're you. Welcome. I, thank you. I appreciate you having I even, me back on this. Yeah, show. yeah. You're, what, what is a typical day in your in your life? Well, I'm laughing because I'm about to tell you, and all your listeners are going to be like, ah, we knew it. You married Bernie Ho Baby Cat. <laughs> married Bernie Ho Baby Cat. No, uh, I have started golfing. I've taken up golfing. No, you didn't. Uh, I did. I swear to God, I did. Because guess what? It's an outdoor sports activity you can do while socially distanced. Right. So I, I spent the last month learning how to hit the ball around. What does it cost to go golfing? Uh, you can you can go to a driving range and get a bucket of balls, which, by the way, I know you're sold already. <laughs> 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 
Yeah. Uh, a bucket for, of balls for your putter. For my putter. Yeah. Uh, actually, for, for my long irons. Ah, I um, see. Okay. Or my wood. Yeah. I sometimes go around with, hit the balls with my wood. Uh, but like eight or 10 bucks, 16 bucks if you want to get like a big bucket of balls. But tea time. Tea time. Oh, I, I don't golf yet. But there's a lot. Oh, so of you're public. just hitting balls. Well, right now I'm learning how to do it. Like, yeah, but that's not to... playing golf. Playing golf is walking in cleats. Well, here's the thing. First, I have to know how to do it so my friends don't get crazy when they start playing with me. But we're going to play like a game called Scramble, which is for beginners. It's basically like I'm, I'm learning how to golf. And then, you know, there's a lot of public golf courses here uh, that are cheap. It's not. It's not. How much is a public golf course? Like $15 a person. Okay. See, I'm a man of the people. And you think that's the best use of your time? Yes. I think getting out, uh, you know, and not. What about spending time with your wife and kids? Or am I not supposed to mention that you have a wife and kids? Well, I had a wife. I don't acknowledge the kids. You can save a lot of money in child support if you just refuse to accept they're yours. Mm-hmm. How's the missus? Uh, <laughs> How is she? Are you, are you getting on each other's nerves? Because they say that, you know, with this lockdown, uh, it's, really, it's really hard to keep a relationship going. And you're, you got to homeschool the kids? That must be tough. <laughs> Uh, I, I would say my relationship with my wife is the best it's ever been. Oh, that's good to hear. What's the secret to a, a long-lasting relationship with a woman who doesn't exist? What, what advice can you give us? I would say the way to keep a relationship with a woman going is if you're the only one who knows it's happened. <laughs> <laughs> now, is it true? This, I, I'm not making this up. There is a story that that you have actually asked women for permission me yes to go home and masturbate to them is that true this is a rumor that was spread throughout the new york city comedy scene i spread it for for years about you that liam would ask women that you that you're a gentleman and that you feel that a man should not masturbate thinking about a woman until he's got written permission from her father is that true that you did that because a little something called informed consent, Dave. <laughs> they get really mad, actually, when you tell them later that they've tried anal for the first time. Oh. <laughs> Jesus. So you're, you're thinking about taking up golf. Have you, ever, have you ever done anal, David? It hurt. I didn't like it. Hurt. it. I didn't like it. Well, you know, I have the strap, you know, the, you've heard of clap on. I have strap on strap off. Uh, you sell that to Randy Kagan. I know Randy Kagan. I was yeah, he's, he's a comedy friend. He's good. I, I haven't seen him since the lockdown, but uh, I, I was seeing him around the comedy store and I went bowling with him. Uh, you know, he's doing all right. And have you watched the comedy store documentary on Showtime? Uh, no. Oh, you I, uh, should. It's fantastic. Really? Are you being sarcastic or serious? It's really interesting. And it turns out the comedy store, everybody was just one big family rooting for each other. <laughs> 
I didn't know that. <laughs> I had no idea that everybody was happy. And and, and I guess I mean I haven't seen it yet, but I'm gonna guess everyone loves Pauly Shore there. Everybody loved Pauly and Mitzi. Without Mitzi, they'd have nothing. And right. you know, there were a couple of people who fell by the wayside because of bad right. bad decisions that they made. But and Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> No, but the, the comedy store is just one big happy family. If he had a problem, he could go and talk right. to Mitzi or, you know. That's why Jay Leno hasn't been there in 35 mm-hmm. years. One big, a very happy place. A lot of very, happy people. That's why people. So I, the message I get from watching that love letter to the comedy store is right. if you're unhappy living mm-hmm. somewhere, say, in the Midwest, Right. You will find everything you want by coming to California and mm-hmm. working out at the comedy store because that's yeah. that has all the answers to your problems. You know what the great thing about that plan is nobody else has ever thought of that. Right. So you will be the only person waiting to get stage time at the comedy store. Right. And they'll they'll welcome you and say, We've been we've been waiting for you and if you have any problems <laughs> We're here for you. We'll support you because this is the epicenter of comedy. Well, first of all, I love the comedy store. It is I, a great room. Yes, it I've is. I've had nothing but great experiences there, and they've been very welcoming to me. It's been a very warm feeling. Were you ever molested by one of their ghosts? Did you ever see a ghost there other than my act? <laughs> you can't get molested if you're consenting. All right. Uh, but no, it's a... Uh, but it is actually, I mean, it's a little bit like a fraternity. It's very weird. And it's like a very prolonged rush. It's like a fraternity where you spend 10 years being rushed before you're allowed in. Yeah. Uh, the, are you past there? Is your name on the outside wall? No. I. You know, I was an improv comic. I. That's I, comedy's highest honor, David. Huh? That's comedy's highest honor. Is, is to have your name... Yeah, if you look at if you look at that outside wall, it's nothing but legends who are still doing stand up to this day. <laughs> the Comedy Store, if I'm sorry, if you're if you're listening, Comedy Store has a million uh, names written on their on their walls outside, and they're all comedians who uh, who were past there starting in the '70s. And of all those comedians whose names are on the wall, I think about three are still allowed to actually go on stage there. Right. Does comedy make you happy? Because the, the the takeaway. Well, I don't want to. It's a really interesting documentary. People should watch it. But I will watch it. I, did I, you I think, think comedy made you happy, or did it make you less unhappy? You know, I love doing stand-up comedy, and that's the truth. And uh, so far, my only regret in my career is that I didn't go on the road more and really like push it to be a better stand-up than I could be. But do you think you would have been happy on the road? No, I hate the road. Yeah. But what makes me happy is to come back to New York or L.A. from having done the road or having done, you know, like I did the road in Europe for a while, and that was great. But, uh, you know, like just coming back. You did the Autobahn in Germany, right? What's that? You did the Autobahn in Germany, right? No, no, I'm I'm autobahned from all the clubs. <laughs> All right, this segment's over. No, it isn't. So go ahead. So you wish you'd done the road. 
I mean, I wish I'd done the road, but in terms of stand-up, my only regret is that I haven't been getting better. And I think LA stand-up is actually making me a little bit worse. So I have to like, is that possible? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've started doing your act. It's, uh... (laughs) you know, it's almost like you never came back. Isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, David, all you have to do is just think of the worst things to say about yourself. And then I wouldn't have to be here right now. When's the last time you were in a club? Uh, I I had my own show at the Improv. Oh, that's uh, right. John Hayes is here. Let's say hello to John. John John was at my show. Uh, Hey, John, thanks for coming. I think I thanked him on the air, but if I didn't, thank you for coming, man. I appreciate it. Liam, I... uh, Oh, God, we got to hear him now? You know... I was going to say you're the last stand-up that I saw this year. Yep. Yeah. Last yeah. man standing. You know, it's interesting, John. The show changed because of Liam. We started doing listener questions with Liam. And then I finally found out who listened because we were doing listener questions. <laughs> and by the way, do you remember? Hang on for once. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not I, I can't tell you the name, uh-huh. but what do you remember? What what email do you remember the most? The, the, Bernie Ho Baby Cat. Obviously. Bernie Ho Baby Cat still comes around, but there was one story that you wouldn't let up on. Oh my God, the the cats! Tell me that story. The trailer. Oh tell, my God, I've never forgotten that story. Tell us that story. So this couple had cats, right? They were living in a trailer outside of Austin, Texas with cats. And then they found. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I can get through this story. Uh, By the way, found... you, there's a there's a punchline to okay. the story that you don't know about. OK, I, I can't wait. So then they found these these kittens, right? They found these feral kittens and they put them in a box outside their trailer. <laughs> And then they emailed you and they're like, God, our kittens just disappeared one day. We don't know what happened. And then a little follow-up uh, turned out that their sewer line had burst under the trailer and they hadn't noticed for three days. And then they were like, well, maybe uh, maybe these kittens fled from this burst sewer line and also crazy couple with so many cats in their trailer that they don't smell a burst sewer line. Uh-huh. And you didn't let up on them. And, and I was kind of apologetic to them because I felt you were making fun of them and uh-huh. and you wouldn't let up and then they kept writing back and feeding you yeah, they and, huh <laughs> they, they, I think they might have quit the show and you you were saying things like who how do you live this way that you have a burst sewage line and you wouldn't know and the cats and you were painting this picture that was so hideous well we started doing office. I met them. They're fan- they're young. They're hip. Uh, they're happy. Right. They're beautiful. <laughs> There's it's anything but what you portrayed. What are they? Was it Leatherface and his family? <laughs> <laughs> they have human bodies hanging from meat hooks behind them, David. Come on. And you were you. Office hours was originally <laughs> you and me. We were you. I've completely forgotten this yeah i haven't i've been begging you to come back for months no, 
but yeah. but we were doing this is what happened we were doing listener questions <laughs> did they ever answer the question about what why they didn't smell a burst sewer line well if you trail? come to off you'll meet them you'll be you'll be they were kind of messing with you they 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 have a good sense of humor they were kind of playing into you but here's the thing you and i would answer listener questions and it just changed the whole show for me because it was like you know that i looked forward to it once a week i knew it was the end of the week because we were going to do less listener questions and we got to meet the listeners through email and then the pandemic started everybody started going on zoom and you and i right and you and i decided let's do office hours let's do this thing where we actually have everybody come and uh you showed up for one office hour and then that was it but we've been doing office hour i haven't missed a friday night we've done office dan how many office hours have we done dan dan stop listening we're up to 31 we've done 31 office hours okay 6 months with and and you were the you were the one um, the whole idea was for you to come on. And I messed up, quite frankly. I panicked. It was my fault. And I apologized to you. Right. I, it was my fault. I screwed up with it's office right. hours. Will you come and do office hours Friday? Uh, yes. Maybe not this Friday, but yes, I will come and do office hours. I screwed one. up. The, whole, the idea of office hours was for you to meet the listeners and kind of... Uh, piss them off or engage with them or get to know them and flirt with them and tease them tease them and i was a little when they all showed up i i i thought oh we have to put on a show we have to put on a show and i got very anal yeah and it and but i did apologize to you you did you did I've, i've i've been on an emotional journey the last half a year i mean i i called you the next day and apologize. Yeah. But, uh, I also had to ask myself, I'm doing the, am I doing the David Feldman show three times a week? It's a lot of David Feldman show. Andy, do you want to say hello to, uh, by the way, are you, are those yeah. drunk guys who used to call all the time? Are they still, are they still calling and leaving voicemail? No, I'm not drunk. No, there are, there are others that are, um, pop up here and there on office hours who are obviously intoxicated. Tom from Portland. There you go. Tom from Portland. Tim from Canada. Oh, Tim from Canada is amazing. Liam, I have a question. Um, Yes, Andy. Any possible way that Trump could stay in power? Yes, of course. I mean, like, you know, he's not done fighting yet. Trump, uh, Trump has a lot of, in the tank, it's all a matter of uh, if the uh, the Republican Party wants to continue enabling this. But and what, right can you they, explain the mechanisms that he would use to stay in power? Uh, what kind of mechanisms would he use to stay in power? Yeah. What am I, uh, Don they, Lemon? They begin with <laughs> AR and end with 15. But I mean, like, we keep hearing this, like, on the mainstream media... And other places like in David Feldman show monologues about how everyone's afraid that he uh, is going to stay in power. But then you hear uh, like every media source saying that 
Joe Biden's won and how everyone's saying like, oh, uh, those closest to Donald Trump are trying to get him to concede. So how could he actually stay in power? Like none none of these cases will ever reach the Supreme Court because judges keep throwing them out. I just don't understand how he could actually stay right. in power. Get the question, yes. Uh, I would say that, uh, first of all, he's never going to concede. Donald Trump is going to... Which is weird because he's conceded. Get it? He's conceded. I actually didn't get it right away. I just think about that. All right, somebody's... I just... Go ahead. I made a bad joke. Go ahead. Why am I laughing so much? Um, but uh, you know what? I mean, the thing is, like, he's he's the case. The cases haven't reached the Supreme Court yet, but they're waiting for those three fucking conservative hacks he appointed, uh, Mister I Love Beer. Um, also, you know, uh, Scalia says he's a constitutional originalist. But when it comes to some kinds of cases, he suddenly doesn't mind activist judges on the bench. Uh, Clarence Thomas, who knows what the fuck he's thinking at any particular moment. Uh, not Scalia. You're right. I'm sorry. Uh, the fucking God, what's his name? The other Italian. Gorsuch. <laughs> Alito. 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 Thank you. I knew it was some dirty eye tie. Uh, <laughs> Uh, thank you. Sorry, I apologize. I couldn't remember which one whose death I was celebrating uh, and who's <laughs> being to celebrate. Uh, no, Alito uh, is a constitutional originalist until it comes to deciding certain kinds of cases. And uh, Clarence Thomas is just, uh, you know, he's he almost, uh, I think, honestly, I think if uh, RBG hadn't died, uh, Thomas would have stepped down to give Trump his final Supreme Court justice, and he still might do it. He still has two months to resign and give Donald Trump uh, another Supreme Court justice for the for the bench. Hey, can so, I give you some career advice? Yes, and I'm being serious. Yes, make me say something bad about you. Uh, because earlier on the show, uh huh. I crossed a line. I kind of said some nasty things about Dennis Miller, right? Because of his <laughs> politics. And I never do that. Right. I've always just kept my mouth shut about Dennis. Because I was saying he's the funniest guy in the world, but there's something pathological about him because of his politics. This is my tip to anybody. This is just sent to me from Variety. Want to read that out loud? Dennis Miller gets $49 million for Dutch-style Montecito compound. He got $40 million. <laughs> he just sold his house. And it's November 9th, 2020. Dennis Miller gets $49 million for Cape Dutch-style Montecito compound. Like, I never say anything bad about him on this show. The minute I said something about his politics, Variety reports $49 million. So anybody, anybody want to make it? Anybody want some happiness in their life? Just let me say something questionable about you. Dennis Miller, he is who he is now. But in the 80s, there was nobody hipper or funnier right. than, uh, than Dennis Miller on, on Weekend Update. Yep. And Can you imagine $49 million? Would that make you happy, David? 
Um, you could buy a second bar stool to really balance your TV out back there. Well, I, you know, I visited that house. Mm-hmm. And you know what the first thing I walked in and I said, and I wasn't joking around. I said, I could be really miserable here. I could be real. I remember looking around. Going, I, I can see how you can be unhappy here. Yeah. But I don't know. Forty nine million. Just to have forty nine. What would you do with forty nine? Andy Brown, what would you do with forty nine million dollars? Dude, I'd buy a shitload of land, build an awesome house there and just. I don't know, probably build a compound. I don't know. Like. What else can you do? I don't know, like run like a county government. Pay off, I, pay off all of your parents' debts. Pay off all of, that was Sarah, pay off all of our parents' debts, my own debt. Um, I have a lot of debt. Go to the dentist. The dentist? Have you oh heard of this God. thing? The dentist, they fix your teeth? But also build a compound for all of your a followers. Com- a compound? We, 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 this is what we would do. We would build an office hours compound. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is as if I have $49 million. Back the fuck off of my <laughs> this, is, this is sounding like Waco. Uh-huh. Whoa. How about build a third party? You would have way more guns than Waco, John Hayes. Jesus. David, what? I, would, I would buy you a second leopard print piece of furniture. <laughs> that leopard skin piece of furniture. Maybe some like tasteful tiger stripes for the wall or something like that. Authentic tiger stripes, though. Not that fake leopard shit. No, not like David's got now. Yeah, that's so... Ugh. Would, do you David, think I, you would change? If you woke up one morning and you discovered $49 million in your checking account, would you what? change? Would you suddenly what? say, wait a second, this is mine and nobody's going to take it? No, David. First thing I would do is take you to the Bronx Zoo, to the leopard uh, colony, yeah, and say, pick out whichever one you want. That's your next chair. The leopard colony or the leper colony? <laughs> <laughs> I would buy that zoo and free the animals or build a sanctuary, but that's me. John well, is a vegan. You'd John go to an, like a stock market advisor or investment banker or something and then take half of that, well, take 80% of that money and then invest it in like green green energy or whatever. Right. Because now that Biden's going to be in power, he's going to be spending a lot of money on green infrastructure. Hopefully, I got to say, I I still have money. I'll tell you this: I still have money in uh, renewable energy stock, and it is going through the roof. Yeah, solar. Like invest in solar, and you'll get your money back plus more. So just invest in green energy and then the rest of it buy land. Hmm. And then frack, you know, like David, it's, it's been pretty substantiated if that's the right term that the people who win the lottery, for example, within like two years or less, they become the same as they were before. If they were depressed before they become depressed again. So really, it might make you more comfortable or make you feel good for a while, but ultimately you'll still be the same person. Yeah. So here's what would actually happen if you guys won. This is actually a true, this is a true, uh, David, this is for you, a true prediction. 
serious prediction. You would get that $49 million. $29 million would immediately go to the IRS. And then you would spend another $10 million just funding wacko conservative Republican politicians to hold on to the rest of your money. Because you would say, oh, my God, rich people are paying too much taxes in this country. What would you do? So play it out for me, Liam. You get a, uh, a sitcom. I get a sitcom. See, that, that's a little less overwhelming. I think $50 million at once would be completely overwhelming, and I don't think I'd know what to do with the money. It would be very tough for me. But if I got a sitcom and I was earning that much money, like Seinfeld style, gradually building up hundreds of millions of dollars, well, you know, I'd pay off my mom's mortgage, and I'd probably buy a bunch of cars that I don't have the time to drive. You know, I'd buy like a nice house in Malibu on the beach, um, I take care of my family and then I'd probably just uh, protect the rest of my money by funding Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell. <laughs> I don't know. No, no, I mean, I honestly, I would be, the, I would live exactly the same way I do except uh, with better stuff. And, but the thing is like when you're earning that much money as a special, I mean, you know, you I mean, you, well, you know, people have made it when they're earning as much money as it makes like them that. crazy, makes them crazy. It does make you, it, it has to make you, it has to make you crazy having that kind of money. I think it's a lot of pressure to earn that much money because you can't trust anybody or yourself. And also it's like, well, then I'm like, glad I'm a failure. Well, it's not that much money, though. Like, $49 million is, like, nothing. You know? Like, the, like that's that's nothing compared to a billionaire. Yeah. Andy, yeah. Are you, it's are you nothing. And like, yeah. are you drunk, man? Genuinely not, not quite. But, not quite, okay. But, I mean, $49 million is a lot of money for us, you know, plebeians. But to a billionaire, like, well, you might as well be just be poor. Nobody's saying that it wouldn't be life-changing for the people here, but like Ann Lee says in the chat, after taxes, they don't they take a huge chunk of it away? And they also dole it out to you so much at a time, so it's not like you get a lump sum of $49 million at once. Well, we're not winning the lottery, right? Like, we just wake up and we have $49 million. No, we're not winning the lottery. No, it's not the lottery. It's just, oh, never mind. We just have for like, I don't know, what are the rules, David? Is this the lottery? I've or? been thinking about the lottery the whole time. No, Dennis Miller gives you his house. That's what it is. First of all, Andy. Oh, yeah. well, that's a gift. That's taxed too, though. Giving a house is a that's a gift, so that's taxed. Well, listen. If you wake up one day with forty nine million in your bank account, all of a sudden, expect visits from Homeland Security. Yeah, for real. From the IRS, from the CIA, from the FBI. A lot of people are going to have a lot of questions for you. I would immediately find the most expensive. <laughs> here's the, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Andy. Here, here's, here's the thing that pisses me off about this story is that Dennis Miller sold his for 45 million in Montecito and Ellen and Portia only got 33 million. See, to me, if Ellen and Portia got like, 47 million right for the, then Dennis would be miserable right see but 33 million 
But you know, for, I'd for be the queen of nice for if I had thirty three million. First of all, can you imagine waking up to that every day? How can you not be nice? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Here's the thing. The pressure on you to keep earning that money and like, because, because it's not just about the money. It's about the ego behind being the star of a show like Ellen and the ego of like being so well paid. Once you get knocked down a level, like when you're, when your ratings go down or like uh, people find out you're not so nice and they don't want to watch you anymore because they don't want you to be their imaginary friend that they tune into every day. Like uh, it's 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 heartbreaking for people like that. This is great. They should just here. Uh, does this bother? You? Okay, I think what we should do is you should keep coming back. But and, David, yes, your friend uh, John Stewart made a ton of money on The Daily Show. Did that change him at all? He's I mean, he still like the liberal icon that we all know and love. He's a great man. Jew. Huh? He's a friendly Nebuchadnezzar Jew. He's a great man. He drove a hybrid, right? I don't know. Green vehicle? I should just find stories when you come back that will piss you off or me off. Piss you off? Why are you pissed off that Dennis Miller made so much money? I'm not pissed off that he made them. I, I was just saying that. His politics are pathological. And the one day I decide to talk about Dennis Miller, he goes ahead and I think he's I think he was watching this. And he said, I'm going to show Faldo. I'm going to sell one of my forty nine million dollar estates. Show him who's a loser. Who bought that house? That's what I want to know. John Stewart bought it. Uh, hang on. What do we have here? So I think, so what do you think is going to happen to the Trumps now once they are forced to leave office? You think they're going to go to prison or do you think uh, no, Donald's going to never. do some trading? I bet he throws his sons under the bus. I bet he makes a deal to protect himself and uh, his daughter. But I bet Don Jr. and Eric are the are the sacrificial lambs that get sent to prison. Yeah. All right. Listen, uh, before we, before we talk about that, you ever read the book by Melania Trump's former, like best friend slash personal assistant. I have Melania here. She might talk to you in a second, (laughs) but, but let me show you something. Uh, somebody who has more money than Ellen DeGeneres and Dennis Miller combined. Uh-huh. Read this headline from the same newspaper, from the same variety. Why don't you read Wait, this? What? All right, I have to read that story. Read the headline for our listeners. Spielberg's daughter. Who? Michaela. What? 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 Steven Spielberg's daughter, Michaela, says doing porn is a healing <laughs> Wait, I am. Steven Spielberg. David, you're fucking with me, right? No. You're not fucking with me? I'm not fucking real. with you. I swear to God. 
Because the, the I'm just asking because the picture is is titled Spielberg.ping. No, 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 no. I just oh. it was Steven Spielberg's daughter, Michaelis, is doing porn. So all the money in the world. How much? You, how many billions do you think Steven Spielberg would pay? That, um, so the, his daughter would say, "Doing porn isn't such a healing journey for me." I'm kind of bored with it. What do you think he'd be willing to give up? What percentage of his fortune would he be willing to give up to see a headline that you says, my da- your daughter says porn. Eh, I'm bored with this. He would give away every single dime he made from Jurassic Park. I mean, knowing that he still had Jaws money to fall back on. Have you ever seen Conscious? I think that was the name of one of her movies. What? Dude, dude Google Sasha Spielberg. She's the one who should be doing porn. Hey, that's no way to talk. All right, I interrupted you, and then we should wrap this up. This was fun. Healed, huh? Wait, I'm looking at Michaela George. Oh, don't do that. Don't don't do. Oh, she's not as uh, she doesn't. Don't don't talk that way. Should we she look at the Should we look at the New York Post and see what's going on? It's always I just, fun. I was looking at Michaela Spielberg. She's don't uh, do that. I shouldn't have done that. Hi, she's in the news. It's not your fault. Oh, this is good news, Jim. Jim, you should be so happy. Ready for this? This is going to make Jim and John Hayes and all my listeners really happy. Cindy McCain has been named to the Joe Biden transition team advisory board. Didn't she just like see a brown person at the airport and call <laughs> Homeland Security? Didn't that just yeah. happen where she saw a brown person and insists they were part of some child, some kind of child exploitation thing? Wow. wow. Cindy McCain yeah. joins yeah. Joe Biden transition team. Advisory me on Twitter. I'm sorry, what? Megan McCain blocked me on Twitter. Wow. What did you what did you say or write? I that caused that. TV. What happened? She was having a meltdown and I tweeted at her to get off of TV and then she blocked me. Scott Bayo blocked me. Uh, Mike Cernovich blocked me. I'm hearing that you blocked Senior Brainwash on Twitter. Is that true? Did I? Probably. Yeah. He's no. one of the most loyal David Feldman Show fans. Uh, well, that would be um, a quick confirmation of that. Lisa Mojica just followed me. All right. What's a Senior Brainwash's Twitter handle? Uh, Brainwash, hit that up in uh, the Zoom chat. Yeah, we should wrap it up. No, no, no. This Great. This is <laughs> television. Man, I just found, this is wow. the worst headline I've ever seen in my life. Hang on. Like hour three and a half of the OJ chase. Uh, hang on. This is this is the saddest story. I shouldn't share this, but this is read this one out loud and extrapolate the facts. This is from <laughs> Randall Ryan. K.N.E.W.Z. dot com news. Read this out loud, Liam. Texas creep, quote, who forced girl to have sex with dog, 
Like, like maybe, maybe she wanted to do it. Uh, easy, easy, easy. Go ahead. I'm just saying that's what the that's what the quotes imply. Oh, right. Okay, okay. Texas creep quote who forced girl to have sex with dog end quote is jailed for animal. <laughs> Wait a second. This broad must be ugly as shit. <laughs> that's what I'm. Thinking. You can't talk that oh. way. But that's what. How do you? So they're more worried about the cruelty to the dog, right? Than they are to the woman. I mean, that's, we shouldn't be doing these kind of stories. Can I tell you something? Uh, you watch those Nixium documentaries? Uh, I had one of them on my show, one of the girls. Seriously, really? one of them is a, was a comic. I forgot her name, but she, uh, she was on Lisa my show. I, huh? Lisa Lampanelli? <laughs> no, she takes Nexium. I'm talking oh. about the, the, the cult. Oh. One of them who was, on, she was like on Star Trek or something, or she was on the show. Alex Buckter. Huh? Tignataro? She wasn't part of Nexium. Well, she was on Star Trek. I'm talking about the, the cult. Sarah Silverman? Sarah wasn't part of a cult unless well, she you, was on Star Trek. Stop it. Go ahead, she Nexium. She was. Go ahead. What? This girl, was, this this woman was saying that this guy, Keith Rainier, had sex with her when she was a teenager, but like with her sister in the bed with her. And all I could think was like, man, that is like, that guy's charismatic. That guy's good at convincing people to do stuff. Yeah. To get a woman to do that when it's with someone who's not related to her. Okay. Can you imagine mental hoops he had to jump her through? <laughs> You're going to burn in hell. Come on. You got to give it up to that guy. No, He's you good can't. convincing people to do stuff. All right. That's not nice. I wish that guy was my agent. I wouldn't have to do the David Feldman show. All right. Like, but last story, and then, then we're going to wrap it up. What? You'd be like, look, I know Liam's not that funny, but he needs three one-hour specials on Netflix. Okay, so here's George Stephanopoulos. Sarah Edmondson? No. George Stephanopoulos wants to replace Alex Trebek. <laughs> what, in being dead? I'd vote for that. <laughs> the guy, I was reading Alex Trebek's... You lung cancer, it's not right. <laughs> I was reading Alex Trebek's obituary, and at one time he was hosting Jeopardy. Uh, it was on in the morning and the evening, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. And then he was also hosting Classic Concentration at the same time and to right. tell the truth. So he was hosting four game shows at once. And George Stephanopoulos, who does Good Morning America, and then he uh -huh. does This Week with George Stephanopoulos, wants to also be the host of Jeopardy. Uh -huh. I think that answers the question. Not, it's never enough. There's something still missing from... Well, first of all, hosting a game show is literally the easiest job you can get in show business. Uh, you you record like a month's worth in a week of episodes. Yeah. Uh, do you ever see Louis Anderson host Family Feud? No. The greatest 
look it up on YouTube. There's a guy, there was a guy who could not, who hated, who just could not be bothered to hit him. <laughs> you like, you'd be like, all right, so uh, we surveyed 100 people. <laughs> No, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to say it. I'm not going going there. I'm not going ice cream or anything like that. I'm just saying, be like, be like, yeah, you know, uh, we surveyed 100 people, asked them to name types of horses. I go, I go, I go, Chihuahua? Like, (sighs) survey says. No, Chihuahua is not a type of horse. I know, I know. I know. Vic Berger, you ever look at Vic Berger? No. Watch Vic Berger on YouTube. This is great. I'm glad you came back. Vic Berger talk about uh, Louis Anderson on Family Feud? Is that what you're trying to tell me? No, no. He just will do excerpts of of how miserable. Really? Yeah, it's pretty funny. Watch Vic Berger. I watch that shit every day. This This is the greatest show. Uh, all right, we're done. Liam McEnany, how do people not follow you on Twitter? I am at Hey It's Liam. Uh, Lisa Mojica just followed me. So oh, good. Lisa can do it. Anyone can do it. All right. I'm glad. Should we resume listener yeah. questions? Also, I just want to say uh, you can find me on Spotify. My album is called Working Class Fancy. Mm-hmm. You can find me on Pandora. Uh, someone left a very nice review of it from your show on uh, iTunes also. So you can find it on iTunes and Amazon and all that. Should stuff. we start doing listener questions again? Yeah, let's do listener questions next week. All right. So <laughs> that means people have to ask us questions. And if they stop, well, because they can go on chat and just yell at you here. I know. Well, all right, we'll, do it. we'll do it live. That, that, we'll do that. We'll, we'll do right, listener we'll do questions live. live. I love you, As buddy. The Bill O'Reilly once said, fuck it, we'll do it live. Yes. I love you. All right, let's wrap it up. That was Liam McEnany. You know what I am going to miss, though? What? Is uh, when we did this by phone. Yes. We would have that awkward two minutes after we hung up when you had to pretend you didn't want to get off as quickly as possible. And you'd be like, uh, yeah, so Liam, how are you doing? And I'd start to tell you, and they'd be like, okay, well, I got to go. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> You're nothing but a dollar sign to me, kiddo. People would always say... People would ask, like, what do you guys talk about when you say hold on the line? Oh, right. I don't say that anymore. Do you stay on the line? I don't say that anymore now that we've switched to Zoom. It's like, well, now I just wanted to, people did ask, and I wanted to let them know that nothing entertaining happened once the mics turned off. Right. Just like when it's on. Just two people who didn't know what to say to each other without an audience between them. Well, let's do community billboard. Is Dan there? (laughs) <laughs> we have community billboard. But Emilio was going to come on and yell. I thought Emilio was going to. I guess Emilio didn't show up. I'm curious to see what Emilio looks like. Melania has something to say oh. now. Uh-oh. Hello. Yes, Jay. Melania. Yes. Shut the fuck up already. <laughs> We're trying to. Okay. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> Melania has COVID. Okay. Do you hear the cough? Listen to her cough. Do you hear the cough? (laughs) It's a bad cough. Thank you very much. Okay. Dan Frankenberger in the newsroom before we wrap it up. 
what uh, I interrupted your community billboard. Yep. Sorry. Um, that's okay. Um, we have Jim Earl and Martha Previtt. We have their Twitter accounts. Uh, we have at Diabetic Fury, which is uh, Martha's diabetes organization. And when are we doing another uh, pay-per-view event with them? I have to confirm it with them. I know uh, Henry's COVID Town Squares is scheduled for the 28th. So I got to see if they maybe want to do it the 21st or the week after. Okay. But uh, I, I don't yeah. mind having Saturdays off for a couple of weeks. Just I think, Davey, I think we picked the 28th. The 28th, we picked that date already. Oh, and when is Henry's thing? The 28th. <laughs> oh. Henry will have to do another time. Uh-oh, it's going to get ugly. Oh. <laughs> we also have the Gorilla uh, History Podcast. Yes. With uh, Henry Hakamaki and Adnan Hussein and Brett O'Shea. And their Twitter account is at Gorilla underscore pod. And Gorilla is G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A. And they have a Patreon also, which is patreon.com forward slash Gorilla History. Um Back from the dead of the David Feldman show, Liam McEnany. How great is that, that Liam is back? <laughs> I, I literally, anyway, I almost cried when I found out he, he was crawling back to me just, with, with his tail David, between his legs. I was just happy that you're, ba- you're still with your girlfriend. Your mother? Been, no, like you guys have been together for over a year now. Right? Your mother. No, no, I'm serious. Seriously, your girl. mother and I have been going out. And no, 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 I'm getting a discount. Girl. I'm getting a, a lovely discount from her. I mean, as always, you didn't let me talk to her, but uh, it was good that. Uh, well, it's like, awkward when you come in and see me with your mother, and that it was seriously your girlfriend, uh, and and just David, David's listeners. I know he doesn't like to let anyone into his life uh, unless. Yeah, absolutely. Like they are holding a crowbar, but David is still with his girlfriend. Uh, it's been I'm gonna describe her. Time. Describe her for me. <laughs> uh, I, is she blonde this time? Living in Hoboken? Yes, I'm going to guess she's five foot four. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, long, straight, uh, brown hair. Good. Good. Uh, probably. How old is she? Would be frizzy. Uh, probably fifty one. You know, a little younger than you. Mm-hmm. Twenty years. What does she do for you. a living? Uh, get me know. hard, please. Come on, get me hard. <laughs> well, I mean, if that's what. You're <laughs> <laughs> She's fifty-one, uh, no, and and uh, I know, I know you're like deflecting now with comedy. No, I some, I want to hear what because you used to fantasize. Listeners. You used to come up with these fantasies for me. Just, just so your listeners know, uh, yes. David's girlfriend is still running his life. Uh huh. Are you guys still quarantined together? or Did she escape? <laughs> I'm imagining a Joseph Fritzl type uh, setup in your apartment. Who's that? Uh, he was the guy who had his daughter. Oh, uh, the Austrian. Uh, I, you know, his, his daughter had his granddaughter. I, hang on. I, I was looking at some old, old cartoons I made the other night. He was the uh, Austrian who kept his kids in, in the basement. They just f- say I didn't. Let's just say I didn't know Alito's name, but I did know Joseph Fritzl. Right? <laughs> and I came up with, I, and when I was learning animation, this was like 10 years ago. I have it. I'll play it for you. I could play it right now. We're, we're, he's, it's a sitcom where it's the Fritzls. And he says, <laughs> he's surrounded by the kids in the basement. And, the, and 
He says, Why when the kids misbehave, they're my children. And I had a laugh track. <laughs> it's the Fritzels. Joseph, why when the kids misbehave, they're my children, but when they're good, they're your children. And then it pumped up the laugh. You'd have to know the story. But this was a guy who kept his kids in a basement and made more kids with them. Yeah, more kids with them. It's an ugly story. It's not Man funny. What? And that's at, at Hey It's Liam, H E Y I T S L I A M. His website is heyitsliam.com. I Check went through fancy. The, the other night, Dan. You, you haven't even seen the animations that I used to make with Ethan Berlin. They are so. Ethan Berlin, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. I know. He and I used to make animations together that were so offensive. I had to take, I, I got dinged by YouTube so much <laughs> that I had to take everything. I, they're all in private. You put that up on YouTube. <laughs> I, I, there's stuff that I put up on YouTube What's wrong with you? that was so bad. What, what about that made you say, you know what will really go viral? You know what people really are looking to laugh at in these troubled times? Uh, I have like, I was learning animation and uh, it's some <laughs> of the most offensive shit. It's really bad. It's still up on YouTube. You just can't. It's, I, I hit it. It's really bad. Right. I'm about to meet to myself. Anyway, so, say hi to your girlfriend for me. It's, huh? Say hi to your girlfriend for me. What does she look, look like again? I don't know if you pan over a little bit, and we can see the chains and and. Uh, <laughs> what does she do for a living? What does she do for a living? Make her a professor. Make her an English professor. No, I actually looked her up. So lesbian studies. Lesbian studies. Okay. Can't get it right. All right, Dan. She's supposed to scissor, but she keeps knifing. <laughs> we have Henry Hakamaki. Henry Huckamacki, yes. What's he up to? He is at Huck1995, and he has patreon.com forward slash Huck1995. And uh, next week, we'll be looking forward to David's Vimeo account, I suppose, to get some new videos from a long time ago. Maybe. We'll see. Perhaps. And uh, if you want to get anything onto the community billboard, email me at dentfeldman at gmail.com. Okay. And uh, let's see. DOJ's top election crimes prosecutor quits in protest after Bill Barr tells federal attorneys to probe unsupported allegations of voting irregularities. Right. So it's not over. It's not over. It's not over. We haven't won. That's what I'm I'm not. I'm not an alarmist. I'm the most optimistic person in the world. I got worried when Angela Merkel said she's looking forward to working with Kamala. (laughs) <laughs> what? This is what this is what I this is from Howie Klein's Down with Tyranny. It's Trump uh-huh. in an orange jumpsuit without his toupee. Right. This would be worth saying that would be worth giving up everything I believe in politically just to see him getting a mugshot. Let me thank all our listeners for showing up today on zoom and thank you for listening at home or on youtube subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts please we're on spotify 
Stitcher, Pandora, uh, where else? iTunes, we're everywhere. Uh, Audible, you can listen to us on Amazon now. It's, it's everywhere. So please listen to the show and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to attend office hours, go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Hit the attend a live taping menu. We'll send you a link and then you can come and participate. Get up close and personal with Liam McEnany, who's back in the fold. That's good news. Let me thank all our guests tonight. I want to thank... First Lady Melania Trump, a.k.a. Martha Previtt. <clears throat> Jeff Hauser, founder and director of the Revolving Door Project. Comedian Aaron Berg, Howie Klein, Henry Huckamacki, Dr. Harriet Fraud, Professor Marianne Cummings, Jim Earl, Professor Adnan Hussein, and Leah McEnany. Fantastic. What a great show. Nothing but, nothing but good times. Looking at your Twitter feed for Kristen Calabrese, who just followed me. Calabrese. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to say goodbye to our podcast listeners and to everybody on YouTube. Remember to stay strong and protect the weak. Time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics a comedy too He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to He's just a lefty From way back He's a union man with an Emmy for writing Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting It's time right now for the David Feldman Show To get your ears on right, buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a